It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. Now tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Is the mass migration of Afghan men to America really a good idea? Good for your wife, your daughter? The left will call us racist for opposing any amount of migration at all since they believe in open borders. But we have to be brave enough to put up with their ridiculous aspersions and brave enough to discuss cultural differences that matter. Will these Afghans share our values? Will they try to assimilate into the American way of life? It's not likely. No, 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 not God bless America, God damn America, that's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating her citizens as less than human. God damn America, as long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. Today is the day American patriots start taking down names and kicking ass. Joe Biden, you're not a president. You're a piece of shit. Thousands of Americans are stuck over there in Afghanistan, and you're letting the Taliban kick your ass while you're lecturing governors about masks and vaccines. Do your job. Bring these Americans home. Have you been a good little Nazi? Hail Fauci! Hail Fauci! Get babies. One thing I've always thought, and, and maybe you can guide me on this because obviously I'm not a doctor, but when I've always thought about vaccines and I always think about just nature and the way everything works. And, and I feel like a vaccination in, in a weird way is just generally kind of going against nature. Like, I mean, if, if there is some disease out there, maybe there's just an ebb and flow to life where something's supposed to wipe out a certain amount of people and that's just kind of the way evolution goes. Vaccines kind of stand in the way of that. Um, do, do you follow what I'm saying? Does that make sense to somebody in medicine? Well, there are some reports. That Have you ever struggled with alcohol? Never at all. Never at all. Were you drunk during those interviews when they said you were? Absolutely not. I don't think I've ever done an interview drunk. I, I have uh, sometimes, I mean, I drink normally. I like scotch, I drink scotch. So you do not believe that you have a drinking problem? I know, I don't know to believe it, I know I'm not. I mean, I, I no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm a functioning, I'm probably 
probably function more effectively than 90% of the population. Hey, Liam McEnany, your friend David told me about how you thought you had to pass gas on the number four bus, but it turned out to be more than gas. Man, Liam McEnany, that has to be tough. Wearing white shorts on a Manhattan scorcher smack dab in the middle of rush hour with your girlfriend standing right next to you. I feel you, Liam McEnany. I really do. But it's a reminder of how precarious life is. One moment you think you're taking your lady downtown to your favorite Korean barbecue, and suddenly one blast out of your leaky balloon knot, and poof, everything changes in a second. Poof. It's all over. Poof. Ronnie Bilge, dripping down your legs, Liam McEnany. You look for your girlfriend. Poof. She's gone. In the blink of a balloon knot. Won't even return your phone calls. I feel for you, Liam McEnany. Reminds me of 9-11. Beautiful fall day. I was planning a walk in the park with my second wife, Judith Nathan, who turned out to be a voracious harpy. And the next thing you know, well, I don't have to tell you what happened that day. It's all in my book, Leadership. I guess the point is, Liam McEnany, never take anything for granted. Cherish each moment. You never know. You just never know. One day you're with a woman who you can't figure out where you end and she begins. And then poof, intestinal air completely betrays you by turning solid. Poof, she's gone. Poof, all that's left is a memory. Okay, take care, Liam McEnany. And next time you're riding the bus in white shorts, remember to exercise constant vigilance because things don't always turn out the way you planned. Bye, Liam McEnany. You sound like someone I would like to get to know. 9-11. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. The sodomy of this nation. I recommend take the vaccines. I did it. It's good. Take the vaccines. But you got... No, that's okay. That's all right. You got your freedoms. But I happen to take the vaccine. If it doesn't work, you'll be the first to know, okay? <laughs> welcome welcome to the mop-up for September 6, 2021. Happy Labor Day. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan where the temperature is something like 89 degrees and partly sunny. Hey, we're having a special event this Wednesday. John Ross is about to join us. We're having a special event this Wednesday. Uh, Slavo Zizak is going to be a special guest on Thursday's show. We're recording it on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you would like to attend a live taping of our conversation with Slavo Zizak, 
go to my website and hit attend a live taping. If you've already signed up for office hours or you come to the live tapings, you'll get an invitation to our conversation with Slavo Zizek. We will be joined by Professor Adnan Hussein, Professor Ben Burgess, and hopefully uh, Professor Ann Lee. I'm going to ask her to show up. So that's a special event, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Wednesday. Please uh, join us. And if you can't make it, we'll run the pre-tape on Thursday, which will air on Friday. Now, please welcome one of my oldest friends, my last friend. Please welcome the last friend I have left, John Ross. Hello, John Ross. Gee, Dave. You know, when you, I don't know which is worse when I look down at my phone, if it's a telemarketer or you. <laughs> like there's any difference. I can't believe you call me to do the show on Labor Day. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that some insulting to, shouldn't you be not doing a show on Labor Day? Well, I'm paying you nothing and a half. So. Well, I feel like I feel like you're I, I'm going to curse you as Karnak the Magnificent. <laughs> All right. May, may the ghosts of Jimmy Huffa make a labor movement on your front lawn. <laughs> uh, and I hope that uh, labor movement was uh, solidarity. A solidarity, solid. So, yeah, look at the way the sun is dappled across your face. The sun is yeah, coming in. Shall I? I can close No, I love it. it. I, it reminds me of it. what human beings. Yeah. I was going to, and I, as far as the visuals go, I'm glad you zipped up your hoodie there. You had it down pretty low. Yes. Exposing a lot of your chest. And if that continued, uh, I was going to have to maybe pull a tube in. <laughs> When I when I say that I I, I mean uh, whip out some erudite and incisive comment <laughs> about law about law yeah that, that pulling me yeah well how are you up in Deerfield Massachusetts you are a brilliant comedy writer and comedian and a gentleman farmer it's the last gasp of summer how are you well. Uh, we got lucky. We had the big Green River Festival Music Festival, which uh, was canceled last year. That's like the centerpiece of our year. We love this music festival. It was canceled last year due to COVID. And this oh, year due to COVID, I thought they. I thought when you said canceled, I thought the Green River Festival said something that was offensive to women or something. Uh, no, no, not that kind of canceled. Um, so it was moved to, uh, and then we weren't sure if they're going to do it. And then they moved. It's usually in July. We just had it at the end of August, beginning of September. And we got a pretty good break with the weather. The weather was nice because um, it's just been raining kind of nonstop. But, but we got a little break. So I got the music festival in. And that was good. Other than that, uh, still damp. It's still damp. And Ida? We, we got, we got, we got a, a ton of rain. Yeah. Not as much as you. But. Let me show you. This is from the subways. Isn't that amazing? That's not Ida. That's me not making it home after last call at McNabb's. And uh, 
I, uh, so you know what I'm going to say? The, the, I, I want to be positive. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think there's a lot of negativity on your show. And I think that one of the positives of, of climate change is there's going to be more different and interesting places to scuba dive. <laughs> I think I think you'll uh, put on your tanks and, and, and go down the, the, the sea train and <laughs> take a look at what's down there. I had a, uh, I want to hear about Massachusetts. A very good friend of mine, I won't mention her name, told me that she lives in upstate New York. And she said, it was terrible. My neighbor, uh, my neighbor, I I looked at the window, it was torrential. And from like midnight till three in the morning, he was carrying buckets out of his basement, out onto the, you know, pouring it out. And then he was bringing wood out of the basement. I mean, his entire, ba- it was, and I thought that three hours of you watching your neighbor coming in and out of the, ba- I said, what's missing? What's the sentence missing? And she goes, I don't know. Uh, and I put on my coat and went and helped him neighbor. And she goes, would you, I went to high school with you. Would you No, that's not the point, but that really is America, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I wonder what kind of uh, what kind of neighborhood that is. Um, it's just, but I, you know, I see somebody coming in and out of their basement with buckets and stuff. I'm not sure what. <laughs> else you know what I mean? <laughs> Going back down with a bag of, of lime and you know, <laughs> you know, much. What's it like in Deerfield? This person lives near Deerfield. Would you help your neighbor in distress? Uh, Potentially, but they'd have to ask me because I can't see them. Right. I I wouldn't be able to see their house to know. They'd have to come to me and say, hey, can you give me a hand? Because, um, but, you know, like my my neighbor got his truck stuck uh, and he came over and asked me to pull it out with my tractor, which I did. So is this the tractor that blew up or the new one? Oh, no, that was a, that was a, a lawnmower, a lawn tractor. I have a regular, like a real tractor, like a farm tractor. Because you're a real man. I'm a real man. You are. Unlike me, just cowering in the corner in an air shaft in Manhattan. I, w- I didn't even know how bad the rain was. I had to turn the TV on to see how bad the rain was. So what, what happened? Did you get any flooding? You know, we got, we're lucky, you know, we bought this place sight unseen, really. Right, that's always wise to do that. uh, From Los Angeles. We're up a hill. So uh, there is flooding, but it's it's down the hill from us. So there were plenty of stuff got flooded, but not not us. Right, right. So fuck them. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The Democrats get a lot of complaints that they're not acting fast enough. But uh, Congressman Meeks represents Queens here in Manhattan. And I was watching Fox News and they actually had Congressman Meeks talking about the floods and what was the cause of it. A mother, a son, gone from us because of climate change and these wrecked storms. Storms that were once in 500 years, I'm told. Now that we've got to look at them to be storms that come in a regular manner, more intense as indicated. 
Yes. I want to thank, I spoke to Speaker Pelosi to make sure that we work very closely with Senator Schumer. So there's no separation between the House and the Senate. And I think all of the members of the United States Congress and bringing the resources here to the city of New York. Let me thank the mayor and the governor for their working on this instantaneously. Now, we know happy to be here. It's turned political quite quickly. It didn't take long to put the focus on quote-unquote climate change here in New York. In the meantime, though, we're dealing with at least 14 people who have died between New York and New Jersey based on the reporting we're getting now. So we're going to watch it. That's uh, Bill Hemmer from Fox News interrupting Congressman Meeks talking about climate change, saying it didn't take too long for it to get political. The Democrat had to talk about, quote unquote, climate change. Well, that guy, that guy Meeks says uh, he's a doomsayer because he's rooting for the end of the world because he's going to inherit the world. <laughs> Who, Bill Hammer? Meeks. Meeks. Meeks inherit the world. Oh, oh the, yes, because he's one of the Meeks. Right. I, yeah. that, uh, I thought that was the deal. Yeah. That, that I, plan is going to get it. God, that is such a, how do you, I would love to marry into the Meek family. Cause, right? Yeah, they get it all. They get it all. You got it all. That's uh, Bill Hemmer saying that we need, we don't need to focus on quote unquote climate change. We need to focus on the people who died, not the cause. Don't politicize this by talking about what caused all these people to die. Just focus on the death and the destruction. That's all we want to hear about. And he means literally focus, like get the camera and focus. (laughs) (laughs) Get them in sharp relief. I need to see them. (laughs) That's TV news. But, you know, Bill Hemmer is a lot smarter I've played this clip on the show before. He's a wise man. They were talking about critical race theory. And he said something very wise. He's very well read. You know, he's educated. Uh, critical okay. race theory. It was very good, very informative. Thank you, Mark. For Thank you, Mark. It. On, that, on the Princeton point here, you and I have discussed it, it at the college level. This is this fair game. Like Go ahead and do it. Right. I mean, I remember 20 years old going to Trier, Germany and trying to find the home of Karl Marx because, you know, 1848, he wrote Mein Kampf. I want to know what it was all about. So that's part of the education in America, if you so choose. So, uh, that, that's, that's, Wait a minute. Can you play that back? Did she, does she do a look to camera? She does. Like when he, when he yeah. says, uh, he wrote Mein Kampf, and she kind of like slowly turns to camera like. Um, want, me to, want me to play it again? Well, that's I never, uh, I've heard you play it on the show. I've never uh-huh. seen it. And just watching her do that slow turn to camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot, and I even know Marx didn't write Mein Kampf. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> and for someone at Fox News not to know who wrote Mein Kampf, that is, a, that is sacrilege that I've repeated that joke again <laughs> on Labor Day. Trying to scrape together a show. And I'm repeating jokes. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a labor joke. So it, <laughs> it was stillborn. Uh, by the way, I think there's a uh, bounty ten thousand dollars if you can find out who wrote that or helped write that joke. We'll talk about that in a second. So let's focus some sad news out of uh, New Jersey. And I have some friends whose parents homes 
were destroyed and uh it's really sad and but we're america and we're resilient we're the richest country in the world in the history of civil on on paper on paper we have a liquidity problem is what we have and apparently there's a real liquidity problem in Louisiana. Let's get a report on how it's going in Louisiana. One week later has left Louisiana in a debilitating state. Really? Have you been following what's going on? In Louisiana? Yeah. I, you know, kind of, hmm. not really. I mean, yes, not, no detail. I'm not, no details. Right. I just know. But it can't no be as bad. I mean, if it were as bad as it can't be that bad because it's not what it's not what we talk about on the news. I mean, it's, let me see what else is going on and no relief in sight, no relief in sight for. Uh, hmm. Let's hmm. that sounds depressing. This town, still one week later, is essentially a swamp of standing water and mud. Hmm, kind of judgmental, if you ask me, don't you think? Yeah. You're visiting somebody's community, and you call it a swamp. Yeah, get out your street here. Yeah, make, make lemons, uh, make lemonade. Yeah, I think they're overreacting to what happened in Louisiana. Otherwise, we would get wall-to-wall coverage of what's happening in Louisiana. I think they're overreacting. Structural devastation, a lack of supplies, hundreds of thousands still without power. Now, battling overwhelming heat. Hmm. Maybe we don't hear about it because it's just depressing. Yeah, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. You know, did, did your parents do that? If, like, there was tragedy, they kept it from you as a kid? Um. I wouldn't know because uh, they must have because I, I remember no trouble. Right. Some, I think, you know, we're too, Americans are too young to uh, be. Yeah, so. it's a young democracy. Right. Yeah. We need to be shielded. Right. I right. think Matthew McConaughey said we're going through our puberty as a democracy. Seven nursing home residents have now died after 800 were forced to ride out the storm in horrid conditions inside a warehouse. That's not America. I'm afraid. I'm afraid young Americans may start uh, cutting. <laughs> yeah, so but far. that can't be America. That has to. That can't be our country. Residents' cots on filthy, uh, flooded ground. Residents laying in their own waste. Residents laying in their own waste in the richest country in the world. I, I, no. This Bayou town is expected to be without power for at least four more weeks. Four more weeks. Four more weeks. It'll go by in the blink of an eye. Without power. Or, or, no, they got, to send, they got to send brownie down there. <laughs> I think they're going to have plenty of brownie in their toilets. Uh, uh, heck of a job, brownie. Good job, brownie. <laughs> he actually, in his defense, there, there's tape. He warned them about Katrina, but it was Chertoff, the head of... Homeland Security and Bush who ignored him. And then he took the fall. But he actually knew that storm was coming. Well, let's hear something uplifting about Louisiana. And tonight, new concerns on the coast as aerial images show a significant oil spill just miles from the region's major oil and gas port. Okay. 
Free oil. Free oil. There you go. It's right there. You know, people long lines for gas, but nobody takes the initiative to swim out there and get your own oil out of the Gulf. You roll out, you roll out with a coffee can, you scoop a little bit up. <laughs> Bob's your uncle. <laughs> we laugh because we're the wealthiest country in the world. And because we're awful people, you and I. We're awful people. And we know that daddy is taking care of us, that our government will take. Nobody is really going to go four months without power in America. That just doesn't happen. Four weeks. Huh? Four weeks. Oh, it's, four, it's even getting better. Four weeks. We're on an upward trajectory. Yeah, I said four months. Yes. Well, one of the reasons uh, they're not going to suffer in America, is we have an adversarial relationship between the two parties and we keep each other honest. And I was watching General Tata, uh, General Tata on Fox, and he really, Fox News is pissed off at Biden over what's going on in Louisiana. Take a listen. To add insult to injury, President Biden's on vacation this weekend during all of this, during this latest development. What does it say about a person when they go on vacation instead of solving a problem that they ultimately cost? But, well, remember, he was on vacation when all this started. Right. His, his entire administration was was on vacation. I'm not sure they ever came off vacation the way this thing was handled. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, the Keystone Cops from the very beginning. And, and it hasn't gotten any better. Uh, we have utterly abandoned this country and we've abandoned Americans within this country. And, uh, you know, the mainstream media right now, though, is trying to make it go away so that they can change the topic uh, with Americans stranded. See, that's General you know Tata talking about you know American stranding. You, know you know what I say about him? What? He's bodacious. <laughs> he is. He's General Tata, who, Bodacious you know, Tata. Ge General Tata served our country and then got served subpoenas by his ex-wives for child support. And, you know, he, but, you know, he's a racist and he has a long history of calling uh, President Barack Obama, a Muslim, that he wasn't born here in the United States, but he's still an American and he knows that we have. Is there, anything, is there anything bad about him? No, no, no. He's a great American. He's an American general. And so he, what, what, what's Biden off? Golfing or something? Golfing and, and, and having fun while Americans are stranded in Louisiana. Let's listen to we have Americans stranded and General Tata is is concerned about all those Americans in Louisiana who are stranded with Americans stranded, with uh, SIV applicants stranded, with Panchir Valley um, under heavy assault. Uh, my, uh, what The word I have is it's not over there yet. But with all of this happening, you've got everybody checked out or right. the media is trying to change the narrative. And I know Blinken's on his way to, to gutter to, you know, uh, talk to some folks, but uh, that's a day late and a dollar short as far as I'm concerned. You're so right, General. There's definitely been a pivot to things like abortion over the last week to try to distract from Afghanistan. Oh, is there flooding in Afghanistan? 
there must be flooding. Was there a hurricane? There was a must have been a hurricane in uh, Afghanistan as well. Are you are you worried about uh, uh, that a lot of Afghani men coming over here? Uh, I'm a little worried um, about my wife. Yeah, because she really wants to fucking Afghani. <laughs> And you have to protect her. I mean, I yeah, I have to do something. Yeah, that's uh, they. The women here, they're 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 dying. Yeah, they're champing at the bit. And if we let them in, uh, we yeah, can't compete. It's over, for us. it's over for us. We can't let them in. We have that beautiful olive skin and the mm-hmm. dark hair. Yeah, they are and beautiful you know, people. There's a bunch of Omar Sharifs over there. <laughs> They're, they are beautiful. They are yeah. beautiful people. We can't, Tell we, me about it. We can't let them in. We can't let... It's not like we owe them anything. We gave them freedom and a civil war, and uh, now they want to come here? And careful grab. what you ask for. <laughs> what? I said they should be careful what they ask for. I know. <laughs> it's kind of like, wait a minute. There's, there's no power? I thought you had like running water and power in this country. No? Sometimes we do. I don't know what you heard. Yeah. I guess uh, I guess Afghanistan is a bigger problem than Louisiana. The Republicans seem to be more concerned about that. And you know who's really pissed off? Don do Jr. Tell. Huh? Oh, do tell. Don, Don, Don Jr. is pissed off at Biden. Oh. Yeah, he had a tweet. Uh, why don't you read this tweet? All right. This is what he, he sent. A, actually, it's a letter that he sent to you and me. You didn't get this? It's to donors to the Trump campaign. Friend, just when you think Joe Biden and his administration couldn't get any lower, they choose to pull troops out of Afghanistan and leave American citizens and American canines stranded. What an absolute disgrace. Yes, there are... But- I needed to do a little bit of blow before that. Just to make that <laughs> I, I apologize. I didn't do that again. No, you yeah. sounded and you looked just like him. You, you, I don't know how you were able to have a runny nose. And... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> got that Charlie McCarthy jar. <laughs> He's helping the economy of Afghanistan. I'm sure they also make blow along with the heroin. Oh, that's true. That's. That is where it comes from, right? I don't know. I think it doesn't, but... Is that heroin? It's not heroin. He should be on heroin. But he's worried about the canines that we that we left behind. Forget, forget the... He, he's an animal lover. He is. Yes, he is. Uh, yes, he is. He loves animals. Look at him. Here he is. He not only loves canines, this Look. is... You know that that cheetah is like it loves him. Look how relaxed it is. <laughs> you have to be. He's like a cheetah whisperer. He's so relaxed in his arms. Uh, yeah. Right, that thing would claw us. But uh-huh. he, they he love animals. They yeah. do. And uh, here he is with Kimberly Gargoyle. Uh, that, a lot of people don't know this, but they spend that's 
Kimberly with a little flip to her do. You see the little hair and the, wow. it curls up. That's uh, Don Jr. and Kimberly protecting a uh, South African game preserve from poachers. That's the quietest I've ever seen her. Yeah, they're just standing there waiting for evil poachers to to protect the wildlife. Kimberly looks that's she looks great. Yes, she does. Uh, well, if yeah. you're worried about the canines, John Kirby, he's the Pentagon press secretary. And boy, he's having a great month. Why don't you read his tweet, John? John Kirby at Pentagon press secretary to correct erroneous reports. The U.S. military did not leave any dogs in cages at Hamid Karzai International Airport including the reported military working dogs. Photos circulating online were animals under the care of the Kabul Small Animal Rescue, not dogs under our care. So we, yeah. we've, we've cleared that up. He got Don Jr. He loves animals so much. You know, he got his uh, facts straight, got his facts crossed. But who can keep their facts straight with this Biden administration, Right. Well, I trust people like um, like the Trumps, the Trump children, Fox mm-hmm. to, to keep their facts straight. They're pretty, they're pretty good at that. You know, they do get cross their T's and dot their I's and do their research when it comes to facts. Right. As opposed to the Biden administration, my head is swirling. It's just Kaylee McEnany who used to be the White House press spokesman, she said it best. We are eight months into a Biden presidency, Jesse. Wrap your head around that. We still have three (laughs) years and four months left. Look, when President Trump was president, you didn't see crisis after crisis. You just didn't see it. Right. I'm exhausted from this Biden administration, right? It's exhausting. I'm... It, I'm usually not uh, at a loss for words. <laughs> at a loss for words. Like, I, I, because you, you just don't know which direction to go. Like, you can't be sarcastic about that because she's already beat you to the punch. Right. So you can be more sarcastic. So then you want to be, I, I, I just can't even speak. That is, some kind of jujitsu she just did on my brain. Yeah, they they really are. Somebody was I was talking to an anti-vaxxer last night. I, a friend of mine, and it was genius. He said to me, the government is trying to kill us. To, so we get out of the way. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this is what what. And then he says, you know, they killed the Indians. They killed off. They try to kill off the African Americans after they no longer needed them as slaves. And I'm listening to him, and he's like taking my ideology. Like he, it's music to my ears. Yeah. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa! This is woke. Like you're a woke anti-vaxer, which he isn't. But he's. It's. They know how to bring somebody over to their side. But. But what Kaylee McEnany is doing, it, like, there, there's no difference. If she had said, yeah, what's with Biden? He's orange and he weighs like 300 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well have said that. And you go, well, 
no, that's not, you know, oh, and then like, what's going on with that hair? Even though it's good for the goose, on. it's good for the gander. Now, how does it feel when we call Biden an orange? Yeah, hey. and where, what is his wife is some kind of mail order bride? <laughs> I don't know where this doctor came from. Like, you might as well just be saying all that stuff. And you just, you know, I Holy mackerel. They project. Oh, so much. <laughs> it's project and deflect. Yeah. They, they just throw back what they are onto the other side. That's hysterical. Well, is Liam embarrassed at his sister? No, he's proud of her. Oh, he's very proud of her. Yeah. So uh, the 10th District of Texas has Congressman Mike McCall, and he's a Republican. He was on Fox News Mm -hmm. and Texas is getting hit by climate change. Louisiana, Texas is getting hit by COVID. I don't know if you heard about COVID. And here is what he here is his top concern for his constituents in the 10th district of Texas. Now they've returned and now they're under in, in Taliban's enslavement. And we know that they marry off uh, young women as, as young as 12, many times 14 years old. Um, it's a very sick culture and they treat women like property. I worry about the women I- left behind as well he's worried about the women uh in in afghanistan because the taliban they they treat women as property that's uh congressman michael mccall representing the 10th district of what state is that that would be uh texas texas interesting i don't don't know if you had to deal with the texas bureaucracy and the paperwork but i have not gotten a dime one i don't know how many names i've given them (laughs) i don't know how long it takes to get payment but really yeah oh and it's like you got to fill out all these forms and i'm you know doing it but it's just uh yeah so you turned in you turned in some people who helped out on an abortion in texas well, I assume they they will if they haven't already. I mean, I I, right. I just got a bunch of names and I sent them in. You sent them in. So how many names? Uh, a couple dozen. So that's like what twenty four thousand, two hundred forty thousand dollars you're owed, five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's somewhere up around a quarter mil. A quarter mil that you're owed by the state of Texas. Exactly. And, and they're not processing. You know what the problem is? It's the government. Yeah. See, that's the mistake. They should privatize the bounties. There should be some kind of bail bondsman who expands into bounties for dead fetuses. You can't trust the government to process your claims. Oh, you know how in Florida they're paying people (laughs) to uh, like hunt... uh, the snakes and mm-hmm. the gators stuff in the Everglades. Yeah. So there's a bunch of, you know, hillbillies out there. And, you know, <laughs> just get this image in my head of a bunch of hillbillies like holding up a, a fetus and going, I got one! 
Ten thousand dollars. You gotta steal it. Steal it. And you get to eat it. The alligator hunters who work for Disney yeah. World, they if they when they catch the alligator, they get to eat it. So that's mighty fine placenta. <laughs> Take a look at my belt buckle and my shoes. <laughs> are those are those placenta shoes? Yeah. You know, we should we should listen to these people more. You know, we we're, we're, we don't listen enough to the people of Texas and Florida. They're, they're good people and they care about human life. That's the other thing. They're protecting. If only you had some queued up thing to play. No, I'm just saying that you and I respect the people of Texas because they care about babies, right? They care about a lot of things. Here, here's and Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins. And this, I, now I don't know what the context here is, but I can only assume this is from Dallas. I suspect there is such a rush for abortions right now that the, the you know, before that bounty went into effect, I would yeah. assume the hospitals are jammed up with women getting their abortions before that law went into effect. Let's hear what he has to say. In Dallas, we have zero ICU beds left for children. That means if your child's in a car wreck, if your child uh, has a, a heart, a congenital heart defect or something, needs an ICU bed, or more likely if they have COVID need an ICU bed, we don't have one. Your child will wait for another child to die your child will just not get on the ventilator. Uh, so it, uh, that's uh, Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins saying there aren't enough ICU beds for for children in Dallas right now. Um, I, I don't I don't know if at this point of correction. He he did say that there are ACU beds. <laughs> I, I, AC, yeah, ICU beds. So those are the I, air conditioned. They're air conditioned beds. Yeah, maybe that's something different. Well, no, if you, it's it's a second tier of our medical. Uh, the ventilators, if you're rich enough, have air conditioning. They they you get air conditioned they oxygen. Pump cold air into you. They pump cold air. But this is what abortion has apparently. I don't follow Texas that enough, but there's a shortage of ACU beds in Dallas for children. It must be because of, of abortion. Right. I would get one if I could. <laughs> what would I, why else would there be a shortage of ICU beds in no other reason other than abortion, other than abortion? There is no other reason there would be any sort of medical need in a place like Texas for kids. For anybody, but yeah, for yeah. kids. And, and so I think. The ICU beds will open up once it becomes impossible for women to get abortions in Texas because it's sure the, that's what's been clogging up the whole hospital system is the abortions. You rush, rush for abortions. Everybody's getting them. Everybody's getting, you know, I you, didn't you say you were flying down to get one just because they're going to become uh, collector's items, right? I was I was I was flying down there with a, a legal pad and. 
paper. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm gonna have to cite you. Yeah. Can I see your vagina, ma'am? I'm gonna have to pull you over. This is great. This is great. Well, uh, we're in a uh, a war against good and evil. That's that's been going on for a long time. But Lindsey Graham is he believes in in war. Do you know who Lindsey Graham is? I do. Do I, but I'm not sure which side he's on. Uh, he, uh, I think he's on our side. He says he's on our side. He may not have picked a side yet. <laughs> no, I, I, he, well, you know what? He says he's on our side. He insists, uh-huh. and the people who vote for him think he's on our side. When he's in Washington, D.C. at a private bar in Georgetown, he's on somebody else's side. But as far as the he vote. He might be on the lap. I'm sorry. He might be on their lap. He might be on their lap. I I don't know, but I I Lindsey is is uh, on our side, and he's a you know he's tough. You know that, right? Oh yeah, he's a I, tough I, guy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to run into him in a dark alley. No, 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 no. Can you imagine running into Lindsey Graham in a dark alley by yourself? Woo! He's he, he, he would take care of business. He is all man. He is tough and he's looking to use his fist. You know what I mean? This guy, yeah. this guy. One at a time. Well, I'm sorry. One at a time. One at a time. He does not. He does not mess around. He gets right into business and he is all man, all macho. He is a Republican. He gave an interview with the BBC, which is kind of surprising that he would talk to somebody from Great Britain because they're kind of you know yeah, that, yeah little, you know uh, yeah British men are not they're not like Lindsay but anyway he gave an interview uh, today as a matter of fact and really? he yeah yeah and he wants it all he's not going to take it lying down he wants it all he wants to go back in Here's where we're at as a world. The Taliban are not reformed, they're not new. They have a view of the world out of sync with modern times. They're gonna impose a lifestyle on the Afghan people uh, that I think is is gonna make us all sick to our stomach. But most importantly, they're gonna give safe haven to Al Qaeda, who has ambitions to drive us out of the Mideast writ large and attack us because of our way of life. We will be going back into Afghanistan as we went back into Iraq and Syria. To the Hang British- on, you, are you, sure, you oh, seriously yeah. think the United States will once again- Will in, have to. In a foreseeable future, yes. put troops back into we'll Afghanistan? Will have to, will have to, because the threat will go so, will be so large. Why did we go back to Syria and Iraq? Why do we have 5,000 troops in Iraq today? Because of the caliphate rising, projecting force outside of Iraq, killing Americans, killing the French, attacking the British. So yes, it will be a cauldron for radical Islamic behavior. You cannot deal with this over the horizon. Here's my solution. Help the resistance in the Panjir Valley. The Taliban will not be able to govern Afghanistan. They're hated by the Afghan people. What's gonna happen over time is you're gonna see the resistance rise. ISIS will come after the Taliban large, 
and the entire country is going to fracture in the next year, creating a perfect storm for Western interests to be attacked, you can do one of two things. You can say, that's no longer my problem. Let it build and get hit or hit them before they hit. Hit them before they hit us. It's interesting. Uh, General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, says there's going to be a civil war in Afghanistan. And Lindsey Graham says that the insurgents are going to continue. How do you think they know? How do you think Lindsey Graham and uh, General Milley know that there's going to be a civil war in Afghanistan? Hmm. Well, that Lindsey Graham, he should be teaching a class. He should be uh, a professor somewhere. He knows a lot of stuff. Yeah. He, uh, he has his fingers on the pulse of, uh, of the uh, Afghan situation, I got to say. So he yeah, he, he's pretty wise because there's a there's a groundswell of support in Afghanistan for war. That's what the people of Afghanistan are screaming for right now is another civil war. If you speak to the uh, Afghan refugees, they're leaving. I think you said to me the reason they're leaving is because there isn't a civil war, because America isn't funding the 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 separatists, uh, the insurgents uh, north of Kabul. And and so if if we don't want refugees to come to America, we need to fund another civil war in Afghanistan and we need to send troops in there. Right. Look, it's never a bad idea. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, you know, I halfway wonder if some of these Afghanis are, are heading to America because they heard we're going to have a civil war <laughs> and they just, they want in, you know? I, I, I love the way General Milley and Lindsey Graham are able to predict a civil well, war. They, they, they got a pretty good track record so far. <laughs> right. So, well, I think Here's the thing. You can predict the future if you're creating the future. I was reading that the insurgents are they have enough money to hire lobbyists in Washington, D.C. to work K Street. Lindsey Graham is being lobbied right now by the insurgents who are being funded by, I don't know, Saudi Arabia. Who knows? They want Congress to pass a law so that the our arms dealers can sell weapons to the insurgents. They're already lobbying to sell arms to the insurgents in Afghanistan, and they got to Lindsey Graham. So he's out there pushing the insurgents, the need to protect the women of Afghanistan because our... Look. The, the, the Republicans have proven, if they've proven nothing else, they've proven how much they care about women. So <laughs> that's top, top of mind, top priority. What? what uh, by the way, but hold that thought for one second, because Lindsey Graham, nobody cares more about women than Lindsey Graham. Uh, he's a ladies' I, man. He's worried about well, the women of Afghanistan because he's a ladies' man. 
Yeah, I, I feel like I've seen him flipping through Glamour magazine, actually. <laughs> um, it, well, well, what does lobbying Lindsey Graham look like? <laughs> It, takes, it takes, mo- takes us mostly in his rotunda. And uh, then sometimes it... Right, right in the rotunda. Right in the rotunda. <laughs> right in the rotunda, Alan. He, he skips right to that. Okay. He goes right to that, yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So we're going to have a... There's going to be a civil war in Afghanistan because there's money in funding the insurgents. So there's going to be a civil war. And Lindsey Graham, and I'm just going to bring this up. I mentioned this on the show before, but it's important. In all seriousness, people like Lindsey Graham believe that war is a permanent state of nature. He does. And Bob Woodward wrote Fear three years ago. And in it, I never forgot this, and I cut out the clip. Trump, to his credit, wanted to end the war in Afghanistan. He says, when does this war against terror end? And this is from Fear by Bob Woodward. And it's just worth knowing uh, that the Fear came out uh, 9-12. That would be September 12th, 2018. So in the book, he writes that Mike Pence said uh, to Lindsey Graham, you got to tell Trump how this ends talking about Afghanistan. And Graham met with Trump and said, it never ends. It's good versus evil, and good versus evil never ends. He believes in a permanent state of war, Lindsey Graham. I'm being serious here. There are people, I know it's hard to imagine, but these people believe you have to make war all the time, keep your knives sharp, dull blades, make for uh i'm not, not going to do the blade joke but uh nope. just, nobody's ever called lindsey graham a dull blade is what i'm saying uh, i wasn't i didn't catch on until you said that okay uh, i it's interesting just that mike pence says you've got to tell trump and you can just stop right there like <laughs> right no, there is absolutely nothing anyone could tell that guy about anything that was going to matter. And the idea that Pence was still so thick after all this time, it's like, look, you got to tell. Like, <laughs> you couldn't tell that guy anything. Right. Mike Pence and, and Lindsey Graham off in the corner. One macho man to another macho man. You talk to Trump. No, you talk to Trump. There, There's a psychology there. If you're... If you've been traumatized, all of us have been traumatized, that life is a trauma, right? Uh And people deal with their trauma in different ways. Unfortunately, some of them acted out in politics, in war. And I used to think that was impossible, that people would act out their personal, that we had checks and balances to keep... uh, lunatics from acting out their their psychological defects in uh you know with our tax dollars but that's what they do you know yeah it's more depressing than even the 
rain and the flooding and the COVID and everything else. It's just just that that those people are in elected that people are electing them, uh, voting for them. Well, you know why it's more depressing than the flooding, the flood, the, the wars we created. The flooding, right. we had nothing to do with it. That's just the weather. That's not, <laughs> that's, that's nature. We can't control nature. That's beyond our, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm going to cry. You want to cry? Well. That's not true that we can't cre- control nature. What about climate? What about global warming? We're, we're controlling nature right now. Dorothy. Hi, uh, hi Dorothy. Yeah, hi. I'm, I'm good. I, I turned your uh, video off. Yeah. Uh, you're on at 630, I, correct? Yeah, yeah. But it's not 3 o'clock yet, so I just thought I would chime in. I didn't know if you're actually Oh, that's okay. That's yet. okay. And Dorothy uh, is leading a Liz Estrada movement for women to stop <laughs> sleeping. But, but that, that was something called sarcasm, Dorothy. Okay. That was All a joke. Right, sorry. It's always good when you have to explain to somebody. <laughs> well, saying that we can't control the weather, that's, a, that's pretty much of a meme. People say that all. Well, yeah. We need to stop saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, we control the weather. We, if you want right. to contrast it between controlling war or controlling and, and the weather, now we control both. Uh-huh. Right. To, in, in your defense, Dorothy, you, you came in in the middle, but it, the the tenor of the jokes have been that we okay. are taking the side, like a la the old Stephen Colbert, where we are saying the absurd thing. So we were okay. saying to make the point that yes of course we control what's happening with the weather we say oh but it's not like war we don't control right. the weather so it's okay, sarcasm so I missed the beginning i'm sorry it's yeah. sarcasm we're, we're being idiots on on purpose right and it's really easy for us because it's a short <laughs> we're dorothy we're saying things we don't mean anyway i'm really looking forward to talking to you at six thirty. <laughs> No, it's going to be fun because she's leading a movement for women to stop sleeping with men from Texas. So I'm excited about this. So this is exciting. Uh, So, Dorothy, we'll talk to you in about uh, 30 minutes. If it's okay with you. The uh, what's it called? The the La Strada. Liz Estrada was a play, I think, by Aristophanes. Right. And I saw somebody tweet, it might have been like Provenza said, you know, all the women of Texas should read that play. And I'm like, all right, you're asking me <laughs> Texas reads like this. You are you lost already. Yeah, I think the play is like women stop sleeping with men uh, until they stop going to war. Uh, but uh, here's my problem. And I don't know if we're at this point yet, but. I, I remember in the lead up to the election in 2016, they were just talking about how Trump couldn't possibly win because women hated this guy. And everywhere I looked on TV, I saw women with Trump sign. And with, there's plenty of women in Texas who are happy about this abortion law. You know what I mean? I mean, they're not going to stop sleeping with their husbands. Um, they're these religious kooks who are like, they want this. I'm not just advocating for Texas on that. I mean, this is kind of, I don't think it's going to happen, but I mean, I'm just not just advocating for Texas. I'm advocating the, in solidarity, all women right. in this country. 
Oh, on a sex strike until these guys stop acting like idiots. Right. And not just Texas. It's an American problem because they're allowing Texas to happen. Now, my wife is pro-abortion, but she seems to have gotten on this train <laughs> where she's decided to stop sleeping with me. Yeah. All right. I've met <laughs> All right. So All right. I can try to get share. Uh, I can get share. That would be That'll be Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll talk to you at 6.30. All right, Dorothy? All right, I'll mute myself there. Okay, thank you. Isn't that, isn't that what uh, uh, Archie said? Archie used to say. Stifle yeah, yourself, you. Edith. Anyway, uh, you know, we beat up on uh, the Republicans, but Chris Christie, in a suit and sneakers, appeared on this week with George Stephanopoulos. And he explained why abortion is not as popular as it was when Roe v. Wade was first passed. Did you know that? 38% of of Americans are against the Texas abortion ban. But Chris Christie says more and more Americans are going to be against abortion. And do you know why? Um, no, but I, I'm anxious to get some Science. information and facts. Science. Well, there you go. Out of nowhere, the United States Supreme Court decides that first trimester is not to be protected and they're moving forward. Science has changed so much since then. And what Kristen's talking about, I, I would argue, too, that one of the reasons why you're seeing a decline in abortion is because of the increase in science and how much more people know about viability. And when they know that, they're much more appalled by the act of abortion than they were back in 1973. Right. There's no science to back that up. But other than that, other than ignoring the science of that statement. Yeah, they they like to kind of, especially, you know, uh, Chris Christie likes to go with his gut. (laughs) As do a lot of things in his orbit. (laughs) So his gut is telling him. That that's what happened. Right. And and he tr- he trusts his gut. He's had bariatric surgery. Remember when he was thin? <laughs> Wait, he looks pretty thin to me now. No? Oh, well, yeah, he had bariatric surgery about 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, and the science was there. They explained the science. We'll, we'll shrink your stomach, Chris, and you'll stop eating. And... Uh, he looks great after how's, that. How's his balloon not doing? <laughs> so he believes in science, science, science. He's all about science. That, that's the Republican Party. It's again, it goes back to what you were saying about uh, McEnany saying, you know, it wasn't crisis after crisis when Trump was president. They, they just now they're claiming to be the party of science because we can hear a heartbeat now and they didn't have sonograms when Roe v. Wade uh, was passed. You had to stick your hand up there to feel the heartbeat. There was no, there were no x-rays. There was no way to hear a heartbeat in 73. 
Yeah, what they used to have was like a uh, a, a court uh, illustrator, like a guy who <laughs> was the people in the court, they look at the belly and they start trying to picture. That's that was the science back then. That used to have to do it. They had no idea. There were there were no life magazines. Uh, you know, in the 60s of photographs of little blueberry-sized fetuses back then. As a kid, I used to see those pictures. I saw I saw those pictures when I was a fetus. The girlfriend you were pregnant showed them to you. <laughs> <laughs> so we make fun of, you were making, and I took offense, because we have a lot of listeners in Florida and Texas and Louisiana and you're a coastal elitist and you're making fun of people who trap snakes and alligators and then eat them and you're making fun of their dietary habits and then you wonder why they hate you. Yeah. J.D. Vance, you know J.D. Vance? Yeah, he's an author and now he's running for something, right? Yeah, Yale graduate, wrote Hillbilly Elegy. Right. And really explained why poor white people uh, vote against their own self-interest. Did you read Hillbilly Elegy? I did not. It turns out white people vote against their own self-interest because they're stupid. And J.D. Vance is running for senator in Ohio for Rob Portman's seat. He's gone all in on Donald Trump because he's going for the white, stupid vote. That's He went to Yale, and he knows how stupid the rest of us are, and he's running uh, as a champion of the stupid. And he had a tweet over the weekend. I think it makes sense. This is J.D. Vance's tweet. Can you, can you read J.D. Vance's tweet for us? J.D. Vance at J.D. Vance 1. Alex Jones is a far more reputable source of information than Rachel Maddow. One of them is censored by the regime. The other promoted by it. Hmm. The regime. What is the regime? I don't know. Uh, it's a good band name. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. We should find out who the regime is because it, it feels like people like J.D. Vance are trying to convince us that there's like some regime that we might have to take arms against. But that, and, but he's running to be in the regime, right? He's running to be in the regime and he's going to destroy it from the inside, apparently. Nice. Yeah, he's exactly. There's this regime that has to be overthrown. And he said something interesting. He rather get his news. A, this is a, a Yale graduate, best selling author wants to be the senator from Ohio, he'd rather get his news from Rachel Maddow than oh, who? Um, than who? Um, Alex, he'd rather get it from Alex Jones than from Rachel Maddow. Really? Yeah. Have you ever seen Alex Jones? Uh, only clips that I've seen on Twitter and uh, whatnot. Yeah, I don't watch Alex Jones, so we have a, a clip. Let, listen, if I'm, if I'm missing something... I like Rachel Maddow. I think she's could be 
tiresome and she's too rich and she doesn't talk enough about Medicare for all. And she's anti-union because her writing staff, as I understand it, is non-union and she makes $30 million a year. and She's over. But, but, but we like Rachel Maddow, nevertheless. I, I, I trust the things that she says are true. I do, too. I do, too. Or the things that her non-union writers write right. for her are true. Yeah. Agreed. Right. So let's see. Now, Alex Jones, let's see. Let me play. I've never seen him before. Maybe we should be watching him. Overhead shot, please. You know what this is? This is ivermectin for humans. You want a Nobel Prize as an antiviral. Ivermectin for humans. Do you know anything about ivermectin? Um, I, my understanding is that if you're going to take ivermectin, you want to either get the Cool Ranch or the honey mustard. <laughs> uh, that's that's about all I know. Well, no, no, no Iver, I, I do. I, I heard that it's it's a great drug. I, I actually honestly um, I will pull out my um, gentleman farmer credentials. Yes. Uh, I used to have ivermectin because I used to have to give it to the goats. You used to give it to the goat. You mean like, oh, so it was like like penicillin for syphilis after you gave it to the goats. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You both would take a little ivermectin to kill any STDs. Um, no, I gave them penicillin for that. <laughs> but, uh, for the worms. So you, yeah, you would give them ivermectin. You would give ivermectin to the to the worms. And, you know, I I remember reading about ivermectin years ago because it's a miracle drug because it it not only removes the parasites and worms from animals, but also human beings in third world countries. So it's it's a great drug, ivermectin. I have a horse one. I'm about to pass a worm that could win the Belmont Stakes. <laughs> right. But whoever invented ivermectin, discovered its properties, deserves all the accolades in the world, right? Well, well as they say on Fox, they should win a Nobel Prize. A Nobel Prize. Not a Nobel. No. A Nobel. Yes. For nobility. But, so I guess he's unwrapping ivermectin. He must have a horse that has worms or he must know a third world child who has worms. That's let's see. So he's uh, talking about I hope he's saying ivermectin is safe is I hope it's a it's a healthy drug. So let me show you. I was going to do this anyways earlier. See this. See this, Fauci? You see this, Bill Gates? I'm going to kill those prions, you bastard murderers. You're going to hit me with a bioweapon, you monster. You want to suppress me? You want to kill me, you son of a bitch? You goddamn demon? You think I'm easy to kill? Think I'm going to roll over to your crap? No. And Joe Rogan kicked your murdering ass, too. You'd love to bury him, too, you little monster maggot. He's in this National Geographic piece about, oh, I don't usually deal with my enemies right away. I get them later. Yeah, you creep up on with a poison injection, dressed up in a lab coat, you little Joseph Mingala, Nuremberg code violating monster. You damn monster. See our little cancer proteins like that. 
Nobel Prize winning for humans. 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 What, 2005? Nobel Prize winning for humans. Oh, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. He went and drank the horse pace. He's stupid. I bet he got it from Alex Jones. They're both so dumb. They're both going to be dead. Yeah, that's why Joe's worth like $300 million. Yeah, he's real stupid. That's why he lives. Yeah, that is. Uh, so J.D. Vance says Alex Jones is a far more reputable source of information than Rachel Maddow. That's J.D. Vance. Graduate of Yale, best-selling author, says he gets his and he's running for the Senate in Ohio. And he's saying as a, that he'd rather get his information from Alex Jones than Rachel Maddow. Uh, let me play a little Rachel, Rachel Maddow in comparison. Shall, is it OK? Yes. Let's, let's, Nobel Prize winning for humans. 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 What, 2005? Nobel Prize winning for humans. All right. That's. They seem similar. Yeah, I, I can't tell the difference. Yeah. Hmm. That is uh, J.D. Vance's source of news. Well, Alex does his research. <laughs> you know that. You know. The guy is a font of information and facts. Well, now what's going on here? He, was he taking ivermectin on his show? That's what it looked like to me. Does he have worms? Uh, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was taking ivermectin on his show to prove that ivermectin is safe for third world children who need to get rid of their parasites. Correct. I don't, you'd have to ask, why don't you get Alex Jones on your show? You could kind of straighten some of this out. I, I would, I would, I'd be honored to have America's number one source of news, or at least J.D. Vance's source of news on the show. He, he is kind of, a, he's, he is our Walter Cronkite, isn't he? He is. He is. Yeah. And he says that it, now he says ivermectin, apparently he's taking ivermectin. Somebody just texted me. He's saying ivermectin kills covid well uh if you take too much of it it'll kill everything including you but uh he says this about the guy who discovered ivermectin nobel prize winning for humans 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 what 2005 okay so it they won a nobel prize for humans there's a, is there a nobel prize for like other Species for, for livestock. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. So uh, it's safe to take for COVID because the guy who invented and discovered it won a Nobel Prize for uh, for it. And he's a human, I guess. And he's a human. Uh, you know, as far as all this, uh, the COVID, there's uh, there's a lot of people succumbing to the COVID. And I will just say that, it, you know, if you it's a good time to be an aspiring right wing radio host is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> they tend to be dying off. They're, 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 yes. There's, yeah, there's a, I've seen a help wanted sign. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, they Every week we read about an anti-vaxxer guy like Alex Jones, who is, the, you know, 
looks like, you know, in great health. Alex Jones has no comorbidities. And uh, but they get. So if you have a so you should just anything that won a Nobel Prize in medicine. You should just take it. You should just take it. Just take it. Take it. Yeah. Because it kills everything. Ah, clearly brain cells. Yes. Yes. So that's the Republican Party. And Mitch McConnell, you know who he is? Yes, I'm working on my Mitch McConnell impression. Oh, can you, you want to debut it? Uh, OK, well, maybe I, do you, you have some. Well, he, he, he is, you know, he's a good man. He's a Republican and he's an intellectual and he's trying to figure out what's going on with covid. He doesn't understand. Huh? Good timing. Yeah. Yeah. A year and a half into this, he doesn't understand Kentucky, the, the people in Kentucky, his home state are taking ivermectin instead of, uh... anyway, he's confused. Honestly, my friends, it never occurred to me that we'd have a challenge getting people to take the vaccine. But that's where we are. 90% of the people in the hospitals are unvaccinated. We have a crisis of the unvaccinated. And so we're all, I think, perplexed as to how we tackle this problem. But clearly, getting more and more Americans vaccinated is the only way to end it. Hmm. Clearly, we're clear. We're clear. <laughs> you got to try to like swallow your molars while you're talking. <laughs> I don't understand. Wow. Breaking the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't understand why people aren't getting vaccinated in his state. He doesn't understand why Republicanly led states are having trouble getting people vaccinated. That's just where we are. <laughs> One of the great mysteries. One of the great mysteries of life. Why do southern states have these high infection rates? Mm. Why do you think? What could um, it be? You know, I don't know. I don't okay. know either. I don't know either. Maybe it's about freedom, John. Maybe it's something with that smug look on your face. Maybe it's something you don't understand. Maybe COVID hates them for their freedom. COVID, exactly. COVID hates them for their freedom. So if you take the vaccine, what happens? You don't have freedom. They don't have freedom. You don't have freedom. And COVID wins. And COVID wins. COVID yeah. wins. When you get the vaccine, COVID wins. And there are some good, good Christian police officers out there who are not taking it anymore. I don't know if you've heard of this officer, Zachary Cohen. He's a Christian cop from Oregon, and he was suspended by taking to social media while he was working to brag about defying Oregon's vaccination mandate. If you want to be a cop in Oregon, you got to get vaccinated. Here we go again. Next stop, concentration camps. This is it. He's a 29-year-old Oregon state trooper. 
And he posted a video saying he wasn't going to get the COVID vaccine because he's a Christian. Well, you got to respect that, right? In all honesty, I have just... Did, has this guy, did he take the polio vaccine? Did he, does he have kids? Did he, he was a... He was, Bella he, and- he got the vax, the polio vaccine when he was a kid. He didn't have his own agency back then. His parents right. abused him. He regrets that. Of course, wouldn't you? If your parents forced, that's that's a trauma that he's never recovered from. And, and the smallpox vaccine, the booster shots. Remember, we used to get them as kids and how we cried. That's trauma. Child abuse. It, did they? Yes. You want to watch his? Uh, oh, please. Yeah, he recorded a video. Well, while he was working. This is how important his job is, that he took time uh, away from uh, harassing unarmed black men to record a video explaining why his religious convictions and his quest for freedom prevents him from getting vaccinated. He's had enough. And we should listen to him because he's an officer of the law who has people's lives in their hands. Play it true, brother. Yep. This is a, this is a state trooper from Oregon. And you and I, we've done the Foxtrot together. We, we've gone, we've traveled as stand-up comedians and we've driven through Oregon. Two in the morning, you get pulled over by this guy. He can do anything to us. He's got your life in his hands. He is at two in the morning on a dusty back road in Oregon. He is God. Let's listen to him. The governor elected to this beautiful state has ordered medical workers, teachers, and first responders to get the vaccine. I have personal and religious reasons as to why I will not take the vaccine, but also the freedom to choose not to. I'll likely get fired over this video, but I'm nonetheless exercising my First Amendment right to speak freely. I've fallen in line for over a year with these useless and effective mask mandates, and I will no more. I will not sit back and sheepishly watch as those who serve the people of this state are given unlawful orders which threaten their livelihoods should they choose not to fall in line. Discretion is one of the most important parts of my job as a police officer. I will use that discretion, and I will not enforce useless mask mandates or unlawful vaccine orders. Doing so is discrimination, which I would be fired for if it were any other discriminatory subcategory. Miss Governor, I think you've forgotten that you were elected by the people, therefore you work for the people. The title governor does not give free reign to force medical decisions upon us. Police officer or not, an oath is permanent. I'll stand the blue line for the people I swore it to. If you're watching this video, I encourage you to look deep down and decide if you're going to fall in line as sheep or if you're going to stand up for the rights that we have for the short time we still have them. 
if you got the vaccine out of pure choice, that is your freedom. But if you got the vaccine out of fear, be careful. You are slowly giving up the freedoms that so many have fought for. Now, that is a 29-year-old state trooper from Oregon. Last summer at this time, Black Lives Matter, they were protesting in Oregon. It's still going on. Let me ask you a question. Are you black? Me? No, though my daughter used to think I was. Okay. Uh, If I were black and I was pulled over by that guy, because let's say an air freshener was dangling from my rearview mirror. Uh, I would trust that guy to treat me with respect. I wouldn't be afraid of that guy. He seems like a pretty reasonable guy. He seems like he's got it together. Christian cop, Zachary No Cohing. This I can't believe People were taking to the streets last summer to complain about cops. He, he's got it together. Look, fully, fully 30 percent of what he said made sense. He says yeah. discretion is the most important part of being a police officer. And nothing yeah. screams discretion more than pulling over to the side of the road to record an anti-vax message for Instagram. He, he apparently uh, understands, I think, that he has the discretion to get fired. <laughs> I, I believe that is what's going to happen. And I believe that is what should happen. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, the quicker he can uh, get to the Capitol for the next uh, insurrection. The insurrection, of course. And that's what's going to happen is you get fired from the military or the police because you won't get vaccinated. And as my friend Tom from Portland calls it, the, the debathification it's the debathification. These vaccines will be the debathification of our army and our police, just like we that did. Guy is such a, 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 a monument to the Dunning Kruger effect. Like, <laughs> could that guy be any more condescending about how much he knows about everything and how little, like these useless mask mandates? Like, <laughs> Everybody knows that. I mean, come on. <laughs> he, he's so condescending uh-huh. and he's so wrong about fully 70% of what he was saying. Right. And he could not be more smug. Right. The guy who doesn't trust authorities is right. an authority. He's got the badge. This motherfucker with my wife and kids in the van is going to pull me over and just stone face me may i see license and registration sir why are you pulling me over i'm a jew from the license and registration sir that that he would just stone face me and tap on his stun gun well 
he has he wants complete control over his body. We I know we have to wrap it up. Do you have, can I get five more minutes with you? Sure. Uh Five more minutes. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I got a, a message from my wife. Hold on. A message from your wife. Oh, oh, that's very sad. What? He overdosed? Yes. Oh, did you ever watch The Wire? Yeah. Michael, the, the guy who played Omar, who, uh, and then he was in, uh, he, and he was uh, in, uh, um, uh, on the night of is that what it's called? On the night of, the night of. The night of. It was a, he was in and he was in Boardwalk Empire too. Omar, he just died of an overdose. It's really sad. Of what? Uh, uh, what did he overdose on? Yeah, I, I, we. I don't know. She just heard and just told me. Very sad. My, I have to go comfort my wife. Well, well, uh, in five minutes. In five. five <laughs> what am I? Come on, don't make me. Are are uh, very sad. We'll find out more about this. Um, all right, let's switch. Let's get back to uh, doing the news here. Okay. Uh, real news, uh, fake news, whatever. Um, here's the thing I noticed about Officer Zachary Cohen, 29-year-old state trooper from, uh, from Oregon. Look, he wants control over his body, right? He wants to be free. I'd like control over his body. He is. Well, no, I think he. But let's. What do you notice? The governor elected to this beautiful state. What do you notice about him? What? Um, what? That you, you think he's overweight? Is that what you're going to go Well, I, I think he does have a comorbidity. For a 29 year old, he, he should drop a couple of. I mean, what? He's, he's not. He's not too far. Yeah, but it would have been nice if he got out of the car to record his farewell. But what do you notice that he's wearing? He's got a badge. What else is yeah. he wearing? Looks like he's got a, a bulletproof vest. Yeah. What else? A, a American body camera? A what? Body camera? He's got a body camera. Uh, and he's making good use of his other camera. This is good. That I think he's using his body camera to record this. He's got the American flag. But what else is he wearing? What? Just tell me. I don't know. A uh, what do they call them? A seatbelt or it's an over the oh, shoulder seatbelt. It's, a, it's yeah. a shoulder restraint. Yeah. I won't wear one of those because those give you um, shoulder cancer. Uh, that's what I read. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, so did you know this? I mean, it, it's a slippery slope from forced vaccine mandates, right? Have you heard? Do you know about the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration? Never heard of it. It's, it's part of the regime. It's part of it's part of a deep, dark state. The old regime again. Yep. The regime. And it started with the, the I just read about this. Listen to this. Look at this. This is from a National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And it says a warning. This is like Nazi Germany. No seatbelt, no excuses. Click it or ticket. Buckle your seatbelt or get a ticket. And that's from the deep, dark state. They're saying they're making this poor officer. He's a he's a, a state. Tr go ahead. 
You know what I would do? What? I would get, I would take the vaccine and I would put it on that seatbelt <laughs> so that it would absorb through his skin. You <laughs> would, would have to, it would, the seatbelt itself would be giving him the vaccine. Yes. Yes. Because clearly he has no problem putting the seatbelt on. The, and, well, uh, so, yeah. And not only does he wear the seatbelt, he pulls people over, especially black drivers, to see whether or not they're wearing seatbelts. And if they're not, he asks for license and registration, pulls them out of the car, and they spend a night in jail. The hypocrisy on his part, he's, he's part of the deep, dark state. It's terrible. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like these football players who won't take the vaccine, but then are are happy to, you know, get shot up with steroids and and then go out and get a head injury. <laughs> you know. All right. Very quickly, because we're at we're out of time. Uh, very quickly. Time. I, I have something that I have three things that I've been waiting for you to see. OK, now remember, Spencer. Richard Spencer. Honest, like, this is where this is where we are. I've given conferences for for ages, and uh, we'll usually expect some protesters. They'll do silly string or something like that. We've entered this new world where the leftist protesters. No, I'm not a neo-Nazi. You like black people? Well, why do you? Why do neo-Nazis love you? Not a neo-Nazi. Neo-Nazis don't love me. They kind of hate me. Actually, NATO's people don't like me. Are you like the hipster version of the neo-Nazi movement? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Okay, so that's Richard Spencer. He, he's a Nazi from Whitefish, Montana. And that happened in 2017 when President Trump was being inaugurated. And they, they punched a Nazi. And, and I want to go on record saying that punching a Nazi doesn't work. It, it is, we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't laugh at it. We shouldn't encourage it. Do you agree with me, John, that punching Nazis is wrong? Punching Nazis is wrong. Laughing at punching Nazis is wrong. Playing it over and over and over and over again is okay. <laughs> I know. I just want to show people that sure. Richard Spencer, we have a First Amendment, and you know, punching a Nazi in the face is you're no better than your father or my father who stormed the beaches of Normandy to kill Hitler. Didn't your father drop bombs on the Nazis? Uh, he was a navigator for planes that did just that. Right. You can't freeze that at the moment of impact, can you? Yes, I can. But the point I'm making is if you punch a Nazi like Richard Spencer in the face, you're no better than John's father or my father who went overseas and wasted perfectly good tax dollars to punch Nazis. It's wrong. And there are better ways to, to fight Nazis, John. Did you read this article in The New York Times? How a small town silenced a neo-Nazi hate campaign. A Montana town reflects on its efforts to drive former President Donald J. Trump's extremist supporters back to the fringes. It's a great story in the New York Times about the Jews in Whitefish, Montana. Who would ever believe that Jews would live in a place called Whitefish? But it's also where Spencer and his family lived and they broke him. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. How did they break him? They sued him. He, he and the Nazis were, were threatening a real estate agent in, in Whitefish and Montana's governor 
uh, Steve Bullock and con- the congressional delegation and the attorney general, they published open letters and, and they said Nazis are not welcome in Montana. And they publicly shamed Spencer and they began lawsuits. The, another group of uh, Nazis joined Spencer in Montana, Mr. Anglin, and they sued him for $14 million in damages. And he had to go into hiding. And now we have a trial in Charlottesville, October 25th for the Unite the Right rally, which ended up killing Heather Heyer. You went, didn't you go to University of Virginia? I am a cavalier. Yeah. And we are the, the we the the left is suing the right into oblivion. It works. This guy, Spencer, had to get rid of his lawyer because he can't afford him anymore. He's broke and divorced. And that's how you you don't need to punch Nazis. You don't need to punch Nazis. You, you need to relax and go to Disneyland. <laughs> This is a fight. I stand corrected. That's Disney World, where a fist fight broke out. Go ahead. Is one of them a Nazi? <laughs> no, it's just people. It's a you know. I'm saying don't punch Nazis. Punch ordinary Americans, or take in a football game. Who? who what's the team in Los Angeles? Well, there's a couple of teams in Los Angeles. Uh, I guess the the Chargers move up there and also the Rams. This must be, well, who cares about football? Who cares about what's going on on the field when this is going on in the stands? I'm saving the best for last. This is the best. This is okay. the best. Okay. Uh, and then you have to guess the headline, and then you then you're dismissed. Okay. The Washington, not the Washington, the New York Post is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Who gave us Fox News? So I'm going to play you the clip. This is a a. Uh, well, let's trust your own eyes. I'm sorry. This is this is a uh, Pittsburgh Steelers Steelers game. Pre- I think this is preseason still. Yeah, yeah season starts Thursday. And, and there's a, a a blonde white woman who who seems to be uh, having some kind of conversation with a young African American male. <laughs> Get 
All right. I know you have to go and we have a guest waiting. I have to play this again. And I apologize to the podcast listeners. You're just going to have to. We're on YouTube. Look this up because you have to. Who hid whom first? Pay attention to this. Who hid whom first? And try to imagine you take this woman out as your date to see the Steelers and you end up having to fight some guy. And while you're trying to fight him, watch what she does while you're trying to 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 salvage what's left of your manhood. Watch what happens. I love that. The guy, she says to the guy, sit down. She says to her boyfriend, sit down. Like he's, he, he gets. I, I didn't hear that. I saw her trying to yeah, keep those two apart. Look, they're all just getting ready for the season. <laughs> this is, these are early days. They're trying to, you know, feel each other out mm-hmm. and get, get themselves in shape for, for the real punching once the season starts. Right. Would you agree that the African-American gentleman, uh, did not hit the girl? Uh, yeah, I, I, he might have early got one uh, a lick in, but but he seemed more to be going after the dude. Did, did she uh, punch him? In the, she slapped him in the face. She slapped right? him in the face. And then the guy yeah. stood up, and, and this is the headline from Rupert Murdoch's New York Post. Man punches woman after she slaps him at Steelers game. Man punches after she slapped. That's how the Washington Post. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, I'm I'm not really interested in watching this thing like the Zabruder film. I am. I am. Well, then you let me know. All like, right. Thank you ended. for happy Labor Day. Sorry, tell your lovely wife. I'm sorry about well, the news. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Johnny um, Ross, uh, follow this brilliant man on Twitter at fun with friction. We will be right back with. Thank you. You're listening. John Ross, thank you so much for helping me out on Labor Day. It's always great to see you. John Ross. You are listening to the David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com, Wednesday at 2 p.m. Slavo Zizak is going to be our guest. We're going to record an interview with Slavo Zizak. And if you would like to attend a live taping of our interview, our conversation with him, we're taping at 2 p.m. We're going to run it for Thursday's live taping as a pre-tape and then it'll be on friday's podcast if you would like to attend the taping perhaps ask some questions go to davidfeldmanshow.com and hit the attend a live taping button we'll send you an invite we will be joined by 
Professor Ben Burgess, Professor Adnan Hussein, and hopefully Professor Ann Lee. It will be an amazing interview with Slavo Zizek. When we come back, we will continue to talk about Texas and the abortion ban. We'll be right back. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. Now tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Welcome back. Welcome back. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Howie Klein is coming up in about 15 minutes, and Dorothy Rick is about to join us. Uh, I have two... Did you join us? There you go. Hi, Dorothy. You have to unmute yourself. There you go. I don't know why I'm on twice. That's okay. Uh, Dorothy is president of, is it the Progressive Democrats of Santa Monica Mountains? Mountains. And so you are a progressive Democrat? I'm sorry? That is true. I'm a friend of Alan Minsky's. And your friend of. I was in the Progressive Democrats before he was. Right. And now he's the executive director. You're upset about Texas. I'm going to play dumb, which isn't hard for me. Why are you mad at the men of Texas? What did they do to piss you off in Santa Monica? Uh, it's not just the men of Texas. It's the legislators of Texas and it's the Supreme Court. So it has to do with the abortion ban. Right. And so Texas passed this bill. Is it the fetal? uh yeah, that's the fetal heartbeat. So if a, a fetus is how many, eight weeks? Six. Six weeks. Well, they say it's not really a heartbeat. It's just an electrical impulse that they're hearing, but uh, they don't like to let the science bother them in Texas. Okay, and so you're uh, suggesting that women in Texas do what? No, I'm suggesting that all the women in this country go on a sex strike. I mean, this is a very old idea. It comes from the ancient Greeks. It comes from the Sistrata and Aristophanes. And he wrote the play. And the idea is these strikes have been held before, but they've always been about stopping wars. So now we have a war against women. So I think it's appropriate that we do this again. Uh, but it will require a massive strike, not just Texas, because the whole country is involved. 
Right. They're complicit. A lot of the other states are have laws that they're ready to uh, they're ready to put in place. Now that Texas has gotten away with this because of the way they've written their law, which leaves no nobody to sue because usually you sue the, the entity in the state that's enforcing the law. But they're, the law is not being enforced by the state. It's just allowing vigilantes to sue people they think are involved some way in an abortion after weeks. But let me ask you. Let me let me ask you a question about this. Let me ask you a question about this. Are there going to be pro-abortion passports for men like me? If I can prove to you that I'm pro-abortion, I don't get a a stamp of entry. No port of entry. If it's going to work, it has to be massive. It has to be absolutely. For everybody, all women have to do it, and I'm sorry to say that if if it were to work, I you know it's kind of a fantasy on my part. Although Alan Minsky has just agreed to uh, turn me on to someone from the Women's March, so maybe um, it won't be such a fantasy. But women have to stick up for themselves. I agree with you. Talking about controlling their bodies. I agree with you. And well, you can control your body. By not sleeping with someone who can get you pregnant. I, mean, I guess if men want to go get themselves fits, then they can have all the sex they want. But, but but what about men like me who want women to have all the abortions they want? Why do we have to be punished because some men are pigs? Well, because that will motivate you to tell other men to do the right thing. So and I'm the men, victim. Wait, you're blaming the victim here? We need you to be an ally. So it's my fault. Oh, hang on for one second. You're not going to sleep with me because men won't have sex. So I'm being victimized for the behavior of other men. Poor baby. I I feel so bad for you, David. I can't even tell you how bad I feel for you. But look at me. Do you think I could do to be so upset that they get other men to do the right thing? So we can't give a pass to any man, really. That's that's the way it has to work. Suppose I I have video of me driving a woman to a Planned Parenthood center. Doesn't matter. What about abortion? It's going to be a sex strike and it's going to be effective. It has to be a a general strike. It has to be for everybody. And that's the way it will get the momentum for you guys then to call your congressman and call your senators and maybe call the president and call whoever you can call and say, Put an end to this. Give these women their abortions because I don't like this. What, what about abortion That's how doctors? It works. What, would would you would you even punish abortion doctors? Abortion doctors, I'm sure, would support this, and would voluntarily go without just to support the women's movement. You know, look at how upset you're getting already. I I don't I didn't do anything. I just kept my mouth shut while other people. I kept my mouth shut. Punishment. Collective punishment. I I sat back and allowed it to happen. I didn't do anything. That's right. You did. Sat back and allowed it to happen. Evil happens when good men do nothing. Right. But I'm not a good man. I just well, didn't do anything. Men do something. I didn't do anything. I just sat back. Well, and you did something because obviously you wouldn't have this mess if all the men in this country didn't want abortion laws. Why? I'm pro-abortion. Laws. I have a Netflix account, and, and I, I was I rather binge watch Cheers than worry about the 
plight of women. You have lots of times of being brought steered when your wife won't have sex with you. <laughs> that is a that's redundant. My wife won't have sex with me. Uh, I'm not married. So then, why are you complaining if she's already on strike? I, I'm not married. And oh, you're not married. No, well, and look at me. You don't have a girlfriend either. So what do you? What do you? Dorothy, so you don't have anything going on. So. Dorothy. Mm -hmm. You, you are president of the Progressive Democrats of Santa Monica Mountains, correct? What is your Twitter handle? How do people contact you? How, how do people contact at, you? At, at Dorothy Wright. They can email me at Dorothy Wright at the initials of the club, pbsmm.org. Okay. I, with, you know, I don't think you've thought this, especially for me. Look at me. Do I look like a man who can go without sex. Do you think I've gone without sex for long stretches of time? I have no idea. Well, I mean, obviously a man of my stature with a podcast as huge as mine, women- Look, you, you understand what I'm saying. What no, I'm you saying don't understand. You think women are gonna stop throwing themselves at me. Well, you, th you really think it's that easy to tell a woman who sees me no, on the this street? Is, if we, this is gonna be very difficult to, to do. A guy like As me? As a matter of fact, the people, some people are worried because a lot of women they are telling me are, are obliged to have sex with the people they live with because they have financial reasons or because they fear physical harm. All right, that's, so that's a really sad statement. That is about sad. Our society. That, that 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 I agree with you. But I'm talking about David Feldman. Look at me, Dorothy. Why does this have to be about David Feldman? Because this is about women who can't get abortions. It's not about David Feldman. Uh, but what about women who can't have David Feldman? I walk the streets of Manhattan. They'll survive. You, really? You think but you're not going? You're not going to. You're not going to go and get illegal abortion. Get and get infections and wind up in the hospital or maybe dead because you didn't have sex with David Feldman. I'll tell you something. But you can suffer severe harm or you can have an unwanted child, which is a sad thing for you and for the child. You know, in Texas, that, that law does not even have an exception for rape or incest. You could be a 13-year-old girl. That one person just wrote, you could be a 13-year-old girl who got raped by her father and she goes to get an abortion. Her father can sue whoever tries to help her. I mean, how absurd is this? This is really, it's not anything to be making light of. And I'm not joking, but I wrote the article. It's kind of a little tongue in cheek, but it, this, is, this is a serious situation. It here. is. It is. And, and I agree with you. And women need to stand together. And maybe we need to do this. Maybe we need to just say, look, we're just going to say no until you let us have, to, we, we're going to control our bodies the way we can since you won't let us control our bodies by getting an abortion or getting birth control pills or getting a morning after pill or whatever we need to control our bodies after you have had your way with them. We're just not gonna let you have your way with our bodies and we're gonna control our bodies that way. Now you and I, I don't know how old you are. I'm old enough that when I was a teenager, there was no birth control and there was no abortion. And we just said no, because in, in those days, Having an out-of-wedlock baby was not a thing. Movie stars didn't have out-of-wedlock babies. That's why they all got married so many times. Every time they got knocked up, they had to get married. Right. So this is a serious business. It's not to be made fun of. I wish that we could pull this off. If we can pull it off, it will work. 
Well, I, I, it's so- very hard to get women together to do this because they're under a lot of pressure from the men in their lives not to do it. It is, it is a serious, and I, I do support you. What about, can I go to Canada to have sex with a woman? You know, David, it's, 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 you can go, to, why don't you go to, um, <laughs> you want me to go to hell? What? Pregnant, they'll really be in trouble. Right. Well, I mean, they're putting women in jail for having yes. miscarriages in this country because they think it's an abortion. Really? You know, this is, yeah, yeah. This is serious business for women. Okay. And men don't take it seriously because men can't get pregnant. What does somebody say? If men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. <laughs> How are abortion rights in California? Abortion rights are fine in California, but women of California have to stand with their with their sisters in Texas and their sisters in Oklahoma and and um, South Dakota, wherever they're going to oh, wherever they're going to to start making copycat laws for the ones in Texas. Right. And in addition, the horror of it is the vigilante system that they're using to enforce it. So that people are spying on their neighbors. People are suing their neighbors. You know, they're progressives need to do this we need to outlaw guns in some states and then go around suing anybody who's got a gun for ten thousand dollars right the whole thing is ridiculous what about calling for a boycott what about boycotting texas that's not gonna that's not gonna help we need to get this law passed in the congress that's gonna out that's going to make abortion legal in every state and why didn't the democrats do that because they, they're, they're something called Republicans. When, when we, this is a filibuster. This is a, all, everything that's going on right now, everything that's holding up all of our pro, all of our legislation has to do with filibuster. Right. Joe Manchin, cinema. But I'll tell you that Joe Biden has not said that he opposes the filibuster yet. We don't have voting rights. Right. We don't have our, our infrastructure bills passed. But I mean, the Democrats did have labor bills passed. We don't have any of the bills that the Democrats promised they would pass. The the Democrats did have a filibuster proof Senate kind of briefly sort of with Obama for a few months. Right. Well, Obama was inexperienced. He didn't know how to take advantage of it. He got all hooked up with his health care bill, which was good that it passed to the extent that it did. But I mean, the Democrats have had a better bill passed if he didn't want to be bipartisan. The Democrats have had since 1973 to canonize Roe v. Wade, and and they didn't. Um, they didn't because nobody believed it would happen. Women kept saying it's going to happen. They're going to overturn Roe v. Wade, and they and, and people were in denial. They didn't right. think it could happen, and they certainly didn't think it would happen in the middle of the night without even an opinion. Yeah, didn't Reagan get a, in 1973? It seems to me Reagan got elected as a pro-life candidate by 1980 he was elected in 1980 he was elected he got elected president running as a uh, pro-life candidate right howie klein's uh how you on filling time howie has a power outage and uh yeah so you may have to can you kill a half hour with me Sure, I'll give it a shot. Okay, let's go back and let me pretend I'm against your idea. Uh, so tell me we about. Can move on to other things. Let's too. talk about uh, Tom Hayden. Did you know Tom Hayden? Uh, I didn't know him all that well. My friends knew him really well. 
Uh, I actually had a fight with Tom Hayden just before he died. He actually had one of his public last public appearances up at my house. Uh, We gave him an award, uh, our Lifetime Achievement Award for our club. And he came up and he had said he was never coming to Topanga again. He got mad because some 9-11 crazies interrupted an event that he was at in uh, at the, our community house about uh, our Afghanistan. Right. And uh, he, he uh, came up and he was had, had his stroke already or his, yeah, mm. with his stroke. Yeah. And he gave about a 45-minute talk under this canopy and he was holding on to it to keep himself erect and he just went over his whole life and it was, it was incredible. He, I actually wrote the obit for him for Howie. Uh, he was just in your life. He was just there. He was always a part of your life. Even, even if you didn't, even before I knew him, there was always Tom Hayden. He, he was just the guide of our lives for those of us of a certain age. He wrote the Port Huron statement, which right. in like the like nineteen sixty one or sixty two, he got invited to the the Kennedy White House by Arthur Schlesinger. Can you imagine uh, somebody writing about a youth movement, outlining what the youth movement would be, and he gets invited to the the Kennedy White House because Kennedy wanted to hear his thoughts. And he goes on to have a career outside the system and inside the system. That that book was like the story of our lives. Right. You know, it just... uh, it was our narrative that we lived, and it was um, heartbreaking. I got upset with him when he wrote an article for The Nation supporting Hillary Clinton, and he wanted me to come up to his house to tell to tell him I was sorry that I, whatever I wrote something or what year something. Hillary Clinton uh, against Obama? Um, in 2016, right? You didn't support Hillary Clinton. Bernie. Hmm? He didn't support Bernie in 2006? He did support Bernie, and at the end, he capitulated under pressure and wrote an article for The Nation supporting Hillary, and I I was beyond upset, and I, and he he summoned me to his house, and I didn't go. So you, yeah. you felt that after Bernie didn't get the nomination? He supported, it was during the primary, it was at the end of the primary. When, when... Was it was Bernie out by then? Was Bernie out of the race by then? No. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Um, and, and so I know new people who worked for him. Remember you talked to Susie Shannon with uh, Alan Minsky? Yes. I was at the restaurant that night. Oh, okay. I was there. And uh, yeah, a bunch of us there. And. Uh, she worked for him for many years. Mm-hmm. Very, very. If you wanted someone to talk to you about Tom Hayden, right? You would be the one. And tell me about your president of the Progressive Democrats of Santa Monica, which is where Tom Hayden, I believe, he represented Santa Monica. The Santa Monica Mountains. He was our he was our assembly person, right? For a long time. Yeah. The recall. How's it looking for Larry Elder? I think that Larry Elder was the best thing that ever happened to Gavin Newsom. <laughs> at, at one point, the polls look like Larry might beat Newsom. What does it look like now? 
looking like Gavin's going to pull it out. You know, a lot of people are like, he doesn't deserve, you know, he deserves to be recalled, but not if we're going to get Larry Elgin. You know, people right. are there. The big fear, of course, because Larry is about the COVID response and about if Diane Feinstein were to not be able to serve and we had any Republican, that's why it's so annoying that some people are saying, well, Kevin Falconer is not that bad. You can vote for him, right. but he will still appoint a Republican senator. Right. The only safe backup vote is really this uh, crazy young guy named uh, Kevin Patrick. Right. Who's right. a very right wing Democrat, but he has promised to appoint a Democratic senator if he were to get elected. So we don't know if he has a chance or not. It looks, it looks to me like uh, like Kevin's going to pull it off. We're talking with Dorothy Reich. She, am I pronouncing your last name properly? Yeah, right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, I have a problem with your John Lennon poster behind you. I, I, you know, he is a problematic figure. You do know that, right? What You're, did he do to you? It's what he did to Cynthia. What? His wife? Cynthia, which Cynthia? Cynthia Lennon. First, yeah, his first wife. Left her. He what? For Yoko. Because he left her for Yoko? Worse. Left his child? Worse. Yeah. He did the... It was pretty bad what he did to uh, Cynthia. Yeah, but he was, uh, he was a peace activist, so mm -hmm. I have to support him for that. Yeah. Imagine there's no countries. You know, every time you see what's going on at the border, right. you see what's going on at the borders in Europe, you what people drowning in the Mediterranean trying right. to get to Europe from Libya. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's Labor Day. And if you would like to, uh, we have a, a Zoom studio audience who uh, yeah. have joined us. They've been kind enough to come if you'd like to raise your hand and talk to Dorothy or me uh, or ask some questions in the Q&A. Let's see what we have in the Q&A. And uh, a question from Joe in Norway. We have listeners who all the way in Norway. Joe in Norway asks, do you know which states are next at risk for such laws? Florida, Georgia, Oklahoma, South Dakota, uh, those seem to be the ones that have already passed laws. I think Tennessee, maybe, Mississippi, all the southern states. Right. And a few of the Midwestern states. But these are not popular laws. This is what I don't understand. It, it I think it polls with a 38% favorability. You have to understand that Democrats have dropped the ball on local elections. There was just a big article in The Intercept about Steve Bannon calling on all Republicans to come and take over their local um, GOPs. And Democrats have allowed, after in 2010, we allowed the, uh, the Republicans to take over the state legislatures. And they gerrymandered the, the states to such an extent that, that they can do whatever they want, pretty much. And Democrats can was in Wisconsin that the Democrats way outnumber the Republicans, but the Republicans have two thirds of, of the state legislature. Right. Just barely squeaked by and got the governor. So what is so we know what's wrong with the Republicans. And, and I one of the mistakes I made up until this year is I just accepted 
that the Republicans were, you, you couldn't, there was no salvation. And I got too cool for school with Fox News and right wing propaganda. And I didn't pay attention to it. I, I'm paying attention to it now because it's what we have to defend ourselves against. I, I was kind of, right. I, I, I was naive by not watching Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and these crazy evangelicals and these crazy Orthodox Jews who are who want this country to become a theocratic fascist state. So and and I've spent way too much time beating up on the Democratic Party and not enough on the Republican Party because I, I figure they're they're helpless. They're hopeless and helpless. But when you're up against something as craven and malicious as the Republicans. You need a Democratic Party to counteract that. That's is equally uh, ferocious, but for righteous causes. I'm not saying that. I'm no, saying they they they're 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 in denial. They're in they're denial, or they don't care. Well, I think they would care if they thought that this could happen. They're, they're in denial. They don't understand what the Republicans are doing. And, you know, it's not going to happen fast. Uh, you know, Timothy Ryan wrote a whole book about the steps towards fascism. And, it, you know, little by little by little, it's happened in Hungary. It's happening in, in Europe. I mean, this Trump has really created a terrible situation. So you can look what happened with Orban. And that's how it happens. Little by little, they 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 just they they disempower their enemies, and soon you have an election that doesn't that that's a one party election, and that's what we're looking at here. If anybody listens to a guy named Ian Masters, do you know of him? Yeah, I'm trying to get him on the show. Talking for you. I'm sorry. Uh, so he's been covering this with a lot of really intelligent and. Um, thoughtful people and we're just we're on a slippery slope here and now it looks like they they're going to be able to gerrymander again because the democratic party doesn't understand that the voting rights bill is more important than the infrastructure bill now i know the climate change could destroy the planet but if we let republicans get in power we're for sure going to have I don't like to call it climate change. I want to call it global warming like you should. In fact, I yelled at Robert Reich at Occupy years ago when he started saying climate change instead of global warming. And I'll give you one guess. Who who coined the phrase climate change? Frank Luntz? Yeah. Frank Luntz, the guy with Frank the toupee? Did, that's right. He the said that, that global warming sounded too scary. And they should call it climate change. You want to hear a really funny story about Frank Luntz? I can't hear you. And then I'll tell you one. I'll tell you a really funny story about Frank Luntz. He is the uh, Joseph Goebbels of the Republican yeah. Party. Dr. Frank Luntz. Mm -hmm. And he went to Oxford. I believe he met Josh Hawley. I think they. I, he ran into... He, he knows a lot of right-wingers. But he's well-educated. And he's Jewish, and that's why I make it a point of calling him the Joseph Goebbels whenever I see him, of 
the Republican Party because uh, I'm Jewish and he should know better as a Jew. Uh, you know, it's Rosh Hashanah. We believe in the word and for Jews to pervert words and language. You, you know, we don't excommunicate, but that is a sin to do the work of Joseph Goebbels, to take words and give them different meanings, because once language breaks down, society breaks down. And that's what Frank Luntz studied at Oxford, how to destroy language. He wrote the contract for America with Newt Gingrich and Ariana Huffington, who you must love. She's from your neck of the woods. The horrible A Ariana Huffington, whose uh, husband, ex-husband. She was a Republican until she decided she was a Democrat. Right. And her husband uh, never got prosecuted for. Well, anyway, uh, there were some parties, her husband, the boy parties that her husband went to. You know about those? Gay. I didn't know no, no, but parties. there's gay, and then there, there's the boy parties in Hollywood that he went to. Uh, so that was her husband, and uh, so anyway, Frank Luntz. This is a really funny story about Frank Luntz. He is against Medicare for all. He is uh, for the free market, and this is really funny. So I had him. Uh, he was on a radio show I did, and he had a stroke. Yeah, but it gets funnier. It's funnier uh, uh, than, than, than Frank Luntz getting a stroke, which he called a brain blip, uh, which sounds, I'm making that up. Uh, but uh, he did have a stroke, and he said on the show that he was traveling overseas and he forgot to pay his insurance premiums. He's a multimillionaire, Frank Luntz, multi, multi, multimillionaire. And he was busy traveling, I think, to, to Saudi Arabia or where does NYU have their school? Abu Dhabi, some oil state. Some place over there. Yeah. And he didn't pay his insurance premiums and his stroke ended up costing him. I guess he had to go out of pocket because he let his insurance lapse. And I said on the show, personal responsibility, Frank. What about personal responsibility, Mr. Contract for America? And I was told that wasn't fair to say that to Frank Luntz. Life's not fair. Yeah, that wasn't fair to say well, that. I heard to about this, yeah. Now he's all... For Medicare for all, probably. No, 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 no. No, the stroke didn't do that much repair. Remember the Woody Allen movie? His brain didn't get repaired. His brain didn't get repaired. Remember the Woody Allen movie where the son had a brain tumor, and when they got rid of it, the son had been a right wing, a right winger. When brain tumor was removed, he became a Democrat like Alan Alda and the rest of the family. I forget what movie that was. Well, it was Alan Alda. Was it Crimes and Misdemeanors? I don't remember. They were in New York. Then I remember. Yeah. So. Uh, so I met Frank once briefly because guess who brought him to a campaign rally at Santa Monica High School? Let me guess. It was either Stephen Miller, Breitbart or Ariana. 
No, it was Gavin. Gavin Newsom. And he claimed he didn't know who he was. Right. And he didn't know who Kimberly Gargoyle was when Gavin Newsom was married <laughs> to Kimberly Gargoyle. Right. This so, is a man um, who was married to Don Jr.'s Yeah, yeah. Wife. Did you read all the stories about her in The New Yorker, about he ran around naked and made all the women tell her what a beautiful body she had and everything? A couple million dollars in sexual harassment suits. Yeah. That's Don Jr.'s soon John to Jr.'s be. Don Jr.'s new, new right. girlfriend. Hasn't married her yet. Gavin married her. He, yes, he made her a dishonest woman. <laughs> Go ahead. So so Gavin Newsom. Was having, I forget, I guess he was starting to run for governor or something because he uh, just came to, that was the whole, the whole thing, that he was just there with Frank Luntz. And when I said to him, what are you bringing Frank Luntz to a Democratic Party event? Um, he claimed not to know who we want. Hmm. Luntz is onomata poeta. The the thing that sounds like it he he is a Luntz. Like if you look at Frank Luntz, <laughs> if you had to come up with a word for Frank Luntz, you would call him a Luntz. Yeah. Luntz. He's a Luntz. And I was really happy that you mentioned that article in the New York Times about our friend Spencer. Yeah, that was really interesting. Read that article, yeah. That was a very brave Jewish community in Whitefish, Montana. Uh, I always say if hard, these Jews moved to Montana because the place was called Whitefish, and then they found out it was a neo-Nazi haven. But they did... They stuck Renee together. The gefilte fish. Uh, are you Jewish? I'm sorry. Yeah. How would I know? Oh, I don't know. Of course, people. Jewish. Yes. And when is Rosh Hashanah? So, uh, you have to speak up. Tonight. What? Starts tonight, right? It's the Jewish New Year. New Year. Yeah. I'm not. I was not raised very religious. I was. People tell me I should take time off for Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Now they call it. Uh, in honor of my father. And my father, I said, my father would be rolling in his grave if he thought that I took a day off from my, my business because I own my own business for Yom Kippur. He never did. And that's and why I he's dead. Also. God punished him. That's why he's he no never did. He did. died of I think Alzheimer's, really. I was in California by then. But he never took a day off. He would not hire Jews because they took too many holidays. That's sweet. He was a, that's <laughs> what how, a sweet that's man. Jewish I was raised. In my family, the Seder was a buffet. What a <laughs> sweet man. He won't hire Jews. Yom Kippur, uh, I recommend Yom Kippur. It's a great holiday. It really is. And it's I a just, good holiday for the Jew, for teachers. They would all come they back get the day off. the next day. Yeah. So... Let me, let me tell and you something. It's good for the teachers who work because you got to sit in the auditorium every day. I think you got paid double or something. Let me I mean, tell you about Rosh Hashanah and cultural Jews like you. Want me to set you straight? Did you go to Hebrew school? My father would not let me go to Hebrew school because he said they would teach me to hate everybody. Because everybody did the Jews dirty and they would tell me all about it and it would make me hate everybody. So you're a foul weather. I call people like you foul weather Jews. You, you, you I'm, I'm not. I'm just Jewish by birth. I'm right, not. but but you don't celebrate being Jewish. You, you're a foul weather. Jew. The only thing you celebrate about being Jewish is the anti-Semitism 
and the grief instead of the, all the joy that comes with being Jewish. You're a foul weather Jew. It's sad. It's 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 sad when you see what's going on in Palestine. You're a foul weather Jew. You are. This is and and. So you don't appreciate lots and bagels, right? You don't appreciate all the good that comes with being Jewish. You only focus on the Holocaust, Gaza, anti-Semitism. You don't focus on the Talmud. I don't focus on anti-Semitism. I don't consider myself anti-Semitic. No, no, no. But you, but when you self-hating Jew, no, no. I don't focus on anti-Semitism. I just focus on trying to get the Jews who I identify with, obviously, to do the right thing. And it breaks my heart to see what they've become. They become they're becoming the thing that they ran away from. They're be, and, and it's it's heartbreaking to see that. Right. But that's not and all I there is. I wish to that be. they would just end the apartheid and and they're they're capable of building massive apartment complexes. I know because I work with a lot of Jewish builders. And they let everybody come home. Let them have when Peter Beinart says that Palestinians deserve the right of return then you know that, that we're making some progress in, in that. In that you should extend to Jews the same courtesy you extend to every other religion, which is to, you should know that there's more to Judaism than Israel. And the, there's, more to, Juda- there's more to Judaism. I, there's more to Jews, Judaism than the crazy Orthodox Jews. Who, won't get, who also won't get vaccinated. You're a foul weather Jew. See, this is the, this is the problem you know, of, and, and of who, Jews who, not who going to also he- oppress women, and it, it makes <laughs> You're a foul the religious the religious Jews do. Yeah, they make them sit on one side of the temple, and the men sit on the other side of the temple. It, it, it make them shave shave their heads, wear wigs. They make they have they don't use birth control. I mean, I, all you know I, about I, Judaism is. The, the negative side of it. Well, there's I'm, I know there's positive sides of it. Name one. Sure name one. Name that, one positive thing about Judaism. Huh? Jews have a good sense of humor. That's all. See, this is the problem with not sending your I'm kids. A, I'm a. I'm a. I'm not a religious person in at all. I'm. I'm secular. Right, but this so, is the problem of not sending your kids to Hebrew school because they don't learn what the religion is about. But I don't, I'm not religious. If, if I were Catholic, I wouldn't celebrate the Catholic, you know, if I had been born I know, Catholic, but you I should know, celebrate But Catholic. you should know, you should know about the Talmud and the Old Testament. You should know about the tradition. And you know, religion is not, I'm interested in a lot of things, but I'm not that interested in religion. I'm not interested in Jewish religion. I'm not interested in Islam. You know, I'm just not, it's not my thing. So you can't, you can only just do so much. You can only just know so much. So I appreciate that you want to enlighten me. And I'm sure that people in other religions would want to enlighten me about the good things about their religion. Right. And all religions have, have, have joy and all religions, all, all people have their, their, their problems. So, uh, we all need to get together and we all need to be one one people. We need to understand. We need to understand everybody's religion, including our own. So I just want to make an announcement. We need to understand everybody's humanity. OK, so, Dorothy, I just want to make an announcement to everybody. OK, so do you know about 
making amends for the Jewish New Year? To make amends, you're supposed to tone on Yom Kippur. Right, but do you know how, you, how you're supposed to make amends during the holidays? What you're supposed to do? Well, actually, I heard that you're supposed to walk to the water to throw away your sins, and these Israelis that I met actually walked to the water, and it turned out this is when I was way young, and that just these these bunch of but you're, you're, let me let me let me tell you what. Uh, what am I making amends for? No, well, hang on for one second. You can't in Judaism. You can't walk to the water and throw away your sins. The only way you can ask God for forgiveness is to apologize to the person who caused you harm, Ooh, who you caused harm. harm to. So, in other words, if I say, so if I didn't cause harm to anybody. Then. Let's say, let's say, you know, I, if I go to temple and say to God, please forgive me while Dorothy was doing my silly podcast, my friends broke into her house downstairs and stole her stereo equipment. Please forgive me. It would be unacceptable. I would have to ask apologize you. Apologize to me. I have to apologize to you. Just asking to be forgived for something you did is not good enough, you have to make amends. So, let me just say to everybody who's out there, you know my number, call me to apologize. You can call me and apologize for all the horrible things that you've done to me. My line, my line is open. And- uh, who, who had that comic thing, 1-800, I forget, forgive you. We had the- I am phone. having a spiritual moment, Dorothy. There was a comedian who did but that. I'm he having that a sp- line. I am. He I had am. that line that he had 1-800 and people would call 1-800-FORGIVE. I forget who it was. Which comedian did that shtick? You know, it was a late night comedian. I have no idea. All I'm Maybe saying. it was Johnny Carson. I don't know, but you're interrupting a very Sorry. sacred moment, Dorothy. There are, many, there are many people who have harmed me in this past year. I thought you were kidding. No, I'm being very serious. Many people have hurt me and harmed me. And as the sun sets and the the book of life is being sealed, you owe me an apology. And I expect people to call me. You can't ask God for forgiveness. I have to forgive you. So you know what you did to me. You know who you are. <laughs> My line is... So, right. but which comedian did that? Show? I don't know what you. I don't know what you're talking about. Which it was comedian? a comedian that had the phone on the desk and it would ring and it was what? It was a, a to for, to ask for forgiveness. It was a. I don't remember which comedian it was. It was so he would you know he would pick it up you know one eight hundred. So it's one eight hundred, and he would forgive them. Yeah. For their sins. Yeah. So it was like he was a what like a priest. I think it was a Jewish thing. Really? I can't remember who did it. It was, okay. you know, it's so long ago. It was like a little desk phone with the, you know, that would bring you pick up the receiver. You know, the, you know what I think, stick. Dorothy? Are you married? Hmm? Living with somebody. I live with somebody, but I'm not married. No. Oh. And you're not married. On this show, I apologize to my listeners. You're living in sin. Is what you're saying. I'm sorry? Not quite. 
You're living in sin. All right. We'll be back with more of the Chabad telethon. (laughs) Okay. Dorothy, thank you. You were a lot of of fun, and thank you. So uh, if you'd like to help Dorothy, stop having sex. That is uh, is Dorothy's message. Stop having sex. Stop. What about women having sex with other women? They can't make babies, so. What about men? You know, now you do know, did you ever read Plato's Symposium? So long ago. All right. So Aristophanes in Plato's, he wrote Lysistrata, correct? And Lysistrata is this play where women decide to stop having sex with men until they stop making war. Right. So in Plato's Symposium, uh, Alcibiades, the great Greek general, shows up. And you have uh, Aristophanes and all these people sitting around in Plato's symposium, having a symposium of love, talking about love. What is what is the the greatest form of love? And I think Aristophanes. Anyway, you know what turns out the highest form of love? And man to boy. Man to boy. So well, there you go. Well, this, this is so if I'm going to accuse you of promoting uh, man boy, you're, you're with Nambla, basically, is what I'm saying. This is obviously you're, you're, I didn't say anything about boys. You said man to man. Well, you, you're bringing up Liz Estrada and Aristophanes. The logic know, that flows from that is the North American Man Boy Love Association. And I, I am appalled. I'm appalled that well, you would come up. I'm not up. accepting that. And I will just say again that if anybody's interested in, you know. We're, I we're, think you're an agent. more stuff out about, about trying to right this terrible wrong that's being done to the women of this country by depriving them of the right to control their own bodies. And while we're waiting for that to happen, we can control our own bodies in the way that we can, that we don't need permission from the state to do. Okay. I'm auditioning. I'm auditioning to fill in for Tucker Carlson, okay? So I'm gonna accuse you of being a secret agent for the North American Man-Boy Love Association, and then you are tricking liberals like me to agree to women no longer having sex with men until every woman can get an abortion, but that's part of your plan to get us to join the North American Man Boy Love Association, because it all goes now, back. Part to, of my plan to get you to call your congressman and your senator. That I think this is. I think this is a false. And the man. You're misrepresenting man, your you agenda. Have to call Chuck Schumer. Nope, you're misrepresenting. You're in New York, your, correct? Aren't you in New York? I don't tell my listeners where I live because I'd be dead. Uh, well, I believe you live in, in New York, and you need to call Chuck Schumer and uh, what's what's Maloney. Maloney is mine. Tell them that they need to to start pressuring their friends on, right. in the Senate to uh, to pass this law because the, the Congress will pass it. Okay. Judy Chu has has a bill. Okay. We need to get the Senate. To... David, it's been a pleasure. It's I'm been sorry, a pleasure. Thank you so. Uh, you were uh, a lot of fun. Invite me back again. I'll invite you, you back. Thank you so much. And thank you. progressive Democrats. Of Santa Monica. Thank you so much. Santa Monica. I'm also on the executive board of the California Democratic Party. Oh, oh, good. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's get some Thank more you. Democrats. Do you know David Cobb? No, David. He's up um, in Humboldt. I, 
He, he I don't worked. believe in the Green Party. David, become a Democrat, get on the field, stop standing on the sidelines and throwing, throwing whatever. You need to get Well, you really know how to try to uh, get somebody involved to start off with an insult, Dorothy. Good job. Is, there's Good no job. I tell you. Get off the field. Get off the field. You have no idea what I do, lady. You have no fucking idea what I do or who I am. There's two teams on the field, the Democrats and the Republicans. <laughs> okay. Thank you. You were a lot of fun, Dorothy. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Hi. <laughs> that was fun. Howdy, David. It was yes. That is Dorothy. She has an interesting idea. Uh, she wants women to stop sleeping with men until we, we, my, you want me to start my video again. Uh, I'm sorry. Is that God? God is a woman. Do you? No, we're 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 good, Dorothy. <laughs> got a thing to start my video. No, no, it's okay. We're 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 good. We're we're gonna move on. All right. Thank you. Okay. Later. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Dorothy. <laughs> uh, it's good to see you, David. Uh, David Cobb is a member of the Green Party who does not fetishize electoral politics, even though he ran for president on the Green Party ticket. He also managed Ralph Nader's uh, Texas campaign uh, in 2000, and he is an activist up in Humboldt County, an advocate for public banks and a whole host of uh, things, including a big event. What, when is your next event? You know, the next thing that I'm doing, David, that uh, I'm pretty excited about is working with the Transition U.S. for Regenerative Community Summit. So uh, that's that's coming up. But the other thing that's coming up that is like just happening all around me is fascism. Right. And it's the new I, thing. Uh, it's, it's the new thing. It's a crazy thing. Right. What's old say, is it new. Was really interesting. Like. To come on, I, I, you start off with Aristophanes, then you go to Mambla, then your guest starts off by just profoundly insulting me. And, you know, I, I, I guess I've kind of ruined my good David uh, monitor. No, it's okay. Yeah, I, 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 we have to be careful getting mad at people who want the same things as we do. They just disagree on how to get there. I, I would say that if you sat down with Dorothy, if I sat down with Dorothy, we all want the same things. But we're uh, and so and and one of the things I do that I'm guilty of is because I can't control the right wing because they won't listen to me. I fight with my own. Democrat on Democrat violence, left on left violence. And I'll say something that Harvey J.K. said, which I thought was absolutely brilliant, Professor Harvey J.K. F all this fighting. It don't mean shit if you're not talking about unions and labor. That, that, the, that, that what it gets down to, according to Professor Harvey J.K., who is, you know, a brilliant Marxist historian of Marxist historians and a professor of democratic studies. Uh, 
he's concluded after all these years that the answer is democracy and unions and everything else is noise. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, when you first began, I thought, oh, hell, uh, Feldman is going to quote me to myself whenever I talk, like, because it is normally the approach that I take. So I will admit, you know, it wasn't my greatest moment uh, just then. But, you know, uh, it, it is. You're a human after, being. After you're a, a human. But you're a human being. Yeah. You know, uh, but I will say this. I, I First of all, happy Labor Day. Happy New Year, right? Like September 6th is a red letter day, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you know, we got uh, the Jewish uh, New Year starting and Labor Day. And I especially um, appreciate this idea of Professor K that says it's about democracy. And when, when Professor K says unions, I suspect what he means is anything where you're actually organizing workers, right? So uh, not just the, the traditional CL, uh, CLC or the AFL-CIO, but the reality is organizing people where they have power, right? So if that being the case, I would agree, democracy and uh, organized power. Mm-hmm. And it's worth pointing out that, you know, like as we celebrate Labor Day, let's remember that this is the Labor Day that the corporate Democrats gave us to subvert May Day, right? Like, again, like there's like- Go on, explain to- that. Explain that to me for a second. Right, so, yeah, so uh, just for folks who don't, uh, who don't know the history, the reality is that throughout the rest of the world, Labor Day is celebrated on May 1st, May Day. Why? Because the Haymarket massacre in Chicago in this country during the global fight uh, for a 40 hour work week, uh, there was uh, a huge demonstration and protest. Uh, uh, It's sort of shrouded in mystery about who fired the first shot. But one thing that we do know is that the Chicago police and the Pinkertons and the other gun thugs opened fire, uh, killed a bunch of folks uh, that the, what are known as the Haymarket martyrs uh, were were tried and convicted on at best flimsy evidence, uh, and that really unleashed the next phase of the movement. Uh, May Day is celebrated, literally commemorating a moment in U.S. history, uh, right in Chicago, celebrated throughout the world as Labor Day, May Day, and to circumvent that to depoliticize it to 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 take the sting out of it in the united states led by corporate democrats or neoliberals or however you want to sort of describe that uh you know the sort of the milk toast uh democrats uh went along with republicans uh to create uh the first monday in september as quote labor day so i just really think that it's worth pointing out as we celebrate uh labor day uh, we're not just celebrating uh, the, the concept of organized labor. We're actually celebrating people who were willing to be militant, to be disruptive, and literally put their bodies on the line uh, in order to challenge the the status quo. So today, and if you look at I, and I if you look argue, at if you look at Marxism and the union movement, they studied America. Uh, I think Owen. There were people, the, the, the communal arrangements that were set up in the United States, I believe Marx and Engels, I'll ask, are Marxists, but they, they studied uh, the, the labor movement here and the, the communes here the same way Hitler studied our eugenics program. 
Listen, I mean, well, look, the, the thing about Marx and Engels, it, one of the many things about it is that they studied everything, right? right. And I think that one of the things that uh, gets me is that uh, there is such a dogmatic reaction uh, to Marx, uh, either positively or negatively, right? Like, uh, and I think that for me, what I, what, uh, I find helpful about Marx, the same way I find Milton Friedman helpful, right, uh, is to actually uh, apply a lens. One thing that I think Marx helped me to do as I studied Marx is you don't take the world as you want it, you take it as it is, right? right. And then you try to figure out why things happen and what, like, what can you do, right? So, you uh, know, uh, to me, one of the things that, that I realized in today's historic conjuncture, this sort of moment of great uh, chaos is anybody who thinks that they have a dogmatic sort of like this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens um, is suspect to me, right? Uh, whether they are a Marxist, whether they are a liberal, whether they are anything. Uh, one thing, the, the, I guess the one thing that I do agree, and I'll fall back on uh, the professor you quoted earlier, the answer is democracy. The answer is to order organize and educate ordinary folk, right? Mm -hmm. like that's the way forward. And I don't believe in a dogmatic approach to Marxism. I do believe in a revolutionary process. And I agree that there are times in history where there are great openings because there is great chaos. And we are in a moment of chaos, uh, David. Uh, and uh, it's why I think that we have both it's incredibly dangerous, this historic moment, right? And I do, we talked about this before, but I really believe that we are going to either see some version of eco-socialism or some version of fascism because the degree of polarization uh, and the fact that the old system is dying and a new one is still struggling to be born. Yeah. How do you explain some of the, I hate to use the word quotidian, but the day-to-day -day, uh, exchanges that we're having as human beings and, and the fighting amongst us, uh, we, we, have, we need solidarity and we don't have it. We don't, I, I, I hate to bring up your moment, uh, something snapped and you re, you know, but this is happening more and more. We're being divided. At the top of the show, I was describing a conversation that I had with somebody I I really like, but I don't discuss politics with with this person. But I I he's one of those people who, if I were in trouble, he would come and get me. I was describing this friend who lives in upstate New York, and she was telling me, oh, I looked at my window during the torrential rains and my neighbor was taking buckets out of the basement and carrying up wood, trying to save the, from the flooding. And I said, what's missing from this sentence? And she said, what? Finally, I went outside and helped him. Like she said, I watched him for three hours trying to rescue his basement during the flooding. It never occurred to her to put on some galoshes and help her neighbor. Uh, all she could do was tell me how bad the weather was. We have forgotten how to help one another. So this guy I talked to the other night, if my basement were flooding, he would help me <laughs> get all the bodies and make sure we can 
push them back down so the police couldn't find them. But he's the kind of person who would help me. And yet he's he's a reluctant anti-vaxxer who said something. And this is why I bring it up. It was ingenious what he said to me, what he, what he is being taught by the right wing. He said to me, the government is trying to get rid of us. And I went, uh-huh. They've always tried to thin us out the way they got rid of the Native Americans, the way they got rid of black people after slavery. You know, they want to kill us with this vaccine. But he started what I thought was really interesting. And the genius of it was he was coming across as woke. He was a a woke anti-vaxxer who was saying the government killed the Native Americans with smallpox. The blankets with smallpox. They did the they did the Tuskegee syphilis study with African-American men. And 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 I thought, well, wait a second. How can you be a woke anti-vaxxer? That's you're bleeding. I don't know how to. It's confusing. This is Steve Bannon. This is the right. They're very, they know, you know, that's why Tucker Carlson is so fascinating. They cherry pick things from our vocabulary and use it to bring us over to their side. Uh, What are we up against here? Well, it's interesting. I'll actually acknowledge part of the reason I came onto the programs already. Sort of. Yeah, go ahead, please. I would. Yeah, well, it was because I just had a conversation with my brother, who I love and adore, who is an anti-vaxxer, and my eighty-year-old mother lives next door to him, right? And I like so, like I like. I am at the end of my rope with 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 that whole thing. And I literally just had that conversation with him. So I, I I'm just acknowledging I stepped into this space, not my normal self. I was already on edge. So, you know, Dorothy, well, what, what about was- what about going at why can't our side and there there is our side. We, we do have a side. Our side oh, yeah. is we know that the vaccine is a godsend that you should never trust doctors or the pharmaceutical industry, but the- oh, No, 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 you should never trust corporate pharma to be sure. I do trust my physician, I know her, right? I have a relationship with her. So I just wanna say like, I guess that's the thing, right? Like, and yes, the, the Tuskegee uh, Airmen, like the, the, the list of all the things you just described is absolutely accurate. But I think that what is really important to recognize is, yes, that there are uh, progressive populists who are anti-vaxxers who, in my opinion, are profoundly confused, right? I I mean, uh, and there are plenty of conspiracy theorists on the left. I mean, I know that you know them. Hell, I've I've made the mistake sometimes of scrolling through the chat while we've been, while you and I've had the conversation. You've got some of them uh, in your audience, David, uh, who really tilt towards the conspiracy uh, theory end of things. Uh, But having said that, what we know is this, there is science, right? and the science associated with the climate catastrophe, the science associated uh, with COVID and the vaccine, 
that like science does is not really about politics, right? It's just a way of understanding the world, right? And it's based on you create, uh, you you have theories, uh, you you collect data, you do experiments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there is actually like, it's not a political side when it comes to the COVID vaccine, because we know that there are plenty of conservative Republicans and right wingers who are in fact vaccinated. Right. right. Now the right has uh, definitely following Trump's insanity uh, have politicized it, but it doesn't po- like the science is not political. It is the response that is actually political. So you've, you've described how as a candidate, and an activist, you can walk into any bar and talk to anybody and find common ground with them. Yes. Why About certain things? Yeah. Why aren't we going after the anti-vaxxers? If you don't trust big pharma, then come come to our side. We don't. We're, we're against. We are the party. We're the side that is against big pharma. Why can't we get the anti-vaxxers? to support Medicare for all? Is it because they just don't trust medicine? They don't want Medicare? They don't want doctors? They don't want- That's a great question. You know, honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. You just posed a really profoundly interesting and challenging question, right? Like, how can we get uh, the, I don't trust big pharma or big government, uh, and then they've concluded with, uh, therefore, anti-vax, how do we actually say no, no? Like we're with you, but you've made some mistakes in your uh, in your logic or your narrative, right? And I don't know the answer to that. And I'll be honest, I've been trying to figure it out and crack that nut. And all of the the well, the why isn't anybody I'm- saying when Rand Paul goes on the mainstream media and he's an anti-vaxxer, people are not asking. Well, so you don't trust big pharma with the vaccines? but you trust them to price drugs fairly when it comes to Medicare. You have no problem with Medicare Part D, what the Republicans passed under the George W. Bush administration. You're okay with Medicare not negotiating with the pharmaceutical industry. You just don't trust their product. But when it comes to money, they're honest. Is that what Nobody ever asked them. That's a great question. It would be wonderful to get somebody like Rand Paul uh, in an actual, uh, uh, you know, deposition or uh, an opportunity to actually ask questions that he was obliged to answer. Because the question that you just asked is absolutely the right question. It's the like line of questioning, right? Remember, Rand Paul's a doctor, right? Like, uh, you know, the guy is, and again, I. I can never tell with people like him uh, how how much he's really sincere when he uh, the the positions he takes and how much it's just pandering uh, to the right wing base. I, I honestly can't. You know tell. what? I, I I thought about that, and I think that what happens is people like Ted Cruz who graduated from law school and Josh Hawley who graduated from law school. And these are these, they, you know, Harvard, Yale, people who graduate from medical school. I think they're capable of a 10-year moment of clarity. I think they can be clear-headed. I think they come from trauma. I think they come from abusive homes. And 
pure adrenaline gets them through college and law school or medical school, and they're thinking clearly enough to get their degrees and get the licenses to practice. And then the adrenaline wears off and they revert back to the source of their trauma that that Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and uh, and Rand Paul, they go back to who they were before the adrenaline kicked in that propelled them through either law school or medical school. And they become now they become assholes who can speak in Latin, you know, bigger assholes. That's my right. theory about these people. You know, it's interesting you, you, that there's probably that narrative uh, or that perspective or that lens probably explains some of it. The other thing I think is worth noting is, you know, I say that I can go into any pool hall or bowling hall and find a common ground. Um, that's a bit of hyperbole, isn't it? Right. Because there are some like there are some issues that because of where you start, there's just never going to be common ground. One of the examples abortion right uh or and in fact we even fight over uh is it pro-life or pro-choice right because how the the one side or the other believes that however you set the frame will actually be the winner but the reality is i want to be crystal clear and blunt i've already made up my mind it is a woman's right to choose period full stop it's an issue of bodily integrity no amount of persuasive argument, no amount of listening to me and then trying to get me to see the other side is gonna have me break on the other side, right? And I think that that's true for the other position as well. There are some things that are just, that really are sort of black and white, right? That there's just not a way to uh, to get to the other side of it. And uh, it may that may be the case uh, with the anti-vax movement, right? Like there's just, like it's so dug in that there is just like this is the answer so it may well be that that uh yeah i don't know i'm just i'm kind of spitballing with you david yeah. right now because i think that you have raised a a challenging question to me like uh, and my brother i love him he loves me and we ended up shouting at one another and he's smart like, he's smart he's smart but he's he, dumb on this one. Well, he's doing his own research. <laughs> right. I mean, this is the thing. It's like, but he's not, though, David. Let's be clear. Like, you know, there is a certain, like, what he's doing is going to Google and finding whatever he can to corroborate what he believes, right? He's not doing, you know, I'm not doing research either. You know who's doing research? The fucking epidemiologists who are actually doing controlled experiments, like th there are people doing uh, uh, research on vaccines, right? I'm not one of them, you know. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna bring Dr. Fraud in. Dr. Harriet Fraud joins us. She is the host with Max Golding of Capital, uh, capitalism. It's not it, just in your head. It's not just in and your head. She Something. has her own podcast, Capitalism Hits Home. Right. I want to say that in my experience, if I really talk to somebody who doesn't want abortion rights and ask him, what does it mean to you? How does that work? If they really get a chance to talk it through and 
answer questions. They give it up. I've done that with hatred of immigrants. They give it up? Yeah, they give up the position. Why does it mean something to you? What does it stand for? I think if people have to think through their position rather than just defend it, they're in a different position. And sort of compassionate inquiry is a good way of helping people change their mind. Do the, so but but, but if you're not, you know, but if if you're not taking care of them, don't they revert back to their ideology of origin? Not necessarily. You know, I think. I think, first of all, with the abortion rights thing, they're basically saying, I think what's happening, which I think we all ought to catch on to, is since they don't want immigrants anymore in this country, they don't want people of color. So they have to have plenty of desperate whites willing to work at the kind of crap jobs immigrants have to take, the dishwashers, the cleaner uppers, and not complain. As it is, white people turn down jobs that have terrible pay and no chance of of advancement. That's what we used to have immigrants do. And so they want to create a white underclass that does these jobs and that are desperate enough because they have no eviction protection and no wage protection so that they will take anything. And I think that's the strategy and they're unmindful of the fact that 20 between 18 and 20 years after 1973 when roe versus wade passed crime suddenly plummeted in the united states because there were fewer desperate hated children who were in terrible shape and committing crimes but they don't want to look at it so i think when they want to cancel immigration to get somebody to hate instead of looking at who's actually ripping them off, they didn't think through the consequences. Then there aren't people to take miserable jobs with no chance of advancement and be afraid to be fired. So you need desperate people with no protection. And I think they're working on that, cultivating a white underclass. And they've pretty much today, the extra $300 a week in unemployment insurance expired. Yes, it did. one6 million New Yorkers will have, uh, don't have that. But it's, you know, it's a concentrated strategy, I think. What, what is the Republican Party? I have to salute the Republicans for saying it outright. I mean, I saw this on Fox News. If you that that that's $300 extra a week is the difference between between being able to find somebody to work in my restaurant Right. And not they're open. This is that it's three hundred dollars. And yet they're finding because the red states already got rid of the extra three hundred dollars a week. They still can't fill these jobs. No, they can't, because white people who are used to being treated reasonably with an eight hour day and decent pay don't want to be degraded that way. And. You know, it was immigrants that were degraded that way. And I think they want to create the white underclass to do that. And this is a way to do it, to starve them out. With and starvation wages. We'll starve you out with starvation wages. Right. Because there is no, there was a survey done 
Jobs at decent pay with chances of advancement have no shortages. It's jobs with indecent pay with no chance to advance that people don't want. Some waitress that gets $2.13 an hour, which is what you can give to waitresses, and gets crappy tips or the boss takes the tips, why do it? Or the people who are picking our food, right? Done by immigrant labor, right? Like there's, That's uh, right. I, I completely agree with you, uh, Dr. Fraud, like this, this sort of uh, perspective on, and I think it's important, like, right? Like, like labor or work on this labor day, like it literally just means meaningful productive activity, right? Like, you know, like, uh, and everybody, this is the thing that gets me. See, understood properly, Everybody wants to work. Everybody wants to do meaningful, protective activity for which they will be respected, they will be appreciated, uh, et cetera. What they don't want is to be given a job where they're pushed about, bullied, bossed about, uh, and treated badly. Nobody wants that. They have no chance to improve their lot either. I mean, those are the jobs that are being rejected, but there's a group of people, small business people particularly, pushing so that the benefits are eliminated and they have a white underclass that will be forced to do these jobs. The petty bourgeoisie. Yes. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, bourgeoisie, the hope bourgeoisie, like the people at Walmart and Amazon. Walmart is the biggest employer. Amazon is the second biggest, you know, that give people no chance of advancement. And, um, inferior pay they've had to raise their wages in order to compete at all but also people think is it worth it to die for a shit wage i don't think so right can i just take care of a little housekeeping here because it's the top of the hour thank you uh we have slavo zizak coming on wednesday for a special taping at 2 p.m it's going to air on thursday on youtube and Friday for our podcast. If you would like to attend a taping of our conversation with Slavo Zizak, uh, go to my website, hit attend a live taping. We'll send you a link. It starts at 2 p.m. The people who will be talking to him, not me, I will be uh, watching, will be Professor Adnan Hussein, Professor Ben Burgess, and hopefully Professor Ann Lee. And uh, that will be two o'clock this Wednesday. Very special recording session with Slavo Zizak. Please uh, attend. Again, I can assure you that (laughs) he will be uh, interviewed by people who deserve to talk to him. The other thing I want to plug is Payday Report. And then I'll circle this back to our conversation. Uh, Mike Elk. Uh, is an amazing reporter. He started something called the Payday Report, and he covers labor and he covers strikes. And everybody needs to support Mike Elk. I want him on the show. The problem is he's too busy and he does enough for me just by putting out Payday Report. Go to Payday Report. He only has 617 recurring donors. He is doing the Lord's work. Mike Elk is doing the Lord's work. He is keeping track of every strike that is going on in America. If you go to the National 
Bureau of Labor Statistics, they have concluded that fewer and fewer strikes are occurring now. The federal government is not keeping track of of strikes in America. If you went to paydayreport.com right now, you would learn that three foster care caseworkers in Nebraska have gone on strike against St. Francis Ministries over low pay and unsafe conditions. You would learn that 500 Stanford RAs, resident assistants, have gone on strike over a lack of COVID protections and low pay. In Nancy Pelosi's backyard, Oracle ballpark workers are threatening to go on strike in San Francisco because of bad uh, working conditions, low pay, and 20 of them contracted COVID-19 from working at the, uh, the ballpark. Behavioral therapists in New Jersey are going on strike. Uh, non-union movie theaters uh, went on strike and they won a pay raise uh, by going on strike in Kimball Junction, Utah. Paydayreport.com is keeping track of all worker action in America. The labor movement is alive and well. It's just not being covered. We're being told on Labor Day that unions and the labor movement, they've really let Americans down and people just don't have the same, the same fire for organizing that they used to. Bullshit. Yeah. Go to paydayreport.com. Mike Elk is doing the Lord's work, keeping track of every labor activist in America. And we should all be ashamed of ourselves because he's the only one of the few reliable sources. No. And he only has 617 recurring donors to keep him going. This is a man who tried to unionize Politico, which just got sold for $1 billion to uh, Albatron. Politico, $1 billion just got sold. Mike Elk sued and he got a settlement when he tried to organize the Politico workers. And what did he do with that money from his settlement? He set up paydayreport.com. Mike Elk. Yeah, I I can't ask him to do I've 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 reached out to him, but he is so busy and and he's very big on vacations. He's always taking vacations. It's beautiful. He's insistent. Like he said, I want to do the show, but I'm on vacation. How do you ask a a union, a labor guy to work on Labor Day? Uh, But but uh, if I don't ask you for much, my listeners, but support Mike Elk and don't let anybody convince you that the labor movement is dead in America. Go read paydayreport.com and see what people are doing and then make sure uh, you support Mike Elk over at paydayreport.com. Your thoughts on that, please, about the labor Um, movement since it's Labor Day. Yeah, well, one of the things that I think it's true that the AFL-CIO has gotten a whole lot less militant since the communist socialists and militants were thrown out in the 50s. But people are organizing again. 
and they are realizing that they're getting shafted and they better organize and unite. But part, you know, and part of the problem from which we've suffered is this whole idea of celebrate essential workers. All work is essential. Every time you look at the wall, the wall was built by somebody. Women in labor created children and in their unpaid labor bring them up and maintain order and cleanliness. And that has been denied as labor and also it has been um, devalued. People still don't know what you learn from caring for vulnerable life. What are the learnings you get from creating order and cleanliness? They're not even analyzed, no less enumerated. Emotional labor has started being recognized. Arlie Hochschild wrote about it. I wrote about it. But it's not in a term that Americans understand, which is what is it worth in terms of dollars? They have salary.com, a stay-at-home mom, is worth 183,000 and some change. Part-time mom's labor is worth 89,000 a year if they, the tests were um, performed, but that doesn't count the emotional labor involved or the social connectivity or the, emo- the kindness, which can't be quantified. And so I think although it is emotional labor. You know, I think that what has happened is our country really doesn't know about labor history. We don't know our own history. PS 81, all we learned about was those same stupid pilgrims. And also, I found out through independent research between a half and two thirds of all the colonists that came here were indentured servants who came working off false prison sentences, like for women, they were sentenced for lewd carriage, which means looking too sexy, or being out after 10 at night and given a chance to be indentured servants to serve somebody who's a master for seven years, one in seven years, before they got to be free. And 10% were actually in prison, let out in order to settle the colonies. We don't even know that. We don't know the people who did the work. We don't know the people who do the work to bring us up and create a home or anything else around us. And so we should be trained that everything you look at was the labor of something else to provide. And that's part of the crushing of the communist tradition of the 50s was crushing the recognition that it's work that makes everything And it has to be recognized. And so that Labor Day, you know, Labor Day doesn't get the kind of recognition it deserves. It's sort of like for a picnic, a day off. And for a while during the 50s, they made, they called it Arbor Day, where you're supposed to plant a tree, you know. It's a denial of our history. And I think that people have been home a long time, been out of work, and realize what am I literally killing myself for to keep things going while I'm being undervalued. And so they are unionizing. And sometimes it's a regular union, sometimes like the Amazonian, which is Amazon workers who are organized not into a traditional union, but into worker support groups in terms of grievances and other things. People are beginning to realize we're sunk along. We need each other. And that's 
I, I think that's very hopeful and wonderful. And it's important to remember that this country wasn't founded by cheap labor. It was founded by free labor, the indentured servant. Slave labor, too. The, the, indentured and slave. Yeah. Well, the, the, as I understand it, the indentured servants had to work for free. They had, a, as you said, a seven year bond that was traded. And they then what happened after seven years was they'd be free white people who would then go looking for their own land and that would create a labor shortage. So they wanted to deprive political power to the free indentured servants by only allowing landowners to vote. So the landowners could work it all, make it impossible for through the legislature for these free white men to buy land. So the free white men turned on the Native Americans. They went and, yes. and stole land from the Native Americans. And then when the indentured servants were no longer sufficient and when black and white indentured servants, because originally blacks could be indentured servants too, but when they united and rebelled and went on strike, then they decided blacks could only be slaves. They had to be owned for life instead of owned for a period of one to seven years. And women were even um, indentured as a, a wife Right. For seven years, where you had race to was invented as well as do it all. And then you got, a, a, you know, a bale of tobacco or something when you after the seven years were up. Professor and you Hussein, away, your indenture was further right. um, extended. Professor Hussein taught me on the show that they invented race in order to keep slavery, that, that nobody had any sense of anybody's race until they needed, well, we could, if black people from Africa, we can identify black people. If we ship black people to America, we'll always know that they're right. the slaves. That's right. And also the Indians, they tried to enslave the indigenous Americans, the Native Americans, and they killed themselves instead, and it didn't work out. So they needed to get a population that couldn't communicate with each other, that didn't have a common culture, and they were completely displaced. I think it's interesting. There's a well, my friends Kirsten and Damien found the thing. Stephen Colbert, 1-800-OOPS-JEW. That's remember I was fighting with him that there was a there was a comedian who had a thing where people called and asked for forgiveness. Oh, I didn't even know that. And That's one eight hundred oops Jew. Okay. There's a, a book. There. There's a book by Wilkerson, Isabel Wilkerson. Kirsten and Damien founded this entity. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna hang on. That the. Um, Oh, hang on. I, I have to do something. Hang on, everybody. Let, let me get my. Let me get. Oh, I'm not muted. Am I unmuted? Am I unmuted? Uh, let no. me. I'm gonna. I just. I just wanted to let you know that we found the website. It was Stephen Colbert. It's one eight hundred oops Jew. Okay. People could call in. All right. <laughs> and ask for forgiveness. All right. Okay. Thank you. I was going to say that Isabel Wilkerson, in her book, Cast, documents how the Nazis 
studied the treatment of blacks in order to craft how to discriminate against Jews and create a whole group of which people had contempt. Right. Which is interesting. But, you know, we don't learn our own history. We don't learn who really did the work. Right. And so we don't get to identify that our society is a society built on labor and often indentured or slave labor. Right. We just don't. Uh, so I want I have some questions that I, I wanted to bring up because I was talking you're you're one of the founding mothers of women's liberation and the second wave yeah. second wave and you treat trauma you deal with people's trauma as a doctor so uh, I've been thinking a lot about fascism and what I'm seeing in the Republican Party and you talk about this all the time that we have a traumatized, we have traumatized white men. Yes. What is trauma? What what is what is trauma? Good question. Trauma is where there are two aspects to yourself. You have your authentic self, what you really feel like and want, and all the rest. Then you also have a need to attach, to please people in order to survive, because we are the most dependent animals of all animals. And when what trauma is is where you get separated from who you are and what's happening. When in order to cope, you have to go somewhere else in your mind and not know what's happening. And so you get separated from your authentic self. That's what trauma is. And how does that play out, do you think, in someone's ideology? Well, I think, for example, if you are a... Um, male supremacist, white supremacist, your, your need to be better than other people because you feel debased is based on creating a lie that you don't have continuity with all these other human beings. And it usually happens because of a, a trauma, a way that you can't be who you are. And also, I think what's happened to a lot of men in the United States is that their sense of self was based on they had two things that made them a man. They were white. They had a job where they could support a dependent wife and children. And they had a woman who had sex with them and created order and cleanliness and emotional labor and connectivity with their friends and relatives. And that was disrupted when their... Um, the male family wage for whites was exported to places where cheap labor and no ecological conditions existed. And so they were proletarianized and they were put on jobs where they couldn't make enough to support anyone else. And women had to go out and work and discover why should I you know, work the second shift to taking care of this guy's every need? You know, I work all day. We have to, and we're sharing that. Why don't we share home life? Which created quite a problem because for a lot of men, they wanted more sex and more adoration to compensate for the unmanned feeling they got from not having lucrative jobs or at least jobs that gave them standing in the community. I make okay. a living wage. I work here. I have pride in, in my work or I own the little grocery store. I have a position in the community. No, that's Walmart and you get minimum wage, or 
I had my nice hardware store, my family's hardware store. That's Home Depot. And you get minimum wage and so on and so on down the line. And suddenly they're nobody. And the markers of their manhood have been erased. And they're terrified. And if they got a chance to talk about how frightened they were and how upset they were, and if they understood who was doing this to them, and for what reason, nothing personal, just profit, they would have a different idea. Right. But the right wing has pushed that, their rage and dissatisfaction at being denied their position in the community onto uppity women, black people, and immigrants. So I, I'm gonna, I wanna walk you through three clips because it's something I don't understand. And I discussed this with my daughter. She said, don't do this. Uh, and I thought, all right, I kind of touched on it at the beginning of the show, but I want to show you three things. I want to show you Lindsay Go, who is a sports director, sports reporter. Over the weekend, she was covering the Cle uh, Clemson, Georgia game. And I guess Georgia beat Clemson and she was trying to do a live stand up and she was assaulted. She says she was assaulted while she was doing the report, grabbed. And then I'm going to uh, show you. We'll talk about it. Then I want to show you. It reminded me of what happened to Lara Logan in Egypt 10 years ago. And then what how Fox News now has hired Laura Logan. So I, 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 I want to ask you about trauma. This is Lindsay Goh, sports director, trying to do a, a live report about Georgia beating Clemson. She's at a college football game. Uh, she re she says fans at the Georgia Clemson game were a bit too close for her. And uh, she then posted this clip. Hello. Okay, uh, they grabbed her and uh, she was on male turf and they were reclaiming it through sexually humiliating her and in other ways humiliating her because sports announcers are usually male. Mm -hmm. So they were reducing her to her sexuality and mocking her because it's a way of humiliating her and putting her in a place. And it's football. And it's football. And so that it's a particularly macho game and they were saying 
any woman who tries to get on this male territory will be terrorized and you will be terrorized. I think if she had been, you know, had uh, smashed their temples and kicked them in the balls, they might have stayed back a little because they're bullies, but she, she just looked frightened. So they got off on her fear. And is that, tell me what she, uh, it's a difficult question, but if she's being grabbed, that's traumatic because her, in order to, you can see her being separated from who she is. She's in a sort of shocked state. She's trying to be this professional and she's being humiliated as a woman, which they're doing because she's an interloper in male territory. And if she'd turn around and smash him in the head and said, motherfucker, cocksucker, they would have run. <laughs> because she wouldn't have been scared. They would have been scared. But they right. got off on saying, no, you are in male territory, but we are, we are the prime movers here. And you are to be frightened. And we will get off on our ascendancy and your fear. Right, right. And it's football. There's... Is a blood sport territory, right? And people watch football for the violence. They say they love it for the warfare and the strategy. Mm -hmm. But what knowing about CET and how most of these players' lives end, you right. are watching it is a gladiatorial sport, right? And uh, and what does that do? So you have this crowd in a football stadium and they're united for their team. What does that train men and women to do when, when you get them in a well, state? Look, these guys, part of it, part of football is male bonding through witnessed violence. I mean, to me, they just look like rhinos charging one another, not like people. And, they all jump on one another, but it's a male bonding in violence. And this woman is trying to speak on male territory. And they're doing what a lot of men do, which is if they feel threatened or if they want to show off to other men, they show that they are ascendant over a female. They sexually humiliate her by grabbing her. And, mm -hmm. you know, I learned a lot about this because my daughter was a bartender for a while. And if she reversed it, they didn't know what to do. They didn't bother her. She told me that some guy leaned over the bar when his friends were watching. And he said, hey, honey, want to hear a joke that'll make your tits get hard? So she stared at his crotch and she said, you want to you hear a joke about Making your penis shrivel? Ah, damn it. You heard it already. Right? <laughs> well, right. His friends left. He left. He left the bar. Okay. So a lot of people say football is healthy because it, it's a healthy way for men to let off their primal steam. Is that true? I don't think so. Me I think if you, if you have energy, you could build something. 
You don't have to destroy. You know that you're you're watching someone be brain damaged. Right. And it's violent. And at these, there's terrible sex abuse of and importing underage girls at these games. There's a, the worst aspect of male supremacy at these games. And here, this woman thinks she can go on male territory and not be sexually humiliated into acquiescing. And she looked frightened. Right. So I was told, uh, you know, I think most men have anger issues. I know comedy writers have anger issues. Everyone does. Everybody. do too. And I was told years ago that rageaholics, the, 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 the excuse that somebody will say when they're screaming and yelling is, I'm just letting off steam. I'm getting it out of my system. And from what I've been reading and what I was told is that, no, you when you rage, you don't let off steam. It bec- you're, you, you're amping yourself up. You're amping yourself up and you're producing some kind of uh, endorphins that require you to keep raging and right. you become a rage that rage begets more rage because you become addicted That's to right. it. You're fed on the rage. Right. And it makes you, instead of feeling like the powerless little person you are, you feel omnipotent. Right. And you don't think of anything else. Okay. You get yourself in trouble. So... But they're traumatized by their life circumstances and they want to reclaim their ascendancy through humiliating a woman. Right. So um, I, I want to turn to Lara Logan in a second. This happened on TV during a live shot. These were men who knew it was live television mm-hmm. and that's how they acted. It Showing off for each other, too. Showing off for each other. They probably will reflect on it and say, that's not who I am. But, right. but you know, if, if they were ever sued, that, that, does, that yeah. video does not reflect who I really am. That seems to be the right. excuse. The guy who got fired from Jeopardy mm-hmm. said these okay. countless sexual harassment lawsuits filed against me do not reflect who I really am. Really? Are there any sexual assault lawsuits we should know about? Who are you? You know, this isn't who I, of course that's who you are. Okay. This is, so I I saw that over the weekend and then I was reminded of what happened in Tahrir Square 11 years ago when Hosni Mubarak uh, Mm. fell and Lara Logan, a South African reporter who moved to New York and and she became a reporter for CBS's 60 Minutes. Doesn't get any better. More more. The Tiffany Network doesn't get any better than being a reporter for 60 Minutes. This is Scott Pelley 10 years ago. The night of February 11th, the Egyptian dictatorship of Hosni Mubarak was falling. More than 100,000 people filled Cairo's Tahrir Square in wild celebration. Among those in the crowd was our 60 Minutes colleague, correspondent Laura Logan. Laura, a native of South Africa, is an experienced war reporter, but Tahrir Square became her most hazardous assignment. 
During the revolution, dozens of reporters were assaulted, often by agents of the regime. The night of the 11th, a mob turned on Laura and her 60 Minutes team and singled her out in a violent sexual assault. All right. So I'm not going to play her interview because it's disturbing. And she describes what happens to her. But it wasn't on camera. And it was a group of men who uh, raped her. And there's no, you know, I don't, again, it's a man talking for a woman, but I. You saw it. Okay. I understand. You can identify with a woman very well. Yeah. I'm not going to play her describing it because there's something. uh, Sort of wireistic about it. I understand. Right. Uh, That was 10 years ago. Now this, my daughter and I talked about this and I said, well, I'll do it with Dr. Fraud. So she's no longer with 60 Minutes, Laura Logan. She's with Fox News. And she is promoting conspiracy theories on Fox News. I'm going to play a clip of her 10 years later on Fox News saying, let me give it context, that there, there, there have been 50 insurrectionists who are now held in a Washington, D.C. jail before their trial. She's claiming that they're being held uh, like it's uh, Gitmo, that they should be released. She's saying that Biden and the generals uh, who support him in Afghanistan have created a situation that if you so much as criticize the Biden administration, uh, you will be rounded up by the FBI and placed in some kind of camp. And then she says it's time to uh, this is the moment we must seize this moment and fight our government. This uh, let me play her talking And then I want to ask you what my daughter uh, told me not to ask you. Because in the in the time that we live in, for people to stand up and openly say um, something against Democratic president or something in favor of the troops, I mean, in this country today, that puts you at risk of being arrested and jailed by the FBI. Because anyone who believes in patriotism is being purged from the U.S. military. They've been purged from DHS and the other agencies. And uh, people are being, they're sitting in prison, in solitary confinement, in an off-site correctional facility in Washington, D.C see without trial they've not been convicted of anything so you know and they've been there for i mean a long time now almost a year and no one is saying a word so we live really in a state of fear in america today we don't live as a free people as a free nation and to have somebody stand up and say this i'm with martha you know i don't know i'd like everybody to be welcome everywhere but what it says is actually that people now are saying we're not going to live in fear and i think it speaks to the fact that this isn't really a Democrat Republican issue. This is the hill on which all Americans really can fight and die because it does define America. And if American people allow the American government and their leaders to misrepresent them in this way, because the vast majority of Americans do not believe in betraying your allies. They don't believe in getting your own uh, soldiers and Marines killed for no reason. They don't believe in that. And they have to stand up and let their voices be heard and be counted 
it because you're not going to get this chance again. It's a defining moment. Yeah, I, I don't know if I found the right clip from that conversation. She's basically saying this is the hill we have to die on. This is a defining moment. There are insurrectionists who are being held for a year in a jail in solitary confinement. This is we it is. So I asked my daughter, uh, what role do you think the trauma of Tahrir Square 10 years ago feeds into this kind of talking? And my daughter said, don't go there. You're a man and you have no right to talk about this. And I'm defying my daughter's orders because I can look at Lindsey Graham, who believes in perpetual war because he's at perpetual war with himself because he won't come out of the closet. And what are your thoughts when you what are your thoughts about Laura? Am I how? Of course, I'm a narcissist. How out of line am I? I think you're fine for talking about that. I think everyone should have the right to talk about anything. I don't believe in identity politics. And I think you can sometimes identify and see issues around women's issues more acutely than a woman could. Just because you have a vagina doesn't mean that you have a mentality of understanding your own condition. So I think that's silly. So I disagree with her. But I do think that sometimes you can learn a lot from the oppressor. Look at what happened with the Israelis. They learned how to do to the Arabs what was done to them. They learned how to segregate a group and have a kind of apartheid. And I think, you know, I watched my own mother-in-law who was in a camp for a while. She was, um, you know, an anti-fascist in Germany. And she was the most fascistic person I've ever met. Not in terms of politics, but in terms of there's only one way it's the right way, it's her way, and nothing else will be tolerated, and everything had to be controlled. If you dropped a paper in the wastebasket, she'd empty it because she had to have control of her house. This and is after she got out of the concentration camps. Yes, she, that's what she got out of fleeing for her life and feeling her own survival was the only important thing in the world. Uh-huh. And being very controlled and controlling of everything, which is murderous, really, because you can't control anyone. You have to respect that they're a different person. You might get them to act like what you wanted, but it, you know. So is that from without violating your privacy or her privacy, one could (laughs) one could extrapolate that or or what either she was always like that. I'm sorry. You can learn from your oppressors. Or was she always like that when she I don't think she was always like that. I think it got much worse. And I think the camps brought out extremes in people. Is she an, was she an anti-fascist because she was trying to kill the thing that she recognized she was an in herself? Because the fascists were humiliating to women. And she was angry about that. Right. And in Nazi Germany. What they did, because you weren't allowed to have meetings, is they were allowed to have a sewing circle with up to five people. So she learned how to sew, and she and the other political women would sew and um, meet together. And 
she got put in a French concentration camp, not a German one, but it was still pretty horrible because she didn't have proper papers. But then um, she got smuggled out of the country with a fake passport. But she learned from that trauma that everything had to be under control and she acted like a Nazi. You don't know how people will interpret what happens to them. And I think this Laura Larson went L- into- Laura Logan. Laura, Laura Logan. Laura Logan, excuse me, went into an outrageously sexist outfit, known to be an outrageously sexist outfit, and has gone over to their way of thinking as a way of advancing herself as one of them. She's joined them. And that's sad and sick. And she's putting out lies, but we don't have a check on what's true. And so she's getting away with it. She's gone over to their side. People can do that. There's no, just because you're a woman doesn't mean you have to identify or even you can identify with other women. And just because you've suffered sexual assault doesn't mean that you won't act like you won't assault the truth. And what is the appeal of fascism to the traumatized? I think you are no longer impotent. You are powerful. You are somebody because you're joined with the others in the same idea. You have a conspiracy, so you have something to fight against as a group. And you're connected. You're not alone. You're connected and you have power. And you have a power of a leader who is the dominant leader, like an authoritarian parent who could be wrong, but they are to be adored and obeyed. And because a lot of people are brought up in authoritarian homes, when they're in trouble, they look to a big authority. Okay, mom. Okay, dad. I'll do whatever you want. And I'll be good. And then they join the others and they have a community. They're the good kids. The others are the bad. Right. People are so complicated. So I'm going to play you one more clip and then we'll we'll wrap it up. The QAnon shaman, Jacob Shansley, he covered his face. Yeah. He looked like a Viking and he went uh, he went on trial. He pled guilty and his lawyer, Albert Watkins, threw him his client on the mercy of the judge and explained why Jacob Chansley, the QAnon shaman, stormed the Capitol. He's pled guilty. He's going to serve maybe three, six years. And unfortunately, it's a lawyer saying this, but he's explaining how his client, the QAnon shaman, got co-opted by QAnon and ended up storming the Capitol. And this is uh, the lawyer trying to appeal to the judge. He had a fondness for Trump that was not unlike the first love a man may have for a girl or a girl for a man or a man for a man. The first love always, always maintains a tender and soft spot in the heart of the lover. And in the case of Jake, what made it so difficult was that 
not only was he predisposed to being vulnerable, but he was socially isolated because of his mental health issue that rendered him kind of a, an unwanted uh, youth. He was picked on as a kid, he was beaten by his father or, or stepfather, his dad was in jail his entire life. And you have uh, these series of events and uh, characteristics that made him really ripe for the picking. And all of a sudden he found uh, social media and social media became a uh, became his playground and through social media he got exposed to a lot of things that resonated with him he felt like Trump was picked on like he had been picked on and so as a result uh, he became not only enamored with Trump he became enamored with the the social media community and then in turn the community that he interacted with at one rally after another over the course of years Mm -hmm. Yeah, he belonged somewhere. He finally found a way to belong. That's why people joined some very weird communities, orthodoxies of various kinds, because right. the little rules and the bonding gives them a place to belong because they're so isolated and alienated. Right. I just wish a lawyer weren't saying that. Yeah, it's true. But, you know... And you don't know if the lawyer made it up to let this guy off or give him a light sentence. But a lot of people join things because they're, they want to belong to something. They want to be important. And they want to belong, not be isolated. It's a very isolating society. It's a very traumatized society. It is. And there's that Robert Putnam study, which has been duplicated over and over again that there are fewer people in any kind of a group in the United States than were in bowling, long, were bowling leagues alone in 1970. People right. are so alone, and here they're part of a group. They chant together, they believe the same thing, they go to the rallies, and they belong. And one of the criticisms that I have of the left is that we neglect the spirituality you get from connection and from doing things together, whether it's a protest or a constructive thing, that is a spiritual experience. And these people on the right have a spiritual experience of connection. Because you can have that with a group, and it's important. We'll pick up this. Thank you, Dr. Harriet Fraud. Yeah, Capitalism you. hits love home. We love you. I love you. And we're very grateful to have you. Uh, follow Dr. Harriet Fraud on Twitter at Harriet Fraud, correct? That's right, HarrietFraud.com. And how can people contact you? Twitter on um, that just, they can contact me by hfraud at Gmail if they want to personally contact me. They can go to my website, HarrietFraud.com. They can look up my podcasts under It's Not Just In Your Head with me and Max Golding or with me alone under Capitalism Hits Home. They could just Google it and find out everything. Great. Thank you so much. For, Thank you. For Bye -bye. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Joining us now, hello there, Professor Adnan Hussein, host of Guerrilla History. And uh, we're, we're going to be talking to Zizek on Wednesday, right? Aren't we, Professor? 
<laughs> this was my cameo at appearing late or not at all, I guess. <laughs> for, for Wednesday, I was getting ready for Wednesday uh, for the recording. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm late. Uh, had some tech issues and some house guests for patio. It's still summer, so can meet outside. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to it. I don't know exactly how I managed to get myself roped into this um, or why I'm being included. Well, hang on. Who who should talk to Zizek more, you or me? Well, I think Dr. Fraud would be actually quite. She just disappeared. Yeah. But, you know, um, <laughs> no, yeah, she didn't want to either. Any talk of Zizak and she hightailed it to the hills. Um, but actually, I think you would be uh, better suited in some ways because he clearly is interested in comedy, which is why he wants to come to the show. So ambushing him with like a set of academics, a philosopher, historian. I mean, you know, these are the kind of people he probably gets to talk to all the time. It wouldn't be as exciting or interesting for him as it would be to talk with a comedy writer, a comedian. And in fact, actually, I think the real uh, subversive thing to do that would have gone viral is to have had him and Jackie, the joke man, Martling. That would have been uh, unique. That would have been, it could have blown up and been like a, just a disaster, or it could have made, uh, you know, YouTube streaming history. Right. But we're, we're thinking of the larger picture. So anyway, Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Zizek will be joining us. If you would like to come to the recording session, we're going to do it on Zoom. Go to my website to sign up and then we'll air it on Thursday's live stream and then on Friday's podcast. You are the co-host of Guerrilla History with the brilliant Henry Huckamacki. And picking up on what Dr. Fraud and I were just discussing about isolation, Henry said something really brilliant. I know it's hard to believe. Sometimes he says something brilliant. that is occasionally yeah a uh he's no i mean it's just he's so uh, amazing he said something about the left that people in despair don't only turn to religion for solace they turn to religion for care that that what what religion has done in america these churches feed people Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, actually, you could say that this is even more obviously the case in places like the Middle East. So when people talk about, oh, these militant Islamist movements, I mean, okay, there are the jihadist internationalists who provide no services. It's a very austere brand of militant Islam. They are internationalists and they don't really think about providing services on the local level. There is that strain within, um, you know, one uh, form of modern Islamic uh, movements. But when we talk about uh, groups like the Muslim Brotherhood, for example, uh, who are often conflated with like uh, Muslim fundamentalists, um, and really they're a very different strain. They believe very much in a society-based transformation. And so as a result, as these grand projects of 
big social programs in the era of Arab nationalism and Arab socialism have collapsed, especially after the Cold War, but already starting in the 70s and the 80s, when those regimes weren't able to fulfill those promises of, of, you know, grand projects of development and achieving new social status and economic welfare, these sort of groups really provided a lot of the medical services, the, you know, even neighborhood watch kind of services or people picking, organizing to pick up the garbage. And so it's not only solace, um, you know, in an emotional and, you um, theological manner to provide some moral compass in a disorienting, changing world, but it is also providing community and services and in a world where, you know, as we've talked so often on the show and with Dr. Fraud about the atomization uh, in neoliberal consumer capitalism that isolates people from one another that has only been exacerbated by the pandemic and uh, quarantining and isolation is that it provides some sense of engaged community of care where there are people you can turn to when you need a little bit of help. You know, you need to make that car payment because you just lost your job. You need to float a couple hundred bucks or you're going to get it repossessed and then you won't be able to get another job and so on. Where do you go? You go to your pastor, you go to your imam, you go to your uh, rabbi and the parishioners and community that's established. And so in the collapse and contraction of the state of actually providing these services, the cuts and the cutbacks in social services, in some ways, uh, these religious communities and other NGOs have filled that gap. And it's not a satisfactory solution. And it, you know, still reproduces the idea of charity rather than, you know, the right that everyone has to a dignified life. But it clearly is some kind of a substitute when, you know, the state and society is not providing the care that people desperately need. And so Henry points out, I always feel there should be angels, a choir of angels singing when I say Henry. But <laughs> Henry points out, I miss him. Uh, Henry points out, what is the left in America doing? Mm. What is the Democratic Party doing for the, the downtrodden, they promise an infrastructure bill. Meanwhile, the Republican Party through the churches is feeding people, is clothing people. They have charity. It's it's not enough. And, and it entitles their paymasters indulgences from the IRS. Right. Uh, it's very contrived. It's since, as you can see, it's since of. You just look at our streets and you can see yeah, charity is not and in our deal. And, and it creates um, a kind of political control, you know, and influence over over people that they shouldn't have. That is because of that patronage, that, you know, dependency relationship. Obviously, this isn't the ideal way, but it is filling the gap that the left um, often isn't. Although I have to say that during the period of the pandemic, and I know even in my own community here in Kingston, but across uh, North America, mutual aid was uh, really important. And people organized often in social media in their local communities to trade knowledge about who needed what support services or elderly who could not um, leave their homes or were concerned about exposure to uh, the virus 
terrorists that or were um, disabled. Um, people were trying to support one another in their communities to go shopping and deliver food and deliver um, you know, the kinds of uh, goods that people needed. Um, that's been very positive. I'm wondering and hoping that that um, and the ethic of it is not charity. It is sharing within a community is right. those who can help uh, either through material resources or providing labor and time uh, to create a sense of community. And the ethic of mutual aid is that, you know, somebody else will be in a position to contribute. So everyone contributes something that they can. I'm hopeful that that experience um, that isn't quite the same as charity, it's a little bit different. Its orientation is a little bit different, might have some positive um, political ramifications um, on how people imagine coming out of COVID what's possible in their local communities. I don't think that at the national level, we've seen much that's effective. You're pointing out that the infrastructure bill has been sort of caught in limbo and constantly being watered down. And that kind of national leadership isn't available to set a new agenda. But I think at the local level, we might have more uh, effect. There might be consequences in local school boards and municipalities. And, you know, um, let me ask you, know, you about the, let level. me ask you about office hours. So We've talked about mutual aid, and, and we've seen examples of it in office hours, S stuff that I don't even know about and stuff I do know about. And Amazon, evil Amazon. I've completely abandoned Amazon. But we are a global, office hours is global. You could do, and I, I think it's Amazon, if you... We could do mutual aid through Amazon, right? That that could be a way. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about this actually in weekly marks at one point uh, about um, how you know Marx understood capitalism as being a progressive force in history. I.e., it made changes and enabled possibilities for the socializing of labor and the socializing of people's consciousness. Um, of course, it comes with all of these horrible inequities and it's an unbalanced system where there's exploitation built into it. But the pursuit of ever more efficient modes of organizing labor, of mechanizing various labor processes to free people from the actual physical labor as much as possible. All of these things actually can lead to the liberation of people and be workers and people being able to be in communication with one another, you know, where if they owned that means of production and distribution, in this case of Amazon, there are ways in which, you know, you could put people uh, in contact with one another to provide the goods and services that you need. Uh, you know, it's just you don't need uh, Jeff Bezos skimming off the top of that. It would be some kind of arrangement using, you know, that infrastructure that Amazon has created uh, to circulate what people need without um, profits being taken. Uh, but uh, so I think, you know, we have to envision, I think if there's going to be a future for the left and for transformation is you can't just go back to the old patterns of industrial relations. Obviously, you know, in the U.S. and North America, 
it doesn't make sense how many people are really working in factories in that in in that manner well so um, let me let me go back if to we Am- used amazon we could we could you know uh we could uh, have a network for organizing our social and economic lives together in an integrated uh and equitable way right so would it be immoral if say on office hours for the time being, we used Amazon because it feels like it's so easy for a group of people to say so and so needs, you know, detergent, uh, you know, some scrubbing brushes and a pair of socks. I mean, on Amazon, it's evil, but we know that we could send it to this person's address and Jeff Bezos would get a cut of it for the time being. Is that immoral? Well, uh, yeah, that's a really good question because, um, you know, we want to stop uh, oppressive exploitation wherever we find it. Um, but I wonder if boycotting Amazon, I mean, that's not the same as organizing the workers to really take more control. You know, if the workers are organized and they demand more, um, that's actually more progress, it seems to me, in some ways than, um, you know, I mean, how many people can you actually get to boycott Amazon? I feel like the consumer politics that we go we we imagine that we're making our political statements through what we purchase and i'm i'm you know compelled by that myself because it's something i feel i can control okay if i have this amount of money right. how do i spend it on the things i need i'd rather go to the farmers market and get directly from a producer of a local farm. Um, I'd much rather patronize a locally owned business that employs people in the community. It circulates the money, um, you know, in the community. That dollar doesn't just disappear, you know, outside the community, but it gets circulated within it. So those are really good reasons to, you know, uh, Uh, patronize businesses with that ethic in mind. At the same time, however, there is this inexorable process that's developing that actually could be used for, uh, you know, a more liberated, um, convenient form of distribution of what is what is produced in society. It's just that right now it's under the control of just a few hands. And that's why we have, so that's why we have such um, inequality. Um, so let me go back to my original question because I, I, because I, it's, uh, so like shopping is not something I do. Uh, I, uh, I buy books and I buy computers and I buy software and if, left to my own devices, I, you know, I would just read and learn computer software and walk and have sex. Uh, so shopping just doesn't do it for me. And Amazon really makes life easy. I've quit it. I don't use it. But when I need something, you just boom. If we wanted to get food if we're a global community, which this show has become, I mean, Falco's in 
Belgium, Rurikis in Great Britain. And, you know, if we wanted to do mutual aid, is there an alternative to Amazon where we can say, okay, so-and-so needs this here? Like, what is the alternative to Amazon? I mean, I do. Uh, Jeff Bezos should rot in hell. Uh, uh, you know, and I mean that. Uh, but you send something through Amazon, you, it gets there, destroys the planet and people's yeah. lives. But we know that we're getting, if you send toothpaste to somebody around the world, they're going to get it. What's, yeah, what's the I alternative mean, to, to that? Well, I mean, one, there are some other businesses that uh, are alternatives, even in books, for example, to Amazon, and they're more ethical in, the, uh, in their approach, and they allow local bookstores to actually be integrated with one another, you know, to be suppliers globally to consumers, and that's well, I guess one you could that just doesn't send money. destroy them. I guess just sending money as opposed to groceries, right? Right, right. But I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting, um, you know, kind of issue. I mean, it's sort of like what Craigslist, when Craigslist first came out, it was supposed to be, you know, kind of free classified ads um, for people and to use this uh, technique of the Internet to put people in touch. Well, of course, it destroyed, you know, local newspapers that had relied upon, you know, uh, classified subscriptions and, um, you know, advertising in, in that way, uh, which is uh, very unfortunate what it does to those institutions and the people who work in them. But yet it is a um, an increase in the capacity of people to communicate with one another, which should technically be a good thing if it wasn't that it was only producing, you know, profits for particular people. Um, so that's sort of the way in which. Um, you know, people could have communicated to offer services and they do, you know, they do do that um, in that means. But it's still within a kind of market system right, where you're right. just charging. Uh, you know, it, the idea would be, it seems to me that, um, you know, there's there's both the who's, you know, where does profit come in this in the system? And there ought to be a way in which people's needs, um, you know, can be shared without having to take profit. But the second part of it is, is um, also the planning of how we orient our consumption in such a way that it doesn't destroy the planet. I mean, so the Amazon situation is great in that it can get goods from one corner of the world to another. But the question is, is should it, you know, like, I mean, are right. there ways that some of this could be produced more locally so you're not spending the energy, you know, to ship things, um, you know, all the waste and containers and packaging and the fuel and the excess labor. Uh, it's wonderful in the way that it's integrated and can uh, integrate the entire world, but it's also not necessarily the most efficient if you count the costs on, you know, the environment and a genuinely sustainable system that was equitable would also take those impacts into into account. And that would stimulate a lot more of this local kind of production, like making things and distributing distributing them in much more uh, local and regional networks rather than sending things, you know, across the across the world all the time. Well, I want to play you uh, Lindsey Graham. He was on the BBC last night. 
and he's talking about Afghanistan. Like you to respond. This is about 90 seconds. Here's where we're at as a world. The Taliban are not reformed. They're not new. They have a view of the world out of sync with modern times. They're going to impose a lifestyle on the Afghan people uh, that I think is it's going to make us all sick to our stomach. But most importantly, they're going to give safe haven to Al Qaeda, who has ambitions to drive us out of the Mideast writ large and attack us because of our way of life. We will be going back into Afghanistan as we went back into Iraq and Syria. To the Hang British, on. You, are you, are you seriously yeah. think the United States will once again, we'll in, have to. in a foreseeable future, yes. put troops back into we'll Afghanistan? We'll have to. We'll have to because the threat will go so will be so large. Why did we go back to Syria and Iraq? Why do we have 5,000 troops in Iraq today? Because of the caliphate rising, projecting force outside of Iraq, killing Americans, killing the French, attacking the British. So yes, it will be a cauldron for radical Islamic behavior. You cannot deal with this over the horizon. Here's my solution. Help the resistance in the Panjshir Valley. The Taliban will not be able to govern Afghanistan. They're hated by the Afghan people. What's gonna happen over time is you're gonna see the resistance rise. ISIS will come after the Taliban large and the entire country is going to fracture in the next year creating a perfect storm for Western interests to be attacked, you can do one of two things. You can say, that's no longer my problem. Let it build and get hit or hit them before they hit. Hit them before they hit us. So, Professor Adnan Hussein, uh, I saw you taking notes. I am, yes. He said so many things. <laughs> and here's why <laughs> I learned. Discussed. Right. So this is why I have been learning the new technology uh please let me have it oh here we go okay so what we're gonna do is you're gonna respond point by point if you don't mind do you mind no not at all okay because i can can you hear me yes yeah okay i learned how to stop and start this nonsense so uh it's going to be a little clumsy but this is where I'm heading with the show to be able to do this because uh, I will put a fist through a wall if I have to sit through 90 seconds of Lindsey Graham without anybody correcting him anymore. <laughs> so I I am not as smart as you, but I know when to to stop this fool. Here's oh, where we're at I would as a that, world. But... The Taliban are not reformed. They're not new. They have a view. All right. He says the Taliban are not reformed. They're not new. Okay. Well, um, I think he's in some sense picking up on the theme of the stereotypical characterization of the Taliban as some kind of medieval movement um, that finds themselves in the modern world, but has an entirely medieval kind of religious outlook. And while that's true on some elements of their of their ideology, they're clearly a response to modern conditions. It's just that their solutions are to go back literally to a very narrow interpretation of Muslim religious law 
law and doctrine. But the more important point on this, I think, is that we don't know what the Taliban is now. It's been 20 years. They've gone undergone all kinds of change. Their leadership has turned over. There are only a few survivors from the original Taliban movement that emerged in the middle 90s from those madrasas in the northwest frontier of Pakistan and that who came back to Afghanistan in order to put an end to the internecine civil war of the warlords that was absolutely tearing out tearing up the country after the US uh, succeeded in its uh, support of the mujahideen in uh, ending the Russian uh, Soviet uh, occupation of Afghanistan and then abandoned them to the warlords. So that has been a long period of time. And Afghanistan is a very young country. So there are all kinds of young generations who have joined the Taliban movement for a whole variety of reasons and out of various different experiences that don't come from that experience of religious indoctrination in the madrasas. Um, so we don't really know. There's probably different well, Lindsey Graham knows. Sorry? Lindsey Graham knows. Well, I, I think Lindsey Graham um, is convinced that you have to characterize any of these movements as essentially all the same, which is a lot like how a medieval heresiographer looks at the various varieties of heresy that emerge, is that fundamentally they're all part of the same error. They're manifestations of one unitary problem that has to be absolutely suppressed. So Wait, that's are you his saying, approach to it. You're saying that Iraqis aren't all... Arabs and they're all the same. You're saying that there might be different religious sects among the Iraqi. And they may have different motives and interests and things do change over time. This is the other thing that I think these people don't really in the way that they think in these abstract categories, they don't think about historical change. You know, the Taliban may have had to evolve in order to become uh, the dominant force in this in in this circumstance. And they've clearly recruited a lot of people who are opportunistic in their orientation. This is the winning side. You join the winning side. That's a smart person's hedge against the vagaries of politics and of history. Um, so whether there's an ideological coherence and what the substance of that is and whether that's the same thing as what we remember from the mid 90s, I think those are all big questions. And there's a lot of evidence that the Taliban seems to have figured out that there are is a need potentially to at least present a more moderate face okay. and that they are going to need a lot of support and aid. So in order not to lose the opportunity for some foreign assistance and have the country be bankrupt, you know, they're going to have to maybe take some new approaches. We'll see. OK, I want to apologize to Lindsey Graham because this show is all about access and you're being rude, Professor Adnan Hussein, and talking back to Lindsey Graham, who is steamrolling. And the fact that he's saying it authoritatively means that it has to be true. But let's 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 continue. World out of sync with modern time. Here's where we're at as a world. The Taliban are not reformed. They're not new. They have a view of the world out of sync with modern times. They're going to impose a lifestyle on the Afghan people uh, that I think is it's going to make us all sick to our stomach, but most. So he can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. He says they're going to impose a lifestyle 
on the Afghan people that's going to make us sick to our stomach. I guess we didn't get sick to our stomach from the past 20 years of bombing wedding parties, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is exactly the point, um, is uh, they are from Afghanistan, and, um, you know... uh, (laughs) They're they're not going anywhere. I mean, this is the kind of ideas portraying and representing as if they're coming from outside and are imposing. Yes, they will impose a harsher brand of uh, Islamic jurisprudence and judgment um, than, you know, would be the case with other sorts of schools and orientations. Afghanistan was a country that had a very strong Sufi mystical tradition, traditionally speaking. And there are differences within the Muslim world. And this is definitely one that many people in Afghanistan themselves will object to and will suffer under. However, it is not our sensibilities that are going to be the most important in this circumstance. It is the Afghan people and the recognition that the Taliban are from Afghanistan. You're going to have to deal with them in some fashion. Uh, He makes it seem as if... um, you know, they're a foreign, uh, you know, invader, which is odd since uh, it is the United States that is the foreign occupier in this situation. Wait, why don't we do it this way? I'll keep playing and you just say stop and I'll stop. Okay. Importantly, they're going to give safe haven to al-Qaeda, who has ambitions to drive us out of the Mideast writ large and attack us because of our way of life. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's it's not clear necessarily that the Taliban have the same kind of investment in supporting ISIS, ISIS ISIS-K. We may see that there are uh, conflicts between the Taliban and ISIS-K, but more importantly, there are probably factions that support ISIS-K and then there are factions within the Taliban that don't. So the scenario that he's painting of it being basically a return to the 1990s um, where, you know, Al-Qaeda managed to use uh, uh, wealth and the prestige of having been involved in some level with uh, training and supporting the Mujahideen and the resistance against the Soviets managed to have a safe haven. Um, It's not clear. You know, the bigger problem will be that perhaps the Taliban are not capable of governing and controlling the country. And he alludes to that, that I agree that they will probably have difficulty governing the country. But the the idea that they necessarily will support and shelter uh, ISIS-K, I think that's a little bit far-fetched. And Al-Qaeda wants to destroy us because of our way of life. What What is our way of life that Al-Qaeda hates us for? Uh, They hate our freedoms, uh, apparently. Uh, But, um, you know, over the last uh, decade or so, I think we've seen our freedoms have been sacrificed uh, against our will in the name of security in a lot of cases. I'm not sure what freedoms, um, you know, we have that should be so envied at this point. I mean, but but when people attack, um, when when people attack us, it's because of our way of life. Yeah, not because of our involvement in other parts of the world or. Right. Um, invasions, occupations, or the military bases, or the sanctions 
Right. Um, you They're know, jealous. It's very easy us. to dismiss these. Uh, this is basically a global culture war, which is what the right loves. They love the culture war domestically, and they use the same techniques in framing their understanding of the world as a culture war in order to avoid the politics, the economics, and the social dimensions, um, you know, of U.S. policy in the world, and um, in order to avoid taking responsibility for any of those things. Right. And. Lindsey Graham has a culture war going on inside of him as well. Uh, but we won't talk there about There are rumors that. to that effect. Yes. Yeah. We'll be going back into Afghanistan as we went back into Iraq and Syria. To the Hang British. on. You, are you sure? You seriously yeah. think the United States will once again, we'll in, have to. in a foreseeable future, yes. put troops back into we'll Afghanistan? We'll have to. We'll have to because the threat will go so will be so large why did we go back to syria and iraq why do we have five thousand okay yes yes stop guess why do we have yeah, and, by the way um, you're being this, very rude to senator yeah. lindsey graham yeah. this is the, know, yeah, i'm not going to get access him at his word on anything it seems a, there's just a tissue of lies and misunderstandings and ideological points that um he's weaving here and um firstly i think why are we withdrawing on some level? Biden has just, you know, given this speech recently, um, you know, articulating his sort of vision of U.S. foreign policy and the implications of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, which is, um, you know, that there are other parts of the world that are going to need U.S. attention to manage. I don't think the Middle East, as we move away from dependence on fossil fuels, I don't think the geostrategic value of the Middle East on the longer term will be uh, as significant. But there are all kinds of other important, uh, you know, threats to American hegemony. Of course, China, this could be seen as the pivot towards, um, you know, Cold War with with China that deserves more attention than, you know, being caught in expensive, um, you know, uh, military uh, engagements in places like Afghanistan, Iraq and Syria. Um, and also in Africa, we just actually have witnessed a, a coup, a military coup in Guinea, and we had an episode of Guerrilla History that we recorded today and put out where Henry and I talked with a very interesting um, uh, journalist and observer of African affairs. And you could say that there's a lot more interest in West Africa in the mineral resources. Uh, and also there is um, the opportunity to continue the global war on terrorism in that theater. Um, so when Biden is pulling out of Afghanistan, he's not said that he's pulling back from counterterrorism. He still reserves the right to pursue U.S. national interests, to fight and persecute uh, and prosecute the uh, and global war on terrorism. And it's just that he doesn't want to be involved in counterinsurgencies. And so it's in some sense a continuation of the policies we saw under Obama and under Donald Trump of um, getting out of these, uh, you know, nation building exercises. It's the end of this neoconservative orientation, but it's not the end of U.S. global involvement. It's just that it doesn't make sense to be doing so in Afghanistan, uh, in uh, Iraq and Syria to the same to the same extent. 
but he's celebrating U.S. troops on the ground. He's celebrating. He's saying we're going to send troops back into Afghanistan. He says, why do we still have troops in Syria? Why do we still have troops in Iraq? We have no troops in Iraq, basically, a handful and a hand that we know of and, and a handful in Syria. And why do we have troops in Syria? Why would we be sending troops? And how's that working out for whoever side we're on in Syria? Yeah, well, I mean, the Syria situation is very interesting and complicated. Um, you know, we are controlling um, a large uh, agricultural area there and also the oil producing part of Syria. Um, so U.S. troops there um, are basically depriving the Syrian government of these resources that it could use to rebuild its capacity. It's not possible to overturn and overthrow the Assad government, uh, but the combination of extreme sanctions that are being enforced and being able to siphon off and reroute uh, both the uh, kind of food sources for its independent um, kind of food production and um, the only sort of saleable commodity that they had for raising cash in in oil, uh, depriving uh, that is a way of trying to weaken the Syrian regime. Of course, what it means is it punishes the people, just like the sanctions regime in Iraq and in Iran have done very little to dislodge um, the governments uh, and the you know ruling elite. But it has imposed a huge amount of suffering wow. upon the people. And we could say the same in Cuba. So this is this is the typical technique. Um, and um, U.S. troops are there basically to put further pressure upon the Assad regime uh, in that fashion. I didn't know that. I didn't know that we have troops there who are making sure the oil doesn't get to Assad. Yeah, that's, um, you know, basically the only thing that they're there to, to do and to accomplish. Troops in Iraq today because of the caliphate rising, projecting force outside of Iraq, killing Americans, killing the French, attacking the British. So yes, it will be a cauldron for radical Islamic behavior. You cannot deal with this over the horizon. Here when he says over the horizon, he means drone strikes. Drones, yes. And this is the term that um, Biden mentioned in his speech, is that we do maintain this over the horizon capability to drone and to attack uh, terrorists, so-called, uh, wherever they are in the world. And, you know, so he's suggesting, you know, basically what we're seeing is a division and a difference of opinion within um, kind of U.S. foreign policy uh, circles where they don't um, you know, differ on a fundamental principle of the U.S. being a dominant power uh, and being able to pursue its interests globally, uh, militarily. What they do uh, have is a tactical difference on whether this should be an aggressive, uh, uh, you know, intervention with, uh, you know, for ideological reasons in addition to counterterrorism to remake other societies and governments um, in a more amenable um, fashion. Uh, so that neoconservative orientation. But Biden has not pulled back from the sort of forever war of counterterrorism. Um, that's still a major plank of his uh, foreign policy. Um, 
It's just that they have a, a little bit of a difference here on how one should should pursue that. And his suggestion is, is that you cannot eliminate terrorism through just these over the horizon drone attacks, but you actually have to go in and occupy and fundamentally change and rework those societies because he's locating the source of this, not in any political differences or material uh, basis, um, but entirely in this idea that it is an evil inimical force in the world that um, cannot be restrained or constrained um, but has to be eliminated uh, because it's an ideological sort of threat it's on this cultural and and, and ideological terms that he wants the war uh, to be uh, based or founded on right and just a quick sidebar if anybody who writes for colbert or SNL is listening, somewhere over the horizon, there's a land that I dream of destroying some uh, once in an American lie. There's a, there's definitely a Wizard of Oz somewhere <laughs> over the yeah, horizon. Over the horizon. Yeah, this, uh, somebody should get to work on that and then uh, quit show business. Okay, we'll wrap it up. Eddie, let me just get to the rest of this. You're being very rude to Lindsey Graham, Professor, <laughs> because I require access to these people. And this is not what he signed up for, Senator Graham. I apologize. A solution. Help the resistance in the Panjir Valley. Help the resistance in the Panjir oh. Valley. So this is exactly, you know, uh, what will plunge uh, Afghanistan back into civil war and devastation. I mean, this is what we have to be afraid of. He's saying as if, you know, the Northern Alliance is ready to, you know, resume, um, you know, resistance to the Taliban like again in the 90s. These people don't think anything changes in history. Um, but he's talking about it as if that's just going to be some kind of natural um, effective and popular resistance to the Taliban. I mean, it, many things could happen because the Taliban, as I agree, may not be capable of actually governing, you know, in, in a serious sort of way. Um, we will see. Um, but uh, the idea that some group in the Panjshir Valley is just going to be um, emerging and rising effectively is obviously going to be the policy that Lindsey Graham wants to support is to funnel arms and, you know, you know, CIA operatives and uh, contractors and arms and materiel and, you know, uh, expertise, military advisors and all of that to help make that group effective. And that is a terrible policy. Um, you know, what's something he's not talking Talking about um, Biden mentioned that there would be uh, continued aid and support. We'll see. I mean, you know, the British and the French and many of the other NATO allies have actually and the Germans have expressly stated that they will not be sending any aid now, now that the military mission um, is is over. They're not going to be sending any any foreign and any foreign. Have they unfrozen the assets yet? A terrible idea. Have they unfrozen um, the assets yet? 
I don't think they have. And it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, a lot of people are thinking, oh, well, now we're not involved, you know, but the U.S. has still a lot of control over what happens in the country uh, and can undermine, um, you know, progress for the Afghan people. If, you know, we actually care about the Afghan people, um, then there are a lot of things we could do still to help them without having to be military occupiers or trying to promote a civil war by uh, through a proxy party and, and supporting them against the Taliban. There are lobbyists already in Washington, D. Street, uh, Washington, D.C. on K Street working for the Northern Alliance. I believe it's the Northern Alliance trying to convince people like Lindsey Graham to authorize arms sales. Yeah. To. Yeah. Well, there will be your Ahmed Chalabis, you know, a mm-hmm. guy who, who, you know, managed to bamboozle quite a number of U.S. Uh, political and military uh, figures with tall tales of how, um, you know, uh, there was going to be a lot of support for U.S. Uh, invasion. And if they supported him, um, you know, they would manage to take over the country and rebuild Iraqi society and make it a pro-U.S liberal state that wanted to be part of the world economic you know system so there are going to be plenty of people who uh, will offer their services to be the u.s proxies in trying to overturn the taliban and the question is uh, who's going to be foolish enough or ideological enough uh, to actually authorize um, supporting them and sending them all kinds of arms weapons and and military support it would be a disaster. It's, it's going to be a disaster if that's what we try to do. It just means that Afghanistan will just never recover from what, have, what has already been 40 years of war, not just the 20 years that the U.S. has been um, you know, involved in an overt and direct way. But, of course, the 20 years prior where it was sponsoring um, you know, forces against the Soviet occupation, um, it'll be a 60 years of war. Right. And the, and the lobbyists for the armed, the armed industry wants to sell weapons to these people and the lobbyists, they just don't lobby Congress. They lobby public opinion in America and they will paint these people as freedom fighters and heroes, champions of women. They, the lobbyists are, will package the freedom fighters so that we will all, because we're all low information voters when it comes to this area of the world, will begin to believe that we should be on the side of uh, the people to the north of Kabul. Taliban will not be able to govern Afghanistan. They're hated by the Afghan people. Let's- Are they? Uh, You know, I mean, I think there are certainly the urban population uh, is very leery of this kind of country, uh, narrow Islam being imposed upon them. I mean, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, the way people in the West Coast and East Coast uh, urban environments reacted to what they saw as the Trump phenomenon um, and its supports, right, from rural Southern, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of um, dislike culturally, religiously uh, of the Taliban. But after the exhausting uh, civil wars of the mid-90s, some people welcomed the Taliban's harsh brand of justice for at least 
um, putting an end to the war uh, for a while. So we'll see. I mean, I can't imagine that they'll be incredibly popular, but maybe they might have learned also something a little bit more about how to uh, adjust and um, accommodate a sophisticated urban society a little bit more um, than they did in the first round. Okay, I'll play it all the way through. And uh, I just want to apologize once again to Senator Graham. Uh, we love having you on the show. This is this show is all about access to newsmakers like yourself and Professor Adnan Hussein. I I just can't believe you would be this rude uh, to <laughs> Senator Graham. But let's let Senator Graham finish. Happen over time is you're going to see the resistance rise. ISIS will come after the Taliban large and the entire country is going to fracture in the next year creating a perfect storm for western interests to be attacked you can do one of two things you can say that's no longer my problem let it build and get hit or hit them before they hit hit them before they hit us well, that's why we went to Iraq, right? Uh, we needed to hit them and fight them there so that we don't have to fight them here. Mm -hmm. And that's been his his uh, approach and perspective, I think, the whole time, even though there's not a whole lot of evidence that uh, there's anybody there who would be involved in uh, fighting us here. And that, in fact, actually fighting them there is what produces a lot of the blowback of people wanting to fight us here. So, um, you know, this is one of these kind of cycles, you know, it's like, where's the causal? Like, because there's this cycle, this vicious cycle, it's very hard discursively to be able to narrow down and point out to them where the causality lies is because they're looking at it, you know, after uh, this is why history is so important, because at least you can track how this dialectic worked. But if you only look at the cycle for him, the causes are always the causes that justify the actions he wants to do. And um, I don't think he's particularly educable. I know I'm being very rude to him now by, yes. by saying he's never that. coming back, um, but he's incorrigible, I think. Yes. Thank you, Professor Adna. By the way, I'm very this made me very happy. This, it's, this is something we can have many, many guests now on the show who you can be rude to. So this will be. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, it's, it's great that you're opening up the show to these voices, uh, these diverse voices. Yeah, it's, but it's great to be able to have somebody like you talk back to these people. It, it It's what it took me a while to learn how to do it. Well, but. you know, this is just like a dream come true because uh, before I stopped watching mainstream uh, media, CNN, MSNBC, over the last two decades, I have been so frustrated uh, that so many of these monologues that now I'm sharing with everybody you know, right. to not, and nobody could hear all of the great arguments against the absolute inanities we, you know, suffered through on a nightly basis on the nightly news during this global war on terrorism. So you've given me an opportunity to vent. And I really like this kind of quasi dialogue talking back to the bizarre pundits and politicians who have misinformed Great. us and deluded us, you know, for the last generation. So I'm thank you. Thank you. I'm really I, I I spent the summer trying to learn how to do this. And it, <laughs> I have a feeling they're going to come for me now. This is dangerous. This is a dangerous. This is anyway. Thank you so much. Enjoy your Labor Day. I love you so much. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Uh, let us do this. We have uh, 
Mary, Professor Mary Ann, uh, I'm running. I don't even know what the calendar, the schedule is like. Am I? I, I don't know if I'm on time or not. Am I on time, Professor Mary Ann? Can we do? Uh, Within did, an hour, you are. I think. Did I keep you wait? Oh, I'm sorry. Would you do community billboard with me, please? With Dan. Oakley Duckley. Okay, thank you. I apologize. Dan, I, I screwed up uh, uh, on uh, Friday's show and we didn't get to do so. Uh, Dan. You screw up anything. It's my fault. Well, no, I kept you waiting and, and that was rude. Uh, that was so great. Uh, having the professor talk back to Lindsey Graham. That is a, a, da a dangerous tool that we now have. Uh, Dan Frankenberger covers our community. And that's right. We had a wonderful roast of Sarah. And uh, what's his name? Who's the other person she married? Andrew. Andrew. And not familiar with him. Yeah, me either. We're going to roast him every week. Hannah and I have decided we're going to roast. Everyone else does anyway, just not publicly. I know. We're going to do a weekly roast of Andy and Sarah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, what is this? Wow. Can you see what that? we have here is a, a painting from Tom Weber of a cardinal. And he says, I'm almost done with a new painting. I still have to work on the tail and perhaps a few other minor adjustments. And it's the female cardinal in acrylics. Beautiful. I feel bad that I it's kept uh, people waiting tonight. I apologize. It's okay. Uh, I'm keeping P Professor Marianne and you and everybody waiting. It's nerve wracking. Oh, my hair transplants. Oh, there they are. There they are. They look good. <laughs> Those are the strings from Glenn's string beans. Uh, he says that this is from his pole bean harvest, and these are the strings that he removes to give an easier chew when you eat them. Hmm. Delicious. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, I know who, let's see. Did I get all of it? We have the top. There we go. It's Coco from Lane. Yes. Oh, what a good boy. He's kind of giving a side eye. <laughs> yep. It's a, it's a, it's a new sketch of uh, Lane's buddy Coco in the profile. It looks great. That's great. One day they will sing together on the show. That's really great. Yeah. It's That's really, really great. He sent in another picture as well, which we got coming up next. And this is a watery horizon. He says it's a picture in which he is experimenting with watercolor. Wow. Look at that. Everybody was painting. I was trying to close office hours and then Tom Weber was teaching a painting class. And uh, yep. I was watching as well. I, I watched like one and a half. And I know he did a, a few pictures and they're fantastic as always. Well, as you know, it's we're coming up it's on Joe the end of summer. Huh? It's Joe Brinton time. JoeBrinton.com. JosephBrintonJewelry.com. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. Those are beautiful. Yep. The, the I see a dragonfly. Look at the dragonfly. Yep. I like that one on the end. In my backyard, I've been seeing some dragonflies, but I also put a hummingbird feeder up. 
And it's hard to tell the difference between a large dragonfly and a hummingbird because mm-hmm. the birds are so small. I'm like, you know, with my old ass eyes, I'm like, what is that? And uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty close in size. Hummingbirds are amazing. Yep. Go, so what is Joe's website? It is josephbrintonjewelry.com. Beautiful. And let's see this. So Benji, who is in Florida, we all love Benji Futrell. He helped uh, with the writing on the COVID town squares. Uh-huh. Uh, his profession is installing custom pools. Right. So he and the team uh, were working on this pool recently. Yeah. And the next, the next picture is going to show the effects of Hurricane Ida. Oh, this is the pool. Oh, He's not- making a pool. Okay. Yep. And- Oh, so it's right. You can go swimming in it now. So they filled it up. Yeah. There's water. It made the job easier. Uh The water's already in it and it's ready to go. Uh, (laughs) So he has to start from, he has to start all over again. Actually, he went in today and fixed it all. Oh, we'll have to see the after pictures. I have them, but I didn't want to give you 20 pictures. Okay. I'd like to, we'll do it. We'll do a. A follow-up yeah. on thirty. Looks beautiful there, actually. Yep, it's great. And uh, what's this? Ah, uh, Ralph. Nader you know who that getting, is? Yeah, Ralph getting to meet one of his heroes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How do people contact you if uh, they have something they want to share with us? You can you can send anything you need into dentfeldman at gmail.com. And I got one more quick thing. Valley Vox has a, a event coming up this weekend, which is on September 11th at 4.30. And they're doing a screening of Adam Curtis's The Power of Nightmares. Ah. And then they're going to open the floor for the rest of the show for the attendees to uh, ask questions and, and talk about their thoughts. I think September 11th. Of it. I think the term opening the floor on September 11th, not a good choice of words. Jokes. <laughs> Works. <laughs> September 11th. When is September 11th? <laughs> it's Saturday. Saturday it's this Saturday. That's right. Huh. You can get tickets at uh, at Valley Vox on Twitter or Valley Vox Theater at gmail.com. And the theater is spelled with an R-E at the end. And I did want to, to give you and Hannah some praise on the roast for the office hour because that went awesome. Well, we used your jokes. Well, I, I sent in a few, but. No, they were all your it jokes. Was, uh, it was fantastic. And uh, from Valley Vox at the end was closed out awesome. with Amazing. Uh, Yep, with uh, Lance and Kathleen and Frank. And, see, they put together a song and a music video, and I was like, holy shit, that is amazing. And how about Davey Mammel? Davey Mammel did an awesome sketch. Fantastic. It was great. Thank you, buddy. Yep. Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom. Let's now go to Aurora, Illinois, where Professor Marianne Cummings has been waiting patiently. And she is a physicist as well as a parks commissioner for Aurora, Illinois. I'm, I apologize. I, I'm, not, I'm not even in Aurora right now. I'm, I'm back in Michigan over Labor Day weekend. You're, so. in, you're in Michigan? Mm-hmm. And so you're visiting the... the Parents, huh. siblings. Okay. Yeah. And we uh, had an interesting... That was interesting with Lindsey Graham. You know, I was, uh, I, I think that Professor Ann Lee and I 
maybe starting a concept. She referred to it as the Mystery Science Theater 3K uh, section, segment of your show. And I thought, well, wait a minute. We need two mad scientists and we need to like actually force these images on you and Adnan and you have to, and we get to control the horizontal and the vertical and you and Adnan have to like react to, you know, the guests that we bring on like Lindsay. Right. So you would bring in the clip and play it. And you have to be forced to watch it. Yeah. But now that I can do a stop and start, which is not as easy as it looks, uh, we can now talk back to these experts and do what is never done on mainstream television. Go step by step and say, this isn't true. This is not true. This is a lie. Uh I found it very satisfying to hear Professor Hussein uh, expose Lindsay for for what he is. Yeah, so edited the conversation, an edited conversation with uh, Professor Hussein and the uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. We can, yes, yeah, you can. You could do that, like, uh, for a whole bunch of these guys. Instead of... Well, I want to talk about whatever you want to talk about, but this is what Rachel Maddow should be doing instead of, you know, everybody wants access to these people. Instead, just get them and then stop and start and point out this is a lie. This is a lie. This is a lie. This is a lie. You know, people don't want access to these. The audiences don't care if you have access to these cranks. they rather have you tell them the truth. But for some reason, MSNBC thinks, oh, if I can get Hillary on my show, the ratings will go. No, if you could uh, disembowel Hillary on your show, the ratings would. Uh, yeah, I'm, well, you know, the, the thing is, is that you know, that that was the uh, conundrum going all the way back to the days of I.F. Stone. You know, he says he saw it decades ago this access journalism and the rise of journalists instead of just being workaday Americans became celebrities in and of themselves. And that's the problem. I mean, the uh, white house correspondence dinner is probably the peak of this, you know, performative nonsense between the, uh, the bought politicians and, you know, the corporatist media. And that's, um, you know, that's the way a lot of people like it. It's reassuring that the people on top are all getting along. Us peasants can be fighting each other tooth and nail, but they all get along at the top. Right. You know? What is uh, your sense? The, uh, the grandkids of Biden and the, and the kids of uh, Donald Trump, they're getting along. Right. Yeah, it's like anyway. What is your sense in the where where you're in your part of the country? The people who I talk to are devastated by the floods here in New York, uh, Afghanistan, the the tenor of the debate. Uh, do you get a sense 
of the fatalism that I seem to surround myself with. People in the Midwest don't care. There was like uh, 109,000 unmasked people and my nephew, who was masked, in uh, University of Michigan Stadium this weekend for the kickoff uh, for the kickoff game. I'm, they're not worried about Afghanistan. They're apparently not worried about COVID. Uh, weather is actually fairly mild in the Midwest. Yeah, it's just uh, you coastal guys really getting it. I don't know. I mean, um, if, if we obsess about those of us who care about the politics and policy and the direction and, and historical arcs and where things are going are giving, us all, all, giving ourselves ulcers, but, you know, Countries, well, the rest of the country's watching football. Right. And now we have... 3,000 in Tallahassee, Florida last night watching uh, their home team get their asses handed to them by Notre Dame. I wasn't, I wasn't rooting for Notre Dame, but, uh, you know, this life is going on. And they made a big deal about it. I think it was ABC News or ABC Sports or something about how life has gotten back to normal. And, you know, this is what we're hearing. We... We're not hearing anything, even all the way up to the White House. They don't want to hear of possible shutdowns again. And nope, we're open for business. The schools are all open, wear a mask. And, uh, or if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. I think that was very bad advice. But mm-hmm. unless, uh, there's this overall overarching narrative that it's all going back to normal. Right. 11 million people may be facing eviction next week, but it's all going back to now because the economy is doing great. I mean, never better. <laughs> right. It's, uh, you know, it's. I, I uh, had a little frustrated. I, I tuned in uh, for a little bit earlier and you were discussing um, the people who were the anti-vaxxers. Well, there are three of them in my family and it is frustrating uh, particularly uh, speaking with uh, my youngest brother, who does have a considerable amount of IQ points ordinarily. Yeah, that's the problem and with the anti-vaxxers. Has a lot of, like half of the stuff he says I agree with. But I think what is, uh, what I'm detecting from a lot of the anti-vaxxers, because I detect it in myself, you know, they talk about, the, you, you see the shadow in other people that's in you. Well, you know, I, I see an impulsiveness you know, I have tried to explain to him that, you know, I, I can I listen day in and day out to all kinds of persuasive arguments, but I have to fall pro- professionally. I have to fall back on peer review, basic scientific method. And he's telling me all the anecdotes in the world. I says they're meaningless because they can't even be disproven. I mean, that's the most important thing. And, you know, I have it's not just my family. It's just lots of people wanting me to watch YouTube videos or read this article, read that article. I'm not reading anything that's not peer reviewed if it has anything to do with science, vaccinations, you know, uh, cures or or prophylactics or, you know, treatments or anything else. You know, I just and I get uh, in the whole matrix of a money-driven uh, pharmaceutical corporation that even our research institutions are deferring to. I get that whole thing, but I have even in a very imperfect system. That's why peer review is so important, and it's not evenly it's not evenly applied. It's like everything else, but it is one thing that gives us something to anchor on. 
because if you can't pose a question to me that can be tr- disproved, if it can't be disproved, it's not, it's not meaningful scientifically. You have to pose things in a way that I can shoot it down. If right. It, if it isn't, if, if it isn't true, <laughs> it's uh, anyway, but these are the kind of frustrating conversations. And again, it's not, well, one's a libertarian, one's a Republican, one is definitely a Hillary, was a Hillary supporter. They all have their reasons for not vaxxing up. And, uh, you know, they're, they're not, all, not all of them are implausible. I mean, there's, I, I actually have a great deal of sympathy toward the reasoning and quite frankly when one of my siblings had had to you know watch as their beautiful uh, talkative 18 month kid old kid got his 18 month vaccine and within two days and this was many many years ago he stopped talking and he's full-blown autistic and that is the i think it's a it's a horrible coincidence because 18 months is typically when things start to develop that you would see autism or Asperger's syndrome. But there was just a confluence of people having their kids get their 18-month, you know, triple vaccine, I think diphtheria, whooping cough, and something else. I don't have kids. And then seeing within a week or a month, their kid just stop speaking or just become a totally different kid. Right. And that's kind of – and. You know, there is a big history of us being experimented on and particularly not just uh, not just uh, particular ethnic groups, but all of us. And and there is, you know, um, an enormous profit motivation that has kind of creeped into the whole, you know, development of drugs. However, there are and I know personally people in in government who are amazing people. You know, people who are in the FDA, people, I know a couple of people who work for the CDC. I know a lot of people who work for the Department of Energy, an uh, institution that I'm always railing against. But, you know, nonetheless, amazingly, people do excellent work. They make just a basic bureaucratic salary and they work extremely hard. So there is a system in place and I just have to advocate for us working through and that goes against all of my impulses my impulses are to burn the mf or down you know when there's such because what goes along with having to deal with a society of people who eventually give you money for research or give people money to regulate drugs or whatever is just a whole confluence of motivation a lot of it bad but still some of it's surprisingly good and what makes it what why we have a civilization is all is that as imperfect as it is like representative government as imperfect as it is gives us a chance you know peer review as perfect as it can be in practice nonetheless it results in a, in a very robust body of knowledge you know when you when you see when things are worked on, when they're first new concepts, everything is just amazingly confused and, you know, people are going down wrong alleys and this and that. But, but because we have, we defer to a system, even if we only pay lip service to it, there is a very, there is a, a huge power in deferring to a system that goes against our impulses. Right. You know, goes against what we goddammit know to be true. <laughs> and, uh and so you have to defer to it. And it's, uh, you know, so I, 
Yeah, that's the kind of conversations I was having. I mean, I wanted to listen because and I, I, I don't really want to argue with people when I'm genuinely interested in understanding their point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, so well, I think I caught a little bit of Harriet Fraud, of Dr. Fraud's uh, comments. And I think she and she had said it before, either on your show or another setting about, you know, just genuine, I don't know, I, I, compassionate, but I would say genuine questioning. I mean, questioning it from a from a source of curiosity about what really drives somebody as opposed to questioning to nail somebody or to right. score points. Right. And, you know, that's what would Bernie way we, what would Bernie it, say? That's exactly what Bernie Sanders does. It's I've seen Bernie Sanders do that on more than one occasion. Bernie Sanders doesn't he, he, you know, he, he doesn't get buttered up all that easily. He doesn't get offended all that easily. Somebody comes to him with, you know, somebody comes to him with, with a, you know, with praise and adulation and somebody comes to him with a generally hostile question. His demeanor is kind of the same. But on the and anti-vaxxing, on, on the, the people who don't get a vaccine, he would listen, I suspect, and say something mm-hmm. to, along the lines of what you said. I understand why you don't trust the vaccine. I understand the experiments that were done on African-Americans. I understand the, the price gouging that mm-hmm. we see Big Pharma uh, guilty of. I understand why you don't trust your doctor. But the science is there on the vaccines, and it's the only way to stop the spread of this disease. But you're absolutely right for not trusting Pfizer or Moderna or mm-hmm. Anthony Fauci. But yeah, there are no- keep, there can be conflicting realities, you know. And now there's a there is a. Uh, there is a, a certain um, twist to all this is that I know the doctor and the chiropractor that he and several of my siblings have visited. And I, to this day, can't sort this guy out. But I went to see him when I had pain when I was a 20-something that never went away, and he fixed it in one visit. But he did a weird thing, and to this day, I wonder if it was like a trick, securism or what. He... He was telling me about energy and uh, energy flows and all this. And yes, you know, being practicing yoga, I got it. He had me hold up an apple in my hand and hold up my hand. And he's putting, you know, just pressing on a pressure point. And he says, can you resist that? And I'm going, yeah, I'm pretty strong. He said, OK, took, takes the apple, puts a bunch of cigarettes in my hand, does the same thing. And I had no strength in my hand, arm whatsoever. And to this day, I'm wondering, what the hell trick was he playing? Right. But he does. He gets people from all over the country. So now, of course, he's he's an anti-vaxxer. So therefore, my more impressionable siblings, which would be all the brothers, are also, you know, uh, questioning it. And if you're just healthy and if you take enough vitamin D and, you know, if you... Uh, the people that that really get sick with COVID are, are fat and they've got pre-diabetics and this and that. And uh, I said, yeah, Steve, until the one you get until you're the one that gets COVID. There's and, a there's a grift going on that you and mm-hmm. I can't imagine. And the grift is I I don't have 
a medical degree. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a scientist. But there's an audience out there who wants to hear something different. And mm -hmm. I can fill that void. There was a story in Forbes, of all places, that talks about the Gateway Pundit. It's a right-wing website. And yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. And they just got demonetized by Google because they've been spreading lies about COVID. The gateway, I didn't know there was this kind of money involved. Google ads paid them $1.1 million. That's what they made in advertising yeah. from Google, $1.1 million. They were driving this much traffic, the mm -hmm. gateway pundit was, starting from November of 2020 to June. The gateway pundit, according to Forbes, was making money spreading lies about the election. And then the, the traffic died down and they discovered that if they spread lies about the vaccine and COVID, their numbers went back up. And so in Ju by June, uh, from, for six months, they made $1.1 million spreading lies about COVID. You give people what they can't get anywhere else on the Internet. That's what Alex Jones does. And that's what Joe Rogan is doing. It's, it's the free market, baby. You know, it's like, no, of course, when you when you wander into like deplatforming people, I'm very I would tread very carefully because there have been a lot of, you know, independent lefty journalists that have gotten deplatformed. People like Jordan Sheridan got demonetized for actually revealing true things, but they said a word or something that got them demonetized. You know, they you have you have a bunch of kids, you know, deciding this on and on Facebook. You have people deciding it on Google and YouTube. Yes, these might be pro pu private companies, but they're using the public infrastructure, which is Al Gore's internet, which is know? a utility. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's look, everybody wants to sell a narrative. Now, many of us thought that Russiagate was largely made up nonsense used to discredit whistleblowers, Bernie Sanders supporters, anything but to try to figure out why Hillary Clinton lost. And yeah, when uh, when uh, uh, the report for Mueller came out and landed with kind of a dull thud, I mean, traffic, the viewership of Rachel Maddow's show plummeted pretty decisively. Right. Because she was building up a story. Everyone was expecting that Trump was going to be found guilty of colluding with Russia. And that was treason. And he was going to be, you know, to a certain one extent or other, everybody's selling a narrative. But, you know, we don't we we don't have strong we used to have more respect for legitimate authority, like teachers, like people who knew something, like scientists. And believe me, I do not want to elevate scientists, but but there is a discipline. I mean, and I if a vast preponderance, I wanted to work on many occasions to get a Ph.D. in science. You know, you have to it forces you to go against your natural proclivities you know, your worst aspects like laziness or wanting to fudge something. I mean, that's always there. 
And that's that's why, and we've allowed it to kind of go on. We've allowed laziness, we've allowed partisanship, or not even that, but almost like a politics as a blood sport. And in listening to somebody very articulate that articulates something you want to hear is way easier than you reading through many review right. articles and trying to sort it out yourself. I mean, again, what, what amazes me kind of where we are and uh, you're not going to deplatforming these people are, is not going to, you know, is not going to make it uh, any, they're not going to be any less credible in the eyes of people who really want to hear what they have to say. And I think partly those of us on the left who consider ourselves the good ones are guilty of hubris, are guilty of a kind of arrogance and and, and academic laziness ourselves. I mean, um, those of us who have had decent health care or just decent health are not living in the same universe as many of my neighbors whose health care is spotty at best. You right. know, an Obamacare with $7,000 deductibles means you don't get health care to first order. And they don't, when so many people are in a system where they feel nothing has worked out for them and they never work out for them, they tend not to believe right. the government. Right. And that is, that is the hard work of... Uh, of people who call themselves progressives, we have to make, we have to get people to believe. As I said, that little park that's just a few blocks from me that I put, that I pushed the park district to put in. On one hand, it's kind of, you know, a silly thing. On the other hand, people just couldn't believe that anything got done in that neighborhood. And that went quite a long way to like, getting people to soften up about their local government that, Hey, once in a while, things can get done for them. And that's why, you know, again, it isn't glamorous. It isn't, you know, it it doesn't fuel the, uh, the Twitter wars or anything else, but running for very local office can really be healing going door to door, talking to people after the first couple of doors, you learn to shut up and just listen to people, you know, and it's, uh, and then, yeah, I can diffuse a lot of people's anger. And in fact, people who would answer who answer by door knocking would be at first angry and would just, you know, ease up just because I listened to them because they didn't really want to be angry at me. They're angry at something. They actually kind of like that somebody showed up to their door, you know, it, anyway. Um, but I see this all as part. I mean, we don't have. We don't have faith in governments. I was just listening to uh, your previous segment with Professor Hussein, and it's like, my God, we are occupying Syria. That is only so illegal by any international standard. What are we doing? We're completely undoing international law or protocol by what the hell we've been doing, because might makes right, apparently. So how are we going to reconstruct a better world if we ourselves have just led with our bombs? I mean, we ended this, if in fact Afghanistan has ended, uh, old Southern Belle Lindsay might be right. We might be going back in there. You know, it's just, hey, in two or three years, maybe a different president, a different party, people fed up different set of nonsense narrative that people people don't want to see us most people in this country do not want to see us exiting a country with our tail between our legs figuratively speaking 
you know, that's not the America that, you know, the older generations learned in their history books. But, um, you know, I, I'm sure that World War II was a righteous cause and probably very necessary for us to survive as a country, ultimately. But um, every war in my lifetime has just been one series of lies after another. And then and, they and then after the war, they lie about how it turned out and why we went into it. It was interesting. Even as a little kid, I would say something about the, you know, we lost the Vietnam War. And I was always corrected by the nuns who were otherwise very educated and savvy. That Well, that wasn't a war. Mm-hmm. That was never declared a war. That might technically be right. I don't think we ever declared war in vietnam it was a police yeah yeah so anyway this is this is the problem we have uh you know these institutions aren't forces of nature i mean these institutions are something that we've kind of created and some of them that have survived have modicum of wisdom in them but they are not stagnant entities i mean they are only as good as the people who are actively participating in them and you know a lot of us maybe that was the natural evolution of us getting everything we wanted after world war ii you know very comfortable if you're comfortable why would you even consider politics if your life is great and you know things are wonderful stores are great you've got a decent job you know streets are paved and the parks are maintained um Hey, why would you ever even think of going into government? Yeah, uh, I think we, I think the notion of citizen as opposed to civilian, you know, I think we, we don't, we have, we're civilians, we're not really citizens and there's got to be some sort of ecumenical type of education about being a citizen. We learn, you know, fiscal responsibility barely, but we learn, you know, rules, rules and laws and things like that we have a certain code of ethics you know and a certain sense of right and wrong and what's legal and illegal but this other sense of citizenship is something you know we need to start figuring out how to inculcate i mean bernie sanders did what he could he pushed people way outside their comfort zones to take an interest and a responsibility way more than an interest that, you know, amazingly enough, thousands of people did. You're the second guest who came on the show today and said they were talking to their family and they're dealing with anti-vaxxers, incredibly brilliant members of their own family who are anti-vaxxers. And I'd like to circle back to that, if you don't mind, Mm -hmm. because... If I'm looking for attention on this show, all I have to tell people is get vaccinated and discount ivermectin. And people send me the same information. Mm -hmm. According to uh, the Digital Hate Organization out of Great Britain, they kind of track where misinformation comes from. They say that something like 14 websites are responsible for 70% of the misinformation about COVID. And except for Bobby Kennedy Jr., who's part of that misinformation campaign, everybody else is selling something, an alternative 
to the vaccine. And it's all generated by about 15, 16 people who are offering up supplements. I think Joe Rogan sells supplements, by the way. I think he's in that game and he's pushing ivermectin. So when I trash ivermectin on this show, I get emails from people who insist that, you know, it's been proven to work. And I look for the evidence and this is the evidence I get. Can you see this? Uh, Tokyo's Medical Association chairman recommends ivermectin to all doctors to treat COVID. Dr. Uh, I can't see the name. And this is what everybody sends me. And you, you see where it's from? It's from Infowars. That would be <laughs> Alex Jones. And the Tokyo Medical Association is not an arm of the Japanese government. It's not uh, it's not the National Institute of Health. It's kind of like the AMA. And this guy is kind of sort of recommending it, but not quite. And Japan is not recommend the, the officials in Japan do not recommend ivermectin. This guy's just saying to prescribe it. It might be worth looking into. That's look, that's know, the authority this is the problem with this kind of, you know, hysteria driven, you know, narrative driven kind of open discussion there. It really does crush the ability to have, you know, civilized, some nuanced, if that's an overused word, but to have, you know, quiet conversations about certain things. I did look into uh, ivermectin. I did pull up several peer-reviewed in from the NIH website, government website, articles about its effectiveness in severe cases of COVID. The problem with ivermectin, well, the not a problem. It's with people who are seriously ill, who are like in the ICU, in the hospital. Um, and that in some cases can reduce the fatality, but the doses of ivermectin are rather high. In other words, the idea that you're using a therapy, that you're giving yourself a therapeutic dose of ivermectin makes about as much sense as ordering chemotherapy from Amazon and applying it to yourself. I mean, it's, it's crazy and it's, you know, and, and it's dangerous. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, this is this is something you really need to trust a doctor to. Doctors are not immune to the you know politics of certain things. And it would be a shame that we weren't able to just rationally continue studying these because I'm sure that doctors seeing extremely ill patients of COVID might see something, a certain type of inflammation that in their vast experience, this kind of maybe uh, unconventional medication might help this particular patient in this case. You know, to translate that to just like, oh, let's, you know, like, let's order ivermectin online and give ourselves, you know, give ourselves doses of it, you know, or anything else. It just kind of, it, it muddies the water and, and it, it's killing it people. It, what's left out of the conversation yeah. yes. is ivermectin is not only 
causing people to be poisoned here in America. It's creating a shortage of ivermectin where it's needed. This is a pill. It's a miracle drug that kills Mm -hmm. parasites, especially in children. And oh, yeah. The the Carter Center wiped out guinea worm. I mean, the Carter Center saved a good chunk of Africa. Helping who was I think, was it Merck or some company, you know, distribute this drug? So when Joe Rogan recommends ivermectin for his listeners. And I'm going to order chemotherapy from Amazon. You know, this that's a problem. And, you know, I think it would be because we don't in general uh, give respect to real authority that has earned it. You know, and people feel like you may not have had these arguments, you know, for years on various subjects, like people telling me that, oh, you know, all of these structural engineers are lying about, you know, how the trade center came down. It was an inside job. And I'm trying to go step by step through their illogic. But, you know, it's it's much more fun to have a narrative and have it, you know, amplified. It's what it's hard work is to go through any of these papers. I mean, I can read them, but. I'm not, they're outside of my field. It takes me a long time to plow through even the introduction of some of these papers. That's hard work. That's not fun. It's much more fun to get into a flame war on Twitter. And that's, I suspect, the root of all this. Yes. So anyway, I understood, you know, Professor Eon's kind of, you know, um, initial advocacy for ivermectin, but I think he also needed to read, you know, what these studies entailed. It wasn't just a cure-all. It was a, you know, it was a serious kind of treatment for very serious people who were dying. So, you know. Where you throw everything. If somebody's dying, you throw everything. And and what you don't typically do, you have to stand back and look at what they call meta studies, where you you gather data of people who have done this over and all over all over the place. Because a doctor, when they're trying to cure somebody, isn't going to say, "Well, I'm going to you're going to be in the control group, so I'm not going to treat you at all, and I'm going to treat this person." No, if you think something might work because of your intuition or your experience or whatever, you know, you're going to try it. And then later on, you know, just uh, try to figure out what they do. So it's it's very hard. And, uh, you know, the, the last thing we need is a bunch of amateurs on the sideline. I mean, I think concerned citizens, whether it's a, a nuclear reactor that's, you know, dangerous or anything else, concerned citizens should have input. It, we have to find a way that, you know, and I think maybe scientists need to also step up to this. They need to have a way to calmly just educate people. Hey, look, I tell everybody to watch Chernobyl you know, right. in terms of because it, 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 far from making people anti-nuclear, it was a lot. Of, it made a lot of people interested in it became nuclear nuclear reactors became interesting to a lot of people going through watching that even though it was a terrible disaster and i think you know we can make the truth and the hard and really heroic work of you know advancement in medicine or science of any kind interesting if we think about it i mean carl sagan did it Mm -hmm. right but anyway so ivermectin the inventor won a Nobel Prize. 
About three years ago, yeah. And he deserves it. That doesn't mean you take it for COVID. Like you just said, you that don't. That doesn't mean you as an amateur just decided to take it as a prophylactic. That it's going to, see, it's not only that they treat it, they think it can prevent it. Right. No, no, it's not worth you getting, you know, deathly sick and taking up an ICU bed. And, and that, you know, just to show that ivermectin can work because that's basically the only place where it's been shown to work. And it's just crazy. Well, Alex Jones, though, Alex Jones, who does Joe Rogan show all the time, and they've deplatformed Alex Jones. It hasn't seemed to have stopped him, though. This is what he says. And this is about the Nobel Prize. Ivermectin getting the Nobel Prize. Nobel Prize winning for humans. 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 What, 2005? Nobel Prize winning for humans. Nobel Prize. That's Alex Jones telling us to take ivermectin. I mean, he is convincing. I would trust him. Oh, he's convincing. (laughs) How do I, I really, you get to a certain age and you hear like, or, or see this. You see this. So let me show you. I was going to do this anyways earlier. See this? See this, Fauci? You see this, Bill Gates? I'm going to kill those prions, you bastard murderers. You're going to hit me with a bioweapon, you monster. You want to suppress me? You want to kill me, you son of a bitch? You goddamn demon? You think I'm easy to kill? Think I'm going to roll over to your crap? He's taking ivermectin. No. And Joe Rogan kicked your murdering ass, too. You'd love to bury him, too, you little monster man. I can't tell. He's in this National Geographic piece about, oh, I don't usually deal with my... I'm sorry, what was your question? No, I said he's taking ivermectin or TikTok. Or, or, I yeah. can't really tell. Yeah. No, he's taking ivermectin to prove how... That's sick- what he says he's taking. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right away, I get them later. Yeah, you creep up on with a poison injection, dressed up in a lab coat, you little Joseph Mingala, Nuremberg coat violating monster. You damn monster. See our little cancer proteins like that. Nobel Prize winning for humans. 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 What, 2005? Nobel Prize winning for humans. Oh, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. He just went and drank the horse pace. He's stupid. I bet he got it from Alex Jones. They're both so dumb. They're both going to be dead. Yeah, that's why Joe's worth like $300 million. Yeah, he's real stupid. That's why he lives in a $60 million house on the river. You left this taking all the shots and dying are the dumbasses. He's the one that headlines with Dave Chappelle. Not you. You're stupid. And I sure wish you. Now, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's here all weekend, folks. Tip your waitresses and waiters. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could do that. I, I mean, in terms of being that entertaining. Well, you know, that was his defense uh, earlier when he was brought to court. I right. can't even remember what the case was, but his defense I think was, it was the hey, shooter. Entertainer. He was sued because he told everybody to go after the, the in the Connecticut, the shooter. Uh, I'm tired. What, what the school yeah. shooting in Connecticut? They oh, su- was he? Oh, yeah. He said it was the Lincoln a f- Project guys was, uh, you know, was saying that this was all a, a false flag operation, that it never happened, that this was made up. And yeah. Hey, uh, the Veritas 
project was destroyed in Louisiana. O'Keefe's office were, were destroyed. Well, we should wrap it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, thank you, Professor Marianne Cummings, for stopping by. What is it, the year 5781 now? But for you, 57, eight, yes, it's, it is now officially the Jewish New Year. So thank yeah. you very much. And uh, it's uh, this is the week where uh, if you didn't go to religious school and you're Jewish, you kind of get a little batty and crazy because you don't understand what's going on around you. It's all, I'll talk about it on Thursday's show. Uh, thank you, Professor Marianne. Yes. Happy Labor Day, everybody. Thank you. Happy Labor Day. Happy New Year. If you're Jewish uh, or let's see. Or even if you're not. Even if you're not. And uh, we'll wrap up the show. Thank you all for showing up on Labor Day. Thank you to the Zoom audience. Let me see if they have any hands raised. Oh, there's some people here. Uh, Thank you all for showing up. This Tuesday, not Tuesday, Wednesday at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Well, look who showed up at the last minute. Look who showed up at the last minute. Professor Mike Steinel calling from Kansas. Hi, David. (laughs) I I thought you weren't going to come today. I just got done working on my my uh, many projects here. Are you in Kansas, Toto? Yeah, I I, uh, I cut holes in ceilings. What? I pump gas in uh, Sausalito. No, that's your that's what that's you me. Do. I yes, I pump gas. I, I've been scraping wallpaper, and and you you have to use a solution of water and and uh, uh, some fabric softener, and my hands are permanently uh what do you call it they're they're permanently um dimpled that's not the right word i'm so tired david (laughs) join the club so you've been working around the the cabin yeah it's not really a cabin it's a house there's four bedrooms all right i've got the the roof the uh um floor people come tomorrow did you, you weren't hit by Ida, were you? Not a bit. Right. I wish we, we could have used some rain, you know, but we didn't get anything. It, it, it totally went south and north. So. Right. And when you, you were, go back to Texas, what are you going to make about 10 grand a week turning people in? Yeah, I've already, I've already turned in a couple. <laughs> I don't know if they'll buy it. Yeah. I came up with a song. You know how they call a drone attack uh, over the horizon? Yeah. Somewhere over the horizon. There's a song. Somewhere over the horizon. And that's good. We'll probably get sued. I don't know. That might be public domain. No, it's 39. That won't be public domain. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we missed you today. I listened and your joke count was very high on certain segments. I think you were you were rocking. Really? You're a funny man, David Feldman. You're I, a funny man. I, that, I, you must be on something. I don't remember saying anything funny today. Today's show was funny. 
Um, who's the gal from the that gave David Cobb such crap? I got in late on that. Oh, the uh, <laughs> the woman who I think she was serious about women not having sex with men until abortion is uh, available throughout the country. That had shades of your uh, your work with uh, Citizen uh, whatever his name. What was his name? Bacon. Citizen Bacon. That was some of the funniest stuff you ever did. Citizen Bacon, when he went to Washington, D.C. And, oh, you were so hard on him. It was I hilarious. Was. I, I, crossed a li- I, I crossed a line with Citizen Bacon a couple of times. But uh, I almost crossed a line with Dorothy Reich. She was, uh, she was an interesting... <laughs> Beautifully. I thought you did a very good job handling it. It was very funny. Well, it was interesting that, well, anyway, uh, yeah, it was, it's worth rewatching just to, uh, anyway. Uh, she gave it to David Cobb right away. Boom, out of the shoot. She said, <laughs> boy, she got, he, we saw a side, everybody's human. Everybody is human. Everybody has a uh, a trigger point, especially now. That was, that was I actually don't want to do that kind of show where where people get, you know, angry and screaming at one another. It's not it, it, there's no value to it. And uh, I don't encourage it. It's too easy yeah. to, to snap. We're all about to snap. Even you, I bet. I bet you don't want to. I bet you have a breaking point, right? Um, I bro, I'm broken. i've been broken broken for years (laughs) i just bend anymore right one of the benefits did did um god i'm i'm so tired i've been i got up at 5 30 and i started doing stuff i started unloading I, i drove a trailer up here david i drove a. am doing man things david i'm driving a trailer I got a trailer hitch. Wow! I, I feel like a man, you know. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm cutting into ceilings, not knowing what I might find. Pulling out sheetrock. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pumping out uh, a well pit with a sump pump. Wow! Man, I'm doing man stuff, David. <laughs> I, I wish I, I did a little uh, of that. With, uh, I did the caulking with the mice. And I, I felt manly. I felt like this is something real men do. Yeah. You should be embarrassed to even think that was close to manly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you. Uh, thank you. It's always good to hear you. Uh, Benji. I'll have a song next week. I'll have a song, I promise. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Benji in Florida does manly work uh, of course we're going to get complaints for saying what's manly and what's not so it sounds good though how are you so you've been uh how, did you get hit by ida you're you're the pool builder and the joke writer from florida yeah, how was ida ida kind of did a little damage to me i sent uh dan a few pictures of uh before and after then after the repair i did it today i went ahead and uh, worked today and got that fixed up but wow kind of great how'd you get the water out of the pool not only with the say about our governor brother it's you know, got teachers and parents fighting each other every day in school districts across the state and meanwhile he's in the villages you know talking to 130,000 retirees that don't even have kids in school 
question right. is Regeneron treatments, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought he was, you know, just looking at it from the wrong angle. But I mean, if you look at his actions, you know, they're pretty calculated. You know, he's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing, you know, or he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, I mean, this, we'll, we'll see what he does with these. Uh, but anyway, more less about that, more on, you know, it was a year ago today, man. I came running out of the room yelling, it's a boy, it's a boy. Really? Yeah, I had picked up a prostitute in Daytona. <laughs> Uh, and, and, um, they go. They grow so quickly, the don't they? <laughs> you like that? No. Last night, we, me and my wife went out to dinner, man, and we were sitting there forever. You know, no one came over to service, and finally, I walked over to the waitress. I was like, "May I see the menu, please?" She goes, "None of those guys are working right now." Menu, please, David. Think about it a little bit. May I see the menu, please? None of those guys are. It's a thinker, man. It's a what? Come on, Columbia, you know that. The men you please. Oh, the men you please. Yes. It is late, David. I'll give you that. No, no, it's my fault. I like that. (laughs) May I see the men you please? Yes. There you go. Yeah. Now, yesterday I took my truck to the shop because it's been leaking oil. You know, my mechanic said he'd check it out. You know, just take a few minutes. So I walk across the street and I get me a vanilla ice cream cone and I leave out of there. I forgot to grab any napkins, you know, so I'm crossing back across the street. It's a thousand degrees outside. You know, I walk in there, I got ice cream all over my face. You know, the mechanic goes, looks like you, you blew a seal. I was like, like, no, man, it's just ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Last night, man, I was, uh, I got a call from a friend I hadn't talked to in a while, you know, and he's kind of bragging to me about how he, works out twice a day you know he has sex twice a day and he's doing a lot of writing i'm like feeling bad i'm like damn man you must feel pretty good about your life he goes he's not fucking hate prison (laughs) hey man uh, hey before i go man my public service announcement this week's kind of a repeat but uh yeah kind of warrants repeating it's uh a mask on your chin is only as effective as a condom on your balls Hey, brother. Hey, man. I know it's a late night. I'll let you get out of here. Great job. Thursday, brother, man. Thank you. Thank you, Pitch. I'm looking forward to seeing the pictures of what you did with the pool. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you. Take it easy, brother. Have a good night. Thank you. Great job. Thank you, Benji. That wraps up our show. Is Dan around? Are you still here, Dan? There you are. Hey. I am here. Should we quiz me? I'm ready. Okay. Do you have a Sopranos quote? Yes, I do. All right. No, I don't. You lost it? Yep. Uh, Let me see if I have one. Uh, Jesus has risen. Have you heard the good news? Jesus has risen. All right, I got it. No, no, dude, no. you, you, You don't know the quote? No. Janice's boyfriend had narcolepsy and he comes for Thanksgiving dinner and he falls asleep and then he wakes up and he says, have you heard the good news? <laughs> no, Jesus. I don't even remember that scene. Yeah. <laughs> they yell, Jesus has risen. Besides that, Tony? No, no, it's Janice's boyfriend who is like a, he's like a Christian rock musician. Yeah, a hippie, hippie type guy. Yeah, who's got narcolepsy. <laughs> You got a quote? Yep. Okay. Um, who's that speaking here? Is somebody speaking? Oh, 
<laughs> when Polly goes to the seance to contact people in the afterlife? Nope. Really? Junior Soprano says this. When he's talking to um, Jackie April, and then his younger, like, young 20-ish son starts talking. He's like, who's that speaking? Somebody speaking here? Oh, right, right. Kind of right. like, shut the fuck up. Who are you? Right, right. Like, why are you even in the room with me? Right, right, right. By the way, the scene where d- d- Polly Walnuts, what did I say? Who goes to the seance? Did I say Polly Walnuts goes to the, the seance? Yeah. And the thing he says when he throws over, when he doesn't like what the guy from the other side tells him, the guy he killed. I can't yep. repeat it on this show, but it's all <laughs> he throws over the table. I I'll don't t- remember, but when he gets mad, it's the best. I'll tell you, uh, <laughs> when the show's over, I'll tell you what he screams. <laughs> it's just so stupid and so childish. <laughs> and it's so... <laughs> you could never do it now. Anyway, let's see if I can remember the show. John Ross. Here we go. Yep. Then we had. You went an hour and a half with John. That was, mm-hmm. that was fun. Yeah. Uh, but I can't. So then it was John Ross. And then it was uh, Dorothy Reich. Was that her name? Reich. Yep. Reich. And she wants women to stop having sex with men. Right. Because the abortion trouble down in the Texas. Right. Yeah. And uh, then we then Howie Klein had a power outage. So we didn't have him. So we got more of Dorothy. And then David Cobb. Yep. Then Dr. Harriet Fraud. And then Professor Adnan Hussein. And Lindsey Graham. We had Lindsey Graham on with. (laughs) Yeah. That was great. And then Professor Marianne Cummings. And then Benji. You. I'm leaving somebody else out. Professor Mike. And Professor yeah, Mike's, I, I purposely left Professor Mike Steinell out. He didn't give you a song this week. He didn't give, I, I know. He's very, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, are you going to make it? At two o'clock, you're working, so you can't come for Zizek. Maybe I'm not feeling so good at one or one thirty. Ah, you're looking, Whoa. you know what? You're looking sick. You better stay home. So you better stay home on Wednesday. We've got Zizek at... 2 p.m. this Wednesday. If you would like to join us, go to my website and hit attend a live taping. If you're already on the mailing list, you will get a special invite. And uh, this will be exciting. Professor Ann Lee, I have to ask you, I'm going to email you later tonight to see if you'll join us. Uh, That's the show, right? That's it. That's it. It's another Stay show. Strong. It was a good show. It was great. 1271. This is season 12, episode 71. And I'm going to end this very slick, like a professional, because I've been studying the technology. Anything else, Dan, that we need to know? Uh, just stay strong and protect the week. Yeah. And we have to have a production meeting about office hours. It's no longer August. It's time. It's time. to. It's, we got work to do. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. I'm David Feldman. We'll see you Tuesday, uh, Wednesday at 2 p.m. 
And remember to stay strong and protect the weak. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. Now tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way Thank you.